refillable newsletter. Okay. It's All time right. right now. Let's go. The David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. Now tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. What a crowd. We keep going. We're, we're still going. It's the middle of December and we're still going. My name is David Feldman. Welcome to the mop up for December 14th, 2020. This is the 101st episode of season number 11. And we couldn't do it without Dan Frankenberger, Martha Previtt, or our first guest. Please welcome Jim Earl, who apparently has been filming the Vic Morrow story. Can we see the entire, there you go. No, come on, Jim, nobody sees this. You're, you're, you're making, you're playing to the Zoom room and they're only going to, now there's toilet paper around his face. Oh, I see. You're a human toilet paper dispenser. Actually, this is uh, one of my many writing awards. <laughs> the teepees. The teepees. The teepees. Yes. Can Emmy. you hear me okay? Am I all right? Yes, we can. And you should focus only on your sound because that's all that can matters. I, Let's. We got a lot of news be to get to. We got a lot of news, like, Jim. Huh? How are you? Will it be better if I if I'm will it be better if I put this in one of my orifices? <sighs> Jesus. I'm trying to my headphones. I'm talking about my headphones. I'm Just trying to class phone. up the show, Jim. Let's do the news. Jim, you agreed to do the news with me, didn't you? You're so class conscious. Yes. Well, I, I want to take us to a new level where I can get rid of you. That's basically where I'm heading. All right. We're back where we started 10 years ago, Jim. In Manhattan, it's 36 degrees. Feels like 30. Light snow and fog. Air quality is fair. How's it up in Maine? Hey, we got some snowflakes out there, and I'm not talking about the weather. 
Okay. Uh, tomorrow's forecast. Well, I don't know. How did that get? Dan, how did this get into the news? I apologize. We're expecting the biggest. Wait, wait, wait. Can, we, can we go back to that? That's a cat. Yes. The biggest well, snow. Pussy. Yeah, that uh, guy's a big pussy. Yes, he is. Uh, <clears throat> there's expecting the biggest snowstorm. The biggest major snowstorm in years. Wednesday and Thursday p.m. It will get increasingly windy. There'll be some blowing. Jim? And a lot of uh, slamming and uh, a lot of hard fronts. <laughs> a lot of hard slamming, uh, blowing, uh, hard fronts. A lot of and, piling um, up and a lot of inches. Pressure. A lot of inches? Yeah, a lot of, yeah and a high pressure. What, what is going on here? Why is that? Speaky. What is that? Who's doing this to me? How did this get into my PowerPoint? Uh, so stay safe. A lot of people are going to be locked in their homes, which is good for COVID, right? If everybody stays indoors with their loved ones. Sure. It's, okay. it's always, that always has good results. Yeah. As you, as you know. Up to 30 inches are expected. Can you? I, okay. You know who this is? John LaCare passed away, the great spy novelist, dead at the age I think oh, of the tinker, eight, almost ninety. Yeah, yeah. Bad news for a lot. Tinker Taylor, Tinker Taylor to spy. Chance. I believe that was the famous double play team. Those things, those, uh, those. Uh, when I saw those on PBS when they produced those, I don't know. I, I, they just bored me to tears. Hmm. Uh, did, were they exciting for you at all? It the, was just like the the spy who came in from the cold. Yeah, it's just uh, no. Yeah. I, but he's dead, and he never hurt anybody as as much as we know. Probably did. Eh, the hell with him. All right, London is moving into the toughest tier yet of COVID nineteen. They're locking down, despite the fact that they have given they're giving out the the Pfizer fa- vaccine. London, according to Reuters, will be placed in the toughest tier of COVID-19 restrictions following a sharp rise in coronavirus infection rates. No. Right now, the capital, London, 9 million people, are only in the second highest tier of restrictions. Not like Siam, where our friend Lane lives, where he's completely locked down. There was a cyber attack on U.S. Treasury and Commerce which uh, I guess if you have money or commerce, you should worry about that. I guess like three people have to worry about that. Are they blaming Russia again for yes, this? Yes, they are, as a matter of fact. Yeah, they say, you know, suspected, suspected. That, you know, you know, you can always tell a story is true when they say suspected. There was a Gmail, Google, YouTube outage, massive outage today. Did you suffer an outage I, today? I suffered an outage and an inage. <laughs> Jeffrey Tubin suffered from an outage as well. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on with my Google, but I tried to Google to find out. And it was and Google and Facebook are facing war on antitrust on multiple fronts. This is this is actually good news. The state's attorney generals are suing Facebook for monopolistic practices, as is the FTC. So it's a federal suit as well as the state's attorney generals. And the state's attorney generals are joining in the Justice Department's lawsuit against Google. We might see antitrust 
law being enforced. My only concern is if they break up Facebook, who's which side is going to get the poke feature? <laughs> Have you been poked lately? Only with a tubing. <laughs> Early voting has begun in the Georgia runoffs with the balance of... Speaking power. of runoffs. <laughs> tubing runoff. Google, tubing runoff. These are funny words in comedy. <laughs> well, the... Uh, see, now you always tell me, don't worry about Trump. Early voting started in Georgia and already a Democrat holding up an Ossoff sign in Henry County, Georgia, was beaten to within an inch of his life. After well, uh, I, didn't, I didn't tell him not to worry. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler forced into a runoff against uh uh, uh, Ra- Dr. Raphael G. Warnock and uh, did I get the name? And Ossoff, right? Dr. Warnock and Ossoff. Yeah, I think that was, wasn't that a Star Trek episode? I think those are my lawyers. The Warnocks and the off- uh, Ossoffs. How can Miss Loeffler beat the Reverend Dr. Raphael J. Warnock? He's the senior pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. That's where Martin Luther King Jr. spoke from. Well, is is Mr. Warnock a Democrat? Yes. That's your answer. Okay. Bad news. Bad news here in New York City. The 21 Club, 21 Club has closed its doors after 90 years of service. It was featured in The Great Gatsby. This is where Nixon and Kissinger hung out and Jack Welch from GE there and they have all those jockeys. You see the 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 African American mm-hmm. jockeys holding up. Yeah. Remember remember every other place in the world that's considered confederate Well, it's kind of racist, isn't it's it? It's kind of racist. Yes, and yeah. somehow it was allowed to stay outside. There are about 50 jockeys they painted you know, a couple remember, white to make it better, but no, that's racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember, you know, I remember the 21 Club when it was just the 10 and a half Club. <laughs> Those were the old days. Bad news for the Kushner family. Distress looms over U.S. commercial real estate for next year, according to Market Watch. Kushner-owned property in Manhattan is seeing eye-popping drop in value. Very upsetting. Wait, wait, commercial property, or is it, does that include uh, just real estate in general, like homes? Well, that, commercial that, property. Is- the Kushner family does commercial property. So last week, you and I were going over home sales, which are, you know, it's on fire. It's sizzling. Everybody's buying homes now. Even is it really everybody, or is it just rich people and hedge fund Hedge funds. Just hedge funds. Yeah. Yeah. Straw buyers. Straw buyers. And New York Cathedral gunman shoot shot to death by police. St. John's uh, the Divine in Manhattan, up near the Hungarian pastry shop. Shop. Man armed with two pistols shot dead by New York City police uh, as he yelled, kill me. He was in St. John's 
St. John the Divine in Manhattan. Have you ever been there? It's the world's largest Gothic cathedral. In, in Manhattan? In the world. I've been around. It's, it's, really? Yeah, in the world. But congratulations to the New York City Police Department who finally shot an armed man. See? Th things are getting better. Pornhub. Pornhub is in trouble. They're, they've removed all user uploaded videos after Kristoff Christoph in the New York Times wrote a story about how user, users are uploading videos of underage girls. So you can't have your own. You have to be verified now in order to upload. Or you have to get a, 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 a Verit badge. Yeah, you got to be verified and get the blue check in order to contribute to Pornhub. Is this going to alter your your side business? I only uh, I patronize porn and nub. <laughs> porn nub. Yes. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the the for, gardening for, accident that you had. For men who who have uh, yes. <laughs> you you stepped MPT. on a rake and now you have to watch porn nub. A lot, of, a lot of amputee penis. All right, all right, all right, all right. I just like to, you know, represent th those people for once instead of making fun of them, David, okay. like you do. The French are training dogs to sniff for COVID-19. All they have to do is sniff a French person's armpits and they can tell whether or not the, uh, the French people have COVID or not. This is, I'm not making this up. All you have to do, Jim. Yeah, you want to go for it? They can smell them from New York. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you have to sniff a French person's yeah. armpit. <laughs> I, I smell all of Nice yeah. right now just by opening my window. New variant of coronavirus has been identified in England. We'll talk to Henry Huckamacki about that. Yeah, it only inf infects people on the right, the left side of the street. Can I that up? <laughs> and yeah. uh, this is good news. Uh, a couple was kicked off United Airlines flight to New Jersey after their two-year-old daughter refused to wear a face mask. So they threw them out. That's another two-year-old. You got the president. He's a two-year-old. He won't wear a mask. And United's policy is for anyone two years or older, they, they must wear a mask on their aircraft. Hmm. Well, in, in defense of the couple, the, the kid was already wearing a ball gag. <laughs> it was interfering in the interfering in the, the, her breathing. <laughs> That's how you were raised. Your father was a child psychologist, right? He, he believed in he was a disciplinarian, right? He just believed in manners, you know. <laughs> but kids should wear ball gags on all flights. <laughs> well, international flights, at least. <laughs> oh, okay, this isn't funny. Doctors are treating COVID patients at home as Alabama hospitals are running low on beds. That's sad. It's getting really bad in Alabama. Um. Uh, some, something about haystacks. I don't know. Well, I don't know where to go with that one. <laughs> well, it's nice to see doctors making house calls again. Here, this is sad. AP, AP, AP says, 
one day U.S. deaths top 3,000. That's more Americans have died today from COVID than on D-Day or 9-11. Why do we keep comparing it to D-Day and 9-11? You know, a lot of people died in the uh, 1909 Boston molasses flood. <laughs> Nobody brings that up. Was there a Boston molasses flood? Yeah, I think it flooded Johnston down or something oh. or near Boston. And it was, was it molasses? It was molasses, a huge storage bin, I guess, of molasses, and it broke, and it killed like 1,600 people, I think. They were drowned in molasses? Yes. God. Very, very Some, slow death. You hear, you hear, you hear this? this is, you can hear Chris Christie coming right now. It was a slow death? Very slow death. <laughs> yeah. Slow yeah. as what? It was like slow as what? It was molasses. It was as slow as molasses. Yes. Wasn't that a battle in, during the Civil War, the Battle of Molasses? <clears throat> no, that's Manassas. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Now, D-Day, wasn't your father at D-Day? Yeah, he, uh, he died in a plane crash. Really? What happened? Well, he was hit by an artillery shell. Oh, so he was a Nazi. All right, we'll do that. We got to get that bit from Rosenfeld and do it. <laughs> the Nazis didn't attack us on D-Day. Oh, the D-Day. I thought, oh, they keep, I, I got that mixed up with uh, December 7th. Oh, your father was at Pearl Harbor, wasn't he? Yeah. He, he died, uh, didn't he? Didn't your father die at Pearl Harbor? Yeah, he died in a plane crash. <laughs> so that's the way it's supposed to go. Hey, wear your masks, but throw them out and recycle them. Sea lions, according to the Washington Post, are, I guess, choking on discarded face masks. So uh. it's disrupting the food chain. So it turns out if you don't wear a mask, Republicans, that means you're green. So you're doing something for the, for the, you're, if you're a Republican, you should wear a mask because it helps destroy the planet. I guess that's the message we should give them. And getting them wet makes them ineffective, too. Yeah. Did you know that? Yes. You know, people aren't uh, recycling anymore anywhere. Even here in the great state of Maine, at least here in Kennebunk and Kennebunkport. We just recycled the kamikaze joke. That's true. Yeah. <clears throat> Are they doing your recycling in, in Manhattan? No, and there's an argument against recycling. Yeah. That it wastes more energy than you're saving. And that tree farms, although I've been told otherwise, I was told that tree farms are good for the environment because if you don't have tree farms, they end up building housing developments. But I've been told that's not true. You know, just send it to uh, foreign countries where there's cheap labor. Exactly. Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. They can separate the trash there. Yeah, that's an industry. My son says saving the planet is not about personal responsibility. It's about corporate governance. And he's kind of right. When you recycle, it makes Americans believe they're actually helping the planet when, in fact, they're destroying it. It's, it's a way to get your, your mind off the real culprits, ExxonMobil. He said, like... 20 corporations are responsible for like 90% of all the greenhouse gases. So mm -hmm. recycling is a drop in the bucket. Jill Biden 
Do you know who Joseph Epstein is? He's been around for a while. He used to be the uh, editor-in-chief of Phi Beta Kappa magazine. And I hate this guy. J- Jim, I hate the, I've hated this guy since 1990. Yeah. Now, he wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal commentary entitled, Is There a Doctor in the White House? Not if you need an MD. And he's insisting very snarkily that Dr. Jill Biden should refer to herself as Jill Biden because she's not a medical doctor. Right. That's what he's saying. Oh, she's not a medical doctor. No. No. I mean, the, the problem is that she a lot of people were mistaking her for a medical doctor. Like Whoopi Goldberg. Like Whoopi Goldberg, the Democratic Party spokesperson, apparently. They and, wanted her to be. I think Whoopi, you pointed out on the show that Whoopi suggested that Dr. Jill Biden become Surgeon General. Yes. Because yes. she has a doctorate in English. In education. Oh, in education. That's right. My my father has a doctorate. He had a he had a uh, plaque on his desk, Doctor Robert W. Earl, but that's because it was in a an educational setting. Mm-hmm. It was in the proper setting. Yeah. And he had a do- your your dad had a doctorate in psychology. Psych- psychology, yeah. And yet he would examine your prostate. He wouldn't examine it. He'd have somebody else do it. Well, he took. Okay, let's move on. His lab assistant, <laughs> my my uncle. <laughs> well, I have well, a so major. He, said he was the lab assistant. I, you know, I put so many things. Go ahead. Yeah, I have a Joseph Epstein is a pig. I've hated him since 1990. He wrote a piece, and and Barbara Tomlinson in 1990 called him out in the Oxford University Press, Epstein was writing about political correctness all the way back in 1990. This is the guy who wrote the the Jill Biden commentary for uh, the Wall Street Journal. And Barbara Tomlinson, listen to this, Jim. Uh, Epstein presupposes and relies on our agreed upon understanding of what may count as textual anger and what, and what may count as humor when he provokes all feminists in general by comparing pit bulls, guns, to feminists. This is unbelievable. So he got a lot of, he wrote a, a humor piece, Joseph Epstein for Phi Beta Kappa magazine in 1990. And then uh, in the New York Times in 1990, I remember this. Uh, mm-hmm. This is what... Uh, So people complained about Joseph Epstein back in 1990 because he was attacking feminists. He said that uh, in the first of these two items, I remarked upon the snarly humorlessness. This is Joseph Epstein in his letter to The New York Times defending himself. In the first of these two items, I remarked upon the snarly humorlessness of academic feminists noting that their behavior made understandable the joke, their behavior makes understandable the joke, the joke about the couple in Manhattan who, to ward off burglary, burglary, argued about whether to get a revolver or a pit bull and finally compromised and got a feminist. Yeah. That's the first, yeah. He's talking about first wave feminists. You don't remember my act? 
He stole a joke from my act, this Joseph Epstein, who writes for the National Review, and he used to write for Bill Crystal's Weekly Standard. He thinks he's funny. And like 31 years ago, he stole this joke. I used to do a joke about I I, I want a gun. My wife wants a pit bull. So we compromise and we got a feminist. This was 30 years. And then the audience would boo and I would play with the and this MFer stole that joke from me and took credit. When, when for did it. he write that? When In 1990. That? I dug it up from The New York Times. But when did you get in comedy? Huh? When did you get in? Com- when did you first write that joke? I was doing that joke like in 88. You were ahead of your time. And he, Joseph Epstein, the snarly bitch who attacks Jill Biden, stole one of my jokes 30 years ago. And he's a pussy. Oh. And I challenge him. He lives in New York. If you want to fight, I think he's probably 80 now. I'll meet you on the corner of 53rd and 5th Avenue. And let's fight it out, you MFer, joke thief. But Dave, you don't live on 53rd and 5th. You live on... Personal, speaking of pieces of... Address. Yeah, well, uh, 1414 Bonnie Meadow Lane. I don't, I don't dislike Jill Biden because of any of that. I dislike her because she's Joe Biden's wife. Yeah. And keeping helping this charade continue for statistic purposes yes by the way uh henry kissinger had a doctorate too he was dr henry kissinger so was alan greenspan and a lot of other horrific people in public service yeah personal finance guru dave ramsey this man is gonna make you go broke helene olin from the washington post and i talk about him all the time he's a fraud he talks about personal responsibility, you know, tear up your credit card. Mm-hmm. He never addresses the fact that there's no safety net. It's he's a Republican and an evangelical Christian. So, of course, he has one of the most popular radio shows because that's what AM radio is. Evangelical Christians, personal finance gurus who preach personal responsibility instead of a safety net, human excrement. Dave Ramsey, according to the Washington Post, threw a maskless Christmas party for hundreds. That's Dave Ramsey. United Health has hired a former Trump official who helped pick it to dispense recovery funds. William Brady was chief of staff to the deputy secretary of HHS. I guess he worked for Azar. And yeah. he's going to go work for United Healthcare, Jim. You won't see that going on in the Biden administration. You mean you did- dispense the recovery funds to the wrong people after the Democrats voted for this. (laughs) Yeah. Everything's going to be different. Everything's going to be fine. I can go back to brunch and have my avocado toast and whatever the fuck it is you people do. Do you really, this is from the Washington post United healthcare group was hired by HHS to dispense $30 billion in COVID recovery funds to healthcare providers affected by the pandemic. Do you think Biden would get away with that? Yes, I think, of course. They're hiring United Healthcare 
a middleman is hiring itself as a using itself as a middleman to dispense this is this is it's just horrific corruption and it's not going to change it is going to change jill biden is a doctor and she should be in charge of she's going to be in charge of joe biden's stroke okay stroke number five she's going to have him kind of swaddled like a heirloom baby (laughs) underneath her bed and after he has his fifth stroke, and then he's going to uh, wheel him out every holiday, like like that scene from Citizen Kane, where <laughs> Charles Foster Kane is being wheeled around in his wheelchair, and then she's going to be in control of foreign policy, kinda, and yeah, you know, whatever. Citizen Kane is on Turner Classic Movies right now, and nobody can do Joseph Cotton. I wish there was somebody I knew who could do Joseph Cotton. He was so great. In the magnificent. Uh, Charlie never knew the real meaning of love. He just wanted everyone to love him. Well, hey, nurse, nurse, you wouldn't happen to have a cigar, would you? <laughs> Mr. Cotton, it's good to have you. Read the headline here. Remember Jerry Falwell? Read this headline and then go away, Joseph Cotton. Ew. <laughs> Well, in his final years at Liberty, Jerry spent millions on pro-Trump causes. <laughs> no, uh, I don't want to blow out your... You remember ne- Harry Nielsen? Yeah, I loved his songs. And, and you know who destroyed his voice? John Lennon? Yep. Made him scream, do primal scream into a microphone until there really? was literally blood on the microphone. And then Harry Nielsen drank himself to death uh, because he lost his voice. John Lennon, we lost him 40 years ago. There's Aaron Berg. Why don't you, you want to join us? We're just wrapping up the news. It's 530. I'm going to run on. We're just wrapping up the news. Jim, can you stick around? Um, well, I got to eat. It, but, uh, you want to come back at 730 and go over the cabinet with me? Oh, I thought we were going to do that. Now. I know it's just we're running. We're running behind. Let me just wrap up this Jerry Falwell story. Jerry Falwell has dropped junior has dropped his lawsuit against Liberty University back in August. He stepped down because he and his wife had a pool boy. And allegedly, Jerry liked to watch his wife sleep with the pool boy and they were funneling money to him. It was Liberty University money. And then they found accounting irregularities. Now, Politico has an amazing story that everybody should go read. They've uncovered the millions of dollars that Jerry Falwell transferred from Liberty University to Donald Trump. Isn't that surprising? Let he who is without a pool boy not have sex with their pool boy. <laughs> Politico I mean, writes, Jesus, this is, this is a big Jesus story. Never married by the way, whatever. Jesus, I, yes, you he don't was. know about his life. The first 30 years of his life. He was married. Mystery. He was, was married uh, to Mrs. Christ. Completely obliterated by early Christians because that he spent those first uh, 20 or eight or 30 years uh, using his superpowers for evil. <laughs> Jesus was married. That's why he didn't want anybody to take him down off the cross. The alternative was better. <laughs> Supposedly Mary Magdalene might have been his wife. That's the latest. Yeah, one. yeah. Or Judas, I think. Oh, it was Satan. gay? 
Satan, I think probably Satan and, and Jesus had an affair. Okay, we got to we got to stay on schedule today. People are complaining that, uh, but according to Politico, the Liberty University has stretched the boundaries of tax status for nonprofit organizations. And Mary Beth Baggett, she's a Liberty graduate. She told Politico, she's like a whistleblower, quote, the apparatus of the university has turned more and more towards political ends and concerns. Quote, obviously the school is conservative, yes, but I don't feel like it was ever so agenda-driven as it was in the last four or five years. That's when Jerry Falwell Jr. It's shocking. It's shocking. Since 2016, University, Liberty University President Jerry Falwell Jr. pumped millions of the nonprofit religious institutions funds into Republican causes. And he created a think tank and sent money to Trump advisor Sebastian Gorka, Trump attorney Jenna Ellis, that crackpot. And they set up a think tank called Falkirk, which combines mm -hmm. the name Falwell and that young GOP activist Charlie Kirk. Anyway, that's What's this uh, got to do with the pool boy. Well, it's not just money. Let's bring in Aaron Berg because I want to. Aaron Berg joins us, and I. But before we go, I would like to say hello to Martha Previtt, the Melania Trump of Melania Trumps. Uh, yes. We were going to. Martha, are you there? Oh, I think there's pictures there. Oh, never mind. Anyway. Is there an announcement? Hello, I'm here. Oh, there you go. Hello, Martha Previtt. Everybody should go to patreon.com forward slash Martha Previtt and follow her. And we're going to do another Diabetic Fury in January, right? Yes. Thank you, Davey. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jim, if you want to come back. Okay. That's, oh, Jesus She's Christ. having an affair with Rudy Giuliani. She has the best doctors in the world by okay. the way and this is the only well you know if that's the only side effects that can happen after getting covid then why not all right all right thank you jim come back at 7 30 we'll go over the cabinet thank you martha let's now go to forest hills where aaron berg is standing by he's the host of in hot water and 25 sets is the name of his comedy special Download it on Amazon and iTunes. Hello there, Aaron Berg. Hello, David. How are you today? Where are you? You look like you're in an office. It's my new office. I've just started a corporation called fuckthepoolboy.org. That's <laughs> uh, a Christian organization, right? It is. Uh, you know, I wish my wife would sleep with the fishes. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> What a you, fucking look at. I'm, I'm going to say this, and I know it has nothing to do with gender. My wife's fucking an idiot. I don't know how to politely put it. And I know comedians have done this for years. My wife is so stupid. Last night I put out a cigar on her face and she's still alive. I don't understand. <laughs> Come on. That's she's, you can't. Do, that's I, I, can't, I just did. I know she, you just I, did. She, she's so fucking dense, David. And God love her. I love her like a, a puppy that Lenny from Mice and Men would get at. <laughs> she's just like. So we go look at a house yesterday in Jersey. I'll get to your political stuff. Uh, no, this is this is politics. I love when you have uh, women with accents farting. I feel like I'm back on my show. And, uh, 
I just made. <laughs> my name is Miss Borat. My vagina is bleeding too much. I've lost many hemoglobins. Sometimes I fart out the front asshole when husband gets offended. Um, is that from him or is that from you? That's him meshed with me. Uh, That's, I, you know, I met Sasha Baron Cohen once at a movie premiere, and uh, and then uh, I was pulling my penis out, and it turned out it was his younger daughter that he was tricking me with. Oh, wait, that's Giuliani. But uh, what happened was <laughs> we go look at a house yesterday in Jersey because I, I want to move. I want a house. We find this gorgeous house, beautiful house. You know, I've been doing this for years. We look at the house. We're kind of rushed seeing it, but we go, this is a great house. It's on two thirds of an acre. There's a wow. koi pond. There's a stream. There's a heavily wooded area where I could fuck my prey. And um, <laughs> it's like, so we go, this is probably the place to go. And then uh, we get home. My wife's exhausted. Whenever she looks at houses, she's exhausted because she's thinking about how much money I'm going to spend. And then uh, in the car, we get out. Today, she texts, I take the train every fucking day into the city. Now. She's taken the train twice since we've come back from our self-imposed quarantine over the fake virus, as her uh, <laughs> father calls it. And then uh, and the, the old China Hachu, he calls it. <laughs> and we are... Uh, we, I take the train, so she gets to drive the Benz every day. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, why do you have a Benz as a Jew? Mercedes hired many Jews to clean bodies out of their factory. <laughs> so I, uh, I take the train in every day. She texts, do you have my keys? I go, no, <laughs> I have my keys. Did you leave them in the car? She goes, no. Am I stupid? minute later they're in the car mm -hmm. she left the keys locked in the car so all somebody if you want a free mercedes it's right out front on the, on my street right now uh which is my wife is a dummy uh avenue and now in uh, all fairness was, in all fairness there's nothing fair she just texted me <clears throat> and goes i don't think that's the house am i allowed to say that a, a gorgeous house she, she gives as house. good as she takes i've watched her on there was a woman i was performing yeah. About two years ago, and I heard a woman talking about her husband, and I immediately, this has to be Aaron Berg's wife. Nobody would talk this way about, and, and I said, are you, yeah. So she, yeah. It, just so it's, it's for comedic effect. It's. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, uh, <laughs> last night we went and did a show together. You're not God, supposed to, you can't be performing. People are oh, dying. Boy. No, no, this one was okay. It was inside really small space, a lot of people. <laughs> so it was... Uh, oh, so it was religious. Those, it was okay. Yeah, yeah, it's not as big. It was 400 Hasids, and we all played a game called Pull the Sideburns. And uh, <laughs> we did a show, and I'm telling you, she asked why she can't open for me. David, she walked seven people. And I go up, there's two people left. And I go up, and I go, she just fucking... Why don't I get to open for you? Do you know what a fucking opener does? They right. bring the crowd in. They don't fucking walk. What would Andrew Dice Clay said if his wife said, why won't you let me open for you? You fucking dummy. <laughs> why are you speaking instead of goggling my jism <laughs> soup, you fucking... All right, all right. <laughs> oh, I... 
I should have gave you AIDS when all I All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, 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 okay. He would he would be slightly politically incorrect. But the but thing so. about, you know, I can remember watching anyway, go ahead. I was gonna Andrew Dice Clay to me was less offensive than Sam Kennison because it was an act with Andrew. Yeah. I mean, Kinnison had the, the one special was phenomenal. Yes. And it became a parody of itself. Right. Uh, but when he first got his first letterman was mind blowing. He, he was amazing. Kennison was uh, a genius. Andrew isn't. But Andrew was less dangerous than Sam. But Andrew's character was pretty genius. Yes. I guess. Or it was dumb luck. But he's still I mean, he's still a he's still a god in the cringe humor community. Yeah, he's still a god. He so, is your marriage him. gonna last? What do you want me to do? Like, it's constantly, you know, you've been with me through the ups and downs of it, and and I, you know, love my wife unconditionally. But it's like at some point you have to be like, okay, this, I, I'm in a special needs relationship with this woman <laughs> because she, I'm telling you. She'll say stuff like, I'm smarter than any woman you ever had sex with. I'm like, well, you want me to break out the list, lady? <laughs> uh, and it's like, the, these things that you get, and I know that there are thousands, if not millions of brilliant women. Yes. And I would say none of them would ever say, I'm smarter than anyone you've ever had sex with. Um it's just uh, puzzling to me. Now, are you turned on by by smart? You know, they they say that women are turned on by smart men. Are you turned on by smart women? I will often remember what originally attracted me to my wife, and it was like seeing her on stage, being funny, being edgy, being uh, cute, sassy, sexy. So I try to remember those times. Instead of the constant fucking, <laughs> she fucking backseat drives while she drives. It's this insane thing. I don't know how. I have no idea how anyone fucking ever, how anyone ever put up with her. No, this is what I mean, young people are going to have to learn when we start doing comedy again in the clubs. That mm -hmm. if you're in a relationship, you times hate the person you're in that relationship with mm -hmm. and it's healthy to complain about the person you're in that relationship because you're letting off steam yeah. and it's not necessary sometimes it's hateful and misogynist and sexist sometimes it's just funny to hate yeah. the person you are married to Last night, I took her to the boiler room and I was letting off steam out of the pipe <laughs> right in her face. No, see, you can't do That's no good. Uh, that's that's no violence good. I, towards the boiler women. room. I mean, the gay bar on East. Oh, Fourth OK. Street, and, the, the and by yeah. steam, you mean. OK. Um, and then we had to, I had to deal with this all week. I went on Jim and Sam today because I said yeah, on my show. I put various things up my asshole and uh, like a bike seat and abacus, just random things, because I think it's funny to me. Do you really do that? that? Oh, yeah. Why and, am I watching uh, my show? Why am I not watching your you, no, seriously on your show? You do this? Oh, yeah. On our show, we do that on Compound Mania. Stick you, ran, I put a bicycle seat up my ass while we played Queens. I want to ride my bicycle. All right. You didn't uh, do that. You didn't do that. I, I did. I'll send you a video clip of it. Um, but it didn't go all the way up. It wasn't, there weren't fissures popping everywhere. It was just that 
just a tip, you know, just enjoyable, uh, <laughs> like you at your bar mitzvah. But um, my point is, I'd been dealing with like online people are going, you're very clearly gay and in this marriage. Uh, just to cover that up. And I don't think I would be because I feel very confident with my sexuality. Oh, that's your gay buzzer. Hang on. I, I ask. Go, go ahead. It, it's. Uh, Do you have a delivery? It's okay. Okay. And you, I, I'm pretty sure you don't want to let that go. I sent you something. Go ahead. You sure? Positive. So, someone's real. Is it like an ex-wife or no, something? No, no. Just... You've got a grin on your face like you nope. just ordered a hooker that's really <laughs> spurned or something. And you're like, you better be here by four if you want to suck me off after that. I go live. <laughs> and she's like, I swear, David, it's only you. It's only you, baby. There's no one else. And now she has the audacity to show up this close to six o'clock, or as you call it, the dreidel hour. And she's just outside. David, David. There's a whore that lives in 11F. There's a whore that lives in 11F. I am purposely saying I'm, I'm, I'm laying low because I'm worried I'm going to hurt somebody. So I'm just laying low. I get it. And, right? Just don't. Just don't. I'm not. And just do my show and read and stay away from people because when I'm this under <clears throat> the psychological weather, I tend to lash yeah. out at people other because you can't take you can't internalize the rage. Then you get depressed. I'm a little pissed off. So that's why you saw most me. people are getting most people are internalizing it. Very mm. few people are lashing out in person. I've seen stuff on the I saw people smoking crack on the subway today and it would have I used to speak out and go really you got to do that and here I'm, now i'm just like do whatever you want to do we're just mm -hmm. trying to get through this bullshit right i i internalize it i don't get depressed i have a, a day or two where i get depressed i'm also fantasizing about drinking again and, how long have you been uh, sober drinking about eight years wow uh see people you know something and how long you've been married uh, four. Yeah, I know it's less than five because I'm still in New York. The two things. Divorced right before five. The do, do you hear me? The applause. The audience applauding. Yes, I do. Yes. People applaud. You. Why is it that people applaud when you give the number of years you've been married and the number of years you've been sober? Why do you think audiences equate the two? Because most people can't do it. <laughs> Oh, I thought it's they're applauding how much you've been able to put up with. Your instinct, my instinct will say, Aaron, you're unhappy, pursue happiness. Mm -hmm. And you're not happy in a marriage. Uh, but I know that the benefits sometimes outweigh the disdain that you go through. Um, so people know how hard it is. It's easy to walk away from a marriage. You, you've had eight, but it's hard to uh, just bear down and go, all right, we're going to make it work. And sometimes it feels uh, it's really difficult. Sometimes it's really difficult. I, I literally just, she texted me right before this. She goes, am I okay to say I don't like that house? I go, I'm doing a podcast right now. And she wrote right. back, you're angry. And I don't want to talk to her right now. 
Right. I don't, uh, every instinct in me, either as a man or as who I am is to say, well then fuck off, go find your own place, go live in a fucking hovel in Brooklyn. And I'm going to, I would rather be a hundred other places. I moved to South Carolina. I could buy a boat. I could be golfing. I could just say racist things into a microphone and make six (laughs) figures a year. And then I, I wouldn't have a problem. But instead, I got to stay here in New York because my wife wants to stay here because her dream is to become a big New York stand up. That's on hold, Um, you know, and I can't just say, well, you know, because my dream came true, which was to be a repeat guest on a podcast that doesn't pay. um, (laughs) You know, my dream already happened. So I have to let her do that. But now you you still ride the subways. And if memory serves, you got to see one of your heroes riding the subway once. Right. David Feldman, six train going uptown. Uh, I was coming from Midtown. It was before 59th Street because I used to get off at 59th and go to Astoria where I would transfer to the, I believe, the R or something. Where was it? And I saw you and you just a man of the people. You were you were like Pacino in The Devil's Advocate. I got to ride with him to understand him. <laughs> and you were just standing there. And I told Gino, I go, do you know who that is? And he goes that's a woman peeing in her pants. And I said, no, no. N- next to her, that guy, the kind of older looking guy, he goes, oh, no fucking idea. I go, I go, that's, uh, he's on the fucking, uh, it's, uh, what is fucking, uh, I know and he goes, oh, I know him. He's that, he's the <laughs> lawyer guy that goes, have you suffered mesothelioma? <laughs> and I go, no, it's not him. It's a different guy. He goes, who's that? I go, That's, that guy was on MTV. That's David Feldman. Mm. He, he goes, who the fuck cares? <laughs> and I go, it's pretty cool. He's on the subway. That's awesome. Do you think he's rich? He goes, I don't know. I go, stay on the train. I'm going to follow him and rape him. <laughs> And he goes, why would you do that? I go, look at him. He's got that one of those asses that's kind of saggy, got a bit of cellulite. And I bet he, he wouldn't even notice. If I followed him all. He goes, okay. well, I, I'm just curious. What, not knowing that somebody was looking at me, did I look unhappy? Did I look? Did I look self-satisfied, smug? You aloof? did not. I'm gonna say this. You didn't look A, finished. You didn't look B, over the hill. You didn't look C, disappointed. You looked like a man with an idea and he was going somewhere. And you looked quintessentially New York. Hmm. I'd seen other people on the subway more famous than you. Do you remember the show Eastbound and Down? Yes. Uh, Danny Danny, McBride. Yeah. The last of the really good edgy shows. So many shows that get pitched now are it's eastbound and down meets me fucking a guy. Right. It's like, um, but the guy that played his sidekick, uh, Stevie, I think, and he was very kind of special needs. I saw him at West Forth and he was shit can drunk, just Mm -hmm. waiting to get on a train. And I saw him and you have this moment where you see someone famous and you're like, oh, that's that guy. But as you 
get older and, and deal with those awkward you know you just don't say anything you just go oh that's cool that i got to see that person or you can walk up and be like hey man I really what now what year did you see me i'm just out of curiosity what 2004 five six no 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 in the past four or five years <clears throat> oh when i moved to new york where where were you before that la yeah thank god you came here right yeah what a great time yeah uh yeah so when do the clubs open up when do we start doing this again the clubs are gonna they're gonna die they're they're going this is the uh this is gonna be a nail in the coffin to a bunch of places i would be shocked if caroline survives um i think gotham will be fine i'm hoping the stand is fine i'm sure the seller will be fine i heard the seller i heard all right what you can say it no i heard that the seller is closed like closed close well i don't know i mean i don't think they're out of business they, they but how do they survive are, are they getting a reprieve a moratorium on rent i mean he the owns, rent is so he owns those buildings he the does owns their buildings yeah that, that's why uh so far as i know um but this is you know this is just it doesn't make sense at this point, you can't close. And I don't mean to sound like a red pilled guy. I mean, yeah. Do I think Tom Hanks and his wife fuck kids at parties? Sure. Uh, do I, do I go stand outside the white house, shape myself into a giant queue and let a baguette come out of me so that people know it's a queue? Yeah. Would you call me QAnon? Oh, do I think the president's God? Yeah. Um, but yeah, what is the crack? And I can't keep, I cannot keep up. I have no idea about anything QAnon. I don't follow any of it. All right. I I have a friend that went like full QAnon. She actually believes in all that stuff. We have, we have a, uh, a cousin who went from Obama, uh, voted for Hillary reluctantly and I was full on QAnon and a Trump supporter. And it's the first time until you see a cousin deteriorate this way. It's the first time where I actually thought, oh, my God, this really is a virus. This really is. It, it, it's like a cult. It grabs innocent people who are you know, struggling. It's terrifying until it yeah. until you see it happen. It all seems an abstraction. But, but uh, on the other side is the same thing when people talk about like the Trump derangement syndrome or whatever they call it. That's that's a real thing, too. Extremism I will give you this. Both sides. I well, will give you this. Yes. I prob- a blowjob in a car. Yes. A blowjob in a car. And yeah. we have to wrap it up in five minutes. I'm going to do this show on time today. I'm I'm shocked because last week I had to pay a babysitter four extra hours as I sat and watched you strum guitar chords on a YouTube tutorial. Go ahead. <laughs> See, I don't know where the ideas are going. They just come out. Yeah. You and I disagree probably on most things politically. Women's rights, (laughs) uh, the ability to vote, the place of Jews in the media, Uh uh, BLM, and finally, the name of Colin Kaepernick's Ben and Jerry ice cream. Right. And I don't want to know what you would call it. Can I tell you what my friend Monroe Martin called it, who is a brilliant black comedian? No. No, a brilliant black no. comedian. No. Oh, you're saying black voices don't matter on your show, David? 
Is that what you're saying? Uh, <clears throat> he said it should be called Neapolitan. Neapolitan. Okay. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like that. It's not, it's not, yeah, not offensive. Go ahead. But the KKK is silent in knee, and that's why it's <laughs> offensive. That's why I don't approve. You and I don't agree on much, other than your comedy genius. I do believe that I have suffered from Trump derangement syndrome. I think Jim Earl would say I suffer from Trump derangement syndrome. I refuse to believe that he is ever right about anything. And there are some things. And the thing that I'm very worried about is that in about 90 days, there's going to be the you can shape a narrative leaving out some crucial points and say, boy, he was a lot better than Biden. And and people will be saying that more than you more than you think. Right. Uh, I'm going to say this when it's going to come to first of all, anything bad that pops up during the Biden presidency, people go, well, this is because of Trump's policies. Um, the important thing moving forward is that when we go to a war or something, which will happen because Biden is an old school American politician who is a master of graft, uh, they'll go, oh yeah, Trump never sent us to war. So it's gonna be examples like that. When gas prices rise, it's gonna be examples like that. It's gonna be, you're going back to old school America, which wasn't really that great, but it's just gonna be less of a sideshow. And I, I love this country. Look, when I go to my rallies every weekend and I perform my freestyle bebop rap music <laughs> into a megaphone, I put on my Proud Boy shirt and I go, look, guys, we're here to just stop Antifa. And if there's no Antifa, we're hitting old ladies. <laughs> That's what we do. It's dwindling. The people that think he won, whether you think he did or not, and I know you don't, it's dwindling. Like the marches are getting less and less and it's becoming more of an outside thing than the, the lawsuits are getting thrown out. Yeah. Hey. Where are you performing? And I don't want to plug your gigs, but I guess where are you where are you spreading the disease? I will be uh, coughing on people at a new place called <laughs> <laughs> um, Loogies. Is Loogies opened? Loogies hasn't opened yet. They're waiting. Uh, it only holds 800 people. Currently, they can get 700 in. Uh, I'm going to be in Florida this week. So everything is legal in Florida. I don't know if you've read this. One of the safest places. I don't read the paper. Uh, <laughs> Orlando Thursday. It's safe so as long Friday. as you don't work for Ron DeSantis and keep right. track of covid cases then yeah. it's safe uh and then i'll be uh i'll be smoking crack like a mare and passed out naked with men near my side uh boca black box on saturday whoa, 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 whoa. are black you actually box. playing a cl- seriously yes what, what are you doing clubs no no see, you know, be serious I'm doing clubs you're doing a club it, improv orlando the improv in orlando thursday the mahaffey theater in st petersburg friday now the improv is a 400 seater. There'll be less than a hundred people in there. The Mahaffey theater holds 2,100 people. They're capping it at 600 people, socially distanced windows open. Uh, meet and greets will only be mouth kissing. They'll be after the show. 
And uh, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing clubs. We're doing clubs down there. I, I, I am very curious. I don't approve. I'm shooting it as part of a mini special. Okay. We shot 15 minutes in New York, outdoors, socially distanced. This is the flip side of the story. I'm going to go right. to Florida. I'm going to catch COVID on Thursday <laughs> and um, get get through it. I think I already had it because my penis didn't work two days ago. Is that a side effect? They say it causes infertility. I want you to have a great show. Thank I'm very you. proud of you for keeping it on time. You're you're really responsible, and you should be uh, running these things on um, all the time. You know, it's really a good thing that you do, and I'm glad to see you're in a good mood now. Finally, thank you. You've talked yourself out of your uh, horrible place. Aaron Berg, follow him on Twitter at Aaron Berg Comedy, and Twenty Five Sets is the special. In Hot Water is the podcast. <laughs> I love you, Thank you. You're you're really funny. Wear a mask. Wear a mask. Now let's go to Deerfield, Massachusetts, where the ungentlemanly farmer, John Ross, is standing by. Hello, Mr. Ross. Howdy. 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 Hi. How you doing? Good. Now we have a big snowstorm coming this this week, right? You know what I call that? What? Flake news. That's a pretty stupid joke. Hey, on uh, this show, I'm not, we got to stop the steal, man. Yeah, we got to stop the steal. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe Johnny Steel. We got to stop <laughs> Johnny Steele. this guy. Yeah, you said you, you had. Hey, why, I, why don't we have Johnny on the show? I'm always suggesting people. There's so many people, and you keep coming back to me. Why do you have to hock me at China? You could be having so many. When's the last time you talked to Will Durst? Okay, I'll have Will Durst on the show. There's uh, a million people. I have Johnny Steele is hilarious. You're right, and Roy Zimmerman. Brown, he won't answer your calls. Roy Zimmerman. There's the man. This is who you're talking oh, about, right? Oh yeah. Right. There's the man. You love oh, that yeah. man, right? Good man. The best. Uh, um, so did, you said you had uh, President Trump still shows no signs he will concede. No, no, he, nor should he. Right. You got to you got to fight. You got to fight for your right <laughs> to steal your money. party. Yeah, steal your party. Very good. What is going on? This is from the New York Times. Despite recently suffering the most consequential in a string of defeats in his quest to subvert the results of November's election, he insists, quote, not over. He, you know, the Electoral College just put him over the top about a half hour ago or something. California. Biden. He's, he does have the votes. He does have the votes. Um, yeah. So the Electoral College and I guess Biden's going to speak tonight. Um, so everything's fine. Right. <laughs> Don't worry about a thing. Go right back to shopping. Now, you buy real estate, as I understand. For three million dollars, you can buy Donald Trump's childhood home in Queens, which for some reason nobody wants to purchase. Really? Yeah. Some faithful asked to donate three million to buy his boyhood home. That seems a little steep. Yeah, but what would you turn his boyhood home into? 
uh, a crater. (laughs) (laughs) Donald Trump still fighting this. Oh, this is from what does it say? This is a tweet that he put out on December 13th. Just cross out election. (laughs) (laughs) It says most corrupt election in U.S. history. And John Ross says take out the word corrupt. Most corrupt in U.S. history. No, take out most election in U.S. I I know. I ruined your joke on purpose. Most corrupt in U.S. history. Let me do that. Hang on. I can annotate this. That's very funny. Let's do that. That's that's a visual joke. I I, I don't understand. Your show is now some kind of hybrid of... No, not corrupt. Most election in U.S. history. Moron. I'm a moron. Yes, I am. All right. Yes, I am. You look good. You look rested. I feel good. Just right, got but, back from swimming at the Y. You were swimming at the Y. Is that safe? Yeah, you know, they only let four people in the pool at once. Yeah. So Chlorine? Uh, I guess the chlorine kills it, right? The chlorine kills it, and it's you're really not worried about surfaces. You're worried about you know r- respiratory drops in the air. It's a giant room. They uh, closed for a while and replaced the ventilation system. I go in with a mask. I don't see anybody. I go in. I peel off my clothes. I jump in the pool. I swim my thirty laps, and uh, I miss I'm swimming. Out. I miss yeah. swimming. It's the best thing you can do. Yeah, it is. So Trump is castigating Bill Barr for not making public the investigation into Hunter Biden. The Justice Department has launched an investigation into Hunter Biden, but Bill Barr didn't want to make it public. Are we going to live with this over our heads for the next four years, how corrupt the Biden family is? Mm, You know, there'll be there'll be some of that. I don't know. I mean, who's. Who's going to be going after him? The Senate, assuming Georgia doesn't turn out the way we want. Yeah, what if Georgia turns out the way we want it to? Then who's going after him? How will voters remember Donald Trump? Don't look at this yet. This is a Fox News poll that we're looking at. Okay, but I'm not looking at it. Don't the rest of us are looking at it. Fox News conducted a poll. How will you remember Donald Trump? One of the country's greatest presidents, above average, average president, below average, one of the country's worst president, don't know. What percentage said he's one of the country's worst presidents ever? Of Fox viewers or? It's a Fox News poll. And remember, they called Arizona for Biden but first. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't, they don't necessarily just poll their own viewers. They, right. Right. So they run. So how, what percentage of people said he was the worst president ever? I'll say it's in the high teens, low 20s. 42 percent say Donald Trump is the worst president ever. But they said the same thing about George W. Bush. And now people can be right. You can be right twice. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, this is is Yeah. U.S. Code seven. This is uh, from the U.S. Code. And uh, it says the electors of president and vice president of each state shall meet and give their votes on the first Monday after the second Wednesday in December. So the Electoral College is almost ready. Well, they're meeting in their individual state houses. Right. And you say, well, some some of them are closed and they, you know, they have like armed guards to keep and 
there are Republican electors trying to get in, like, because they want to drop off their votes and they're like not letting them in. I saw a little video of that. Did you see that? No, yeah. I've been doing the show. So what time did it start? We started five. So Biden is supposed to get 306 electoral votes. Trump is yes, supposed yeah. to get 232. Did he get his 306 electoral votes yet? I know he's gotten over 270. I don't know if every single one, if he, he's got over 270, if, if they're all 306, there were three states left to go, California, Oregon, and somebody else. They were all Democratic states. And I know, I think California put them over, but I'm, I, you know, whatever. It's, yeah. it's done. The ballots will be formally counted on January 6th, and Biden will be declared the winner by Vice President Mike Pence. Who, who now the pressure, don't you see the pressure on Mike Pence now? <laughs> that guy, there are a lot of different pressures on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that video of him running from the plane to the, that, um, I don't know, it was some stairway up to a, you know, a, 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 a stage. Did you see that? Did you see him running and no. clapping? It's unbelievable. You got to see Send it. it to me. I yeah. OK, he's running and he's clapping and it's it looks like a, a contestant on The Price is Right you know, <laughs> coming down the aisle, except somebody noticed that he was doing this thing with his, his hands where he would clap like a pendulum. Like, and he's, he's doing this and it's it's you know, I don't want to disparage. Anybody. It's the gayest run you've ever seen. Somebody put it next to uh, <laughs> one of those like 70s or 80s uh, aerobics videos with the men and women. It's like mm -hmm. super tight purple and mm -hmm. they're, they're jumping and dancing and it's side by side. And it looks he looks right out of one of those videos. It's there's a lot of pressure on that. guy. You know, he's not even 60 yet. No, I think he and I are. Oh, wait, is he younger he's, than me? Yeah, he is. He's ballooning up. He is holding a lot of stuff in. And he declares who the president is on January 6th. And he'll get doxxed by the Trump supporters if he doesn't say, if he doesn't call an audible and say, I'm, I'm calling Trump the president. And then what happens if he does that? Uh, I have no idea. He's going to get doxxed. There's a story in the Washington Post about an enemies list that's on the web of state and federal officials who have not bellied up to the Trump bar and dropped at the knee, dropped at the knee and they're being called traitors. You know, the, the, the head of the, uh, the, the, the secretary of states and the attorneys generals who are all Republicans who didn't. It's is Barr, on that list? is Barr on that list now? He, I don't know yet, but I'm sure he will be. I'm sure he will be. Threats he's of a, he, he's a tricky guy to figure out what his game is. Oh, I, I think I know what his game is. What is it? Uh, I was reading. I'm obsessed with the the Trump administration now. So I've been reading around the clock since since in the past two weeks. I've been trying to devour every book that I can find on him. And I, th I don't know who wrote this. I think it was Wolf on his second book said that Barr needed money. So he auditioned to be, yes, he, he needed money. So he auditioned. He wrote that memo about a president not being able, you can't prosecute a sitting president. 
as an audition to be Trump's attorney general because he wanted the money and he told friends he'll make millions if he could shepherd in shepherd Trump out and a new uh, president in. So in that's what he says. He's just trying to have the Trump administration uh, make a soft landing and then bring in a new administration. That's how he'll sleep at night huh. with his sleep apnea mask. He can, he can make plenty of dough speaking now, mm-hmm. writing books, right? I mean, right. he's not hurting for anything. Right. And a lot of these Republicans are going to take credit for saying it could have been a lot worse, but we yeah. slowed it down. That's what. Meanwhile, threats of violence. That's what to, I was talking about. They closed the offices. Michigan legislative offices. They said there were credible threats. Yeah. The electors had to have a police escort in and out. And there are 16 electors in Michigan and a Republican. In in Arizona, they wouldn't say where they were meeting. They they kept it's like that to keep it secret and underground. It's like a spy movie. Like there's going to be a movie, right, where an elector gets kidnapped and right. Yeah, we should call John le Carre. He could write it. Oh, oh, that hurts. Oh, let me get my Ouija board. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't you and I write a screenplay once? You think so? Well, you wrote it. No, I never wrote it. You did the treatment. (laughs) Maybe I wrote a one pager. I remember you called me and I would say, no, 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 don't tell me. I want to see how it ends. I want to see how it ends. Just keep my name on it. A Republican Michigan lawmaker has been punished for suggesting there might be violence at the meeting of he he liked being punished so right right his name is what is his gary no that's gary eisen is the radio host right no no he's the representative this is bad podcasting we're reading off of a screen what's going on uh, Gary Eisen is a Michigan representative, a Republican. He was asked, can you assure me that this is going to be a safe day in Lansing, that nobody's going to get hurt? <laughs> and this Republican state representative said, no, I don't know, because what we're doing today is uncharted. It hasn't been done. So he's been censored by the state. Four years. Huh? It's never been done other, other than every four years. Right. Right. So he's been stripped of his committee assignments. Wisconsin Supreme Court denied a last-ditch Trump effort to toss 200,000 votes out, specifically from Milwaukee and Madison County. That was on Monday. Four to three yeah. decision. And there, yeah, and it was a Trump, wasn't it a Trump-appointed uh, judge? Conservative-leaning kind of, court, four to three. That's pretty tight. I know. But some of it is just like, they're saying we're not even going to hear this because it's bullshit. And so three of them get to say, well, we should have heard it. Doesn't mean right. they would have ruled, you know? Yeah. Man was arrested in Olympia, Washington during a pro Trump demonstration and went violent. And here, here we go. Did you watch any of the news over the weekend? Vandals yeah, hit black they're... churches in Washington, DC during a yes. pro Trump rally. Yeah, the Proud Boys uh, lit the banner on fire at the uh, AME Church. They're uh, 
they're a good bunch of guys. And they painted on their asses, fuck Antifa. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I, that's see, right. Yeah. They bent over <laughs> with their bare asses and with the, they're wearing like kilts, I guess. Uh-huh. With no panties. And yeah. they showed their asses and it said F-U-C-K and then Antifa. And it sort of looked like an invitation, like, hey, Antifa. Yeah. More <laughs> like the pride boys, if you catch my drift. The Pride Boys? Do you, do you catch my drift? I don't catch your drift. Well, because they call themselves the Proud Boys. Oh, Pride, I see. And Pride would mean they were gay, which, yeah. Here we go. Not Violence at Trump MAGA rally. This is from the Daily Mail. Yeah, he's got stabbed. At least four protesters are stabbed during battles between BLM activists and the defeated president's supporters in Washington, D.C. This is from the Daily Mail. Clashes erupted between members of the Proud Boys and Black Lives Matter protesters on Saturday night after thousands of Trump supporters gathered for the second million MAGA march. Were there a million guys? I don't know. They throw that word around like, you no, know. They didn't have that many. Four, eight people a- in total were taken to the hospital including two police officers. Cops made at least 23 arrests as the Proud Boys and BLM protesters fought. The massive pro-Trump crowd had gathered after the Supreme Court issued Trump with yet another loss on Friday night. The Stop the Steal rally. Stop Johnny Steele. Michael Flynn spoke to rallygoers. There were about 15,000 people. He said... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I read a thing today where he said there was a 100 percent chance that Trump would be inaugurated for a second term. Wow. So he, it sounds like he does not understand odds or percentages completely. He's, you know, anybody who Mueller, he got all the mentally ill people. Yeah, he did. Manafort yeah. is mentally ill. Manafort likes to watch his wife sleep with other guys. That's right, but I thought you said he was mentally ill. What? <laughs> Alex Jones was there, Melissa Carone, who used to be a yeah, stripper at the Bada Bing. These people are seriously need to be, you know, locked up and medicated. Yeah, yeah. Enrico Taddeo is the head of the Proud Boys. He claims he was invited to the White House on Saturday. Did you hear that? Yes, he said he was uh, invited to the White House. He tweeted that and he took some pictures. But then it was like he was on a tour that anybody could go on. And he took a couple of pictures. That's my understanding. Washington State Police declared a riot in Olympia. Does that mean the Washington State Police rioted? They declared a riot. Does that mean they... I don't know what it means. And in Sacramento, five cops were injured and six people arrested. Wow. We're just looking at pictures from. Yeah. This This is a guy in Washington, D.C. wearing a T-shirt. Tell me what his T-shirt says. It looks like it says Jesus Trump. Jesus is my savior. Trump for president. And he's being beaten up by, I would assume that's a. Black Lives Matter guy because he is African American, but there, but the Proud Boys, there's like this weird kind of overlap where there are some people yeah. of color in the Proud Boys. Yeah, I've noticed that. 
uh, somebody was stabbed, a proud boy was stabbed, and 15,000 chanted, destroy the GOP. Yes, I saw that. that is, these, uh, are, these are Trump supporters screaming, yes. destroy the GOP. There, there are credible people saying that there will be a Trump party. And I'm saying, go for it. And that supposedly he's going to have a uh, an online news presence. You know, he's going to merge with Newsmax and OAN. He's going to run it out of Mar-a-Lago. And uh, yeah. this is a picture. Our listeners can't see it, but this is about 300 of the 15,000 who showed up in D.C. on Saturday for the Stop the Steal rally. You say you see people of color. Yeah, look at that guy. Look at that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Look at the guy in the yellow plaid on the left with the sunglasses. Yeah. Right? And the guy next to him in the red hat. These are guys I watched. They wouldn't, a lot. They wouldn't be letting the country club. They, yeah. Oh, they would not be allowed in Donald Trump's country club. Right. These are guys who watch mixed martial arts and... They're not in shape to do it professionally. They're looking for a reason to be punched and get punched. There are people who enjoy the thrill of punching and being. Have you ever been punched, Johnny Ross? I'm being serious. Not, not in a long time. You're obsessed with this. Well, I have been punched, and I, I was punched. You've been punched, but you can't. But you say your greatest fantasy is to like pull some guy out of a Porsche and beat the shit out of him yes. while his girlfriend watches. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. yeah. I'd rather do that than have sex with Natalie Portman. Yes. Yes. So I understand. Why aren't you out there? He's <laughs> have you ever felt the sting, the bracing awareness that comes with a punch to the face? And not since ninth grade. I All don't right. Think. This is these guys. You know how some people cut themselves because yes. it, it makes them feel alive. Sure, people, it's hard it. to believe, but boxers and MMA people enjoy the. It's like to them, it's like when we put on aftershave. <laughs> that 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 bracing feel. They enjoy it. It wakes them up. They're looking yeah. for a fight. Okay. They enjoy it. It's hard for people to believe that. Well, it's not it's not that hard to believe. Oh, hey, she got. Yeah, she got the a New York vaccine. nurse is believed to be the first vaccinated in America. Her name is Sandra Lindsay, and she was inoculated at Long Island Jewish Medical Go Center. Go, Sandra. I think it was a good idea if, if you if you don't want people to believe in conspiracy theories and you don't want to unleash QAnon on the vaccine, you think it's a good idea to give the very first vaccine to somebody at Long Island Jewish Medical Center? You think that might keep some people from uh, getting the vaccine? You know, the people who are worried are not paying attention to where it's happening, or they don't read the... This is, this is in the Washington Post. Do you think these people read the Washington Post? You're right. I am right. Hey, Lindsay Boylan... Yeah, she did our show over the really? summer. Yeah, she was running for Jerry Nadler's seat. And if you've ever seen Jerry, oh, Nadler, yeah. you can have that seat. She was, you know, primary challenging Jerry Nadler, who covers parts of and, Manhattan. And oh, she's the one who's accusing a Cuomo. Hmm. Yeah, she was a guest on my show. 
and it went really well. She was a great guest on my show. It went really, everybody should look up Lindsay Boyle and go to davidfeldmanshow.com, do the Google search and type in Lindsay Boylan's name. She was one of our best guests ever. Is that, a, are you being sarcastic? No, or? she, this is Lindsay Boylan and uh -huh. she is a former aide to Governor Andrew M. Cuomo. And on Sunday, she accused him of sexual harassment. She said, quote, I could never anticipate what to expect. Would I be grilled on my work, which was very good, or harassed about my looks? She said on Twitter, speaking of working for, for Andrew Cuomo. All right. Well. So she made the accusation on Twitter. She has no interest in talking to journalists. And hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. And finally, CNN yeah. President Jeff Zucker is leaving on top CNN. Their ratings are surging. And he's where's he going? I think they want to get rid of him. It's owned by Warner Brothers and right. uh, and Warner Brothers is owned by AT&T, which is run by a guy named Stanky. Did you know that? John Stanky. Yes. Yes. And 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 Stanky comes from the world of telecommunications, you know, and he grew up with the name Stanky and all the cool kids made fun of him because his last name was Stanky. And now sure. he's in charge of Hollywood. Now he's in charge of all the cool kids. Stanky is. So you think he's going to be difficult to work with? I wouldn't know. I won't. I'm not there. All right. All right. We did the news. Now we can talk. Yeah, I like you know, this, don't you? I do. I thought you said you were, you were going to have pictures of the Holy City Zoo. Well, then you said you couldn't do it at five, and Jim Earl. You did it with Jim? No, I figured I'll do another oh. show where we look at pictures from the Holy City Zoo and talk about Warren and That'd Warren Spotswood. And we're waiting on... Mark Breslin to join us. So tell me about your life for the next five minutes. What would you like to know? Nothing has changed. It's uh, Chinooka. Uh, and what is it? The fourth night of Chinooka. Did you see the video with uh, Smokey Robinson? No. Smokey Robinson. It's really funny. You should look it up. Um, I guess it's a cameo. Those things where you can pay to somebody to say, you know, a, a, a greeting to your uncle or whatever. Mm -hmm. So he's, he looks great and he's super sweet. And he's saying, yeah, apparently we used to, you, your nephew says you used to live right across the street from me. So it's uh, nice to see you again. How are you? And uh, he told me, and I don't have no idea what this is, but he told me to wish you a happy Chinooka. <laughs> right. So I don't know what it is, but happy Chinooka. <laughs> Dave Cyrus and I, uh, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, is doing cameos for St. Jude Hospital, which everybody should give money to. And it's too late. He, he had to shut it down. There were just too many requests. So it was, it's so much fun. Cyrus and I were writing uh, Triumph shout outs on cameo for people who give money to, to St. Jude. And it's great because they're paying and you just get to shit on them. You just got to say horrible, horrible things to people who want, and they love it. And they love it. It's uh, I I listened to the uh, Rudy Giuliani, yes, 
uh, inter- that was very funny. At first, I thought I was like, "Is that Slayton?" That's what other it. people said. That's what I other people. Said. But then, at a certain point, I was like, "No, it's not Bobby." I could tell. Not that, and it doesn't seem like a thing he would do anyway. Um, and then I was glad when you said it at the end because I was kind of going nuts thinking about who it was. Smigel's unbelievable. Very funny guy. Yeah, we we said Cyrus, Robert, and I were talking, and we figured there's like a. A window that's uh, well because of the farting that's a window that's wide open but there's a limited number of days that you can do the rudy farting thing and since everybody has already done it we decided we'll do it more than anybody else i have i want to do one more where where he anyway he's having a con he's pretending he's talking to trump but he's farting. Anyway, it's a honestly to me the farting isn't the funniest part of it. It's all the like he he captured something about his the craziness, the way that he says stuff, and then he says it again really faster. And I don't know, he just captured it perfectly. That's the funny part to me. The farting part that doesn't you know. Well, the fa- the farting. I agree with you hundred percent. The the farting is like just it cues you to laugh. It gives you time. Why don't you do something with me? Why don't you do Cosby or so? You do voices. Why don't we write something and do it for the top of the show? Okay, contact me. Would you do it? Yeah, sure. I'll do something. That would be Hey, Jim Earl, are you here? I see a box with his name. He's hiding. He's afraid of you. You know what I call Jim Earl? What? Mr. Cool. Do you remember oh, that? Yes, movie? Mr. Cool. I remember it from, from Stank and Squirrel. What was the name of their Lank and Earl? We used to Lank call and Earl. Oh, he didn't get a reference. I, I, hang on for one second. I was talking about Joseph Epstein, who, who stole oh. one of my jokes back in 1990. Were you listening to that? No. Who's Joseph Epstein? He wrote that. Yeah, that's what I thought. What do you mean he stole one of your Because now I thought you were he was a comic. Joseph Epstein wrote the thing in the Wall Street Journal. And the Wall Street Journal should be ashamed of themselves to publish that. But uh, go ahead. Well, he's what, a piece what? of shit, Joseph Epstein. And I've known who he was since the 90s when he stole my joke. He's, he's a right-wing piece of shit, Joseph Epstein. He was the editor-in-chief right. of Phi Beta Kappa magazine. And 30 years ago, he wrote something. I, it was, I think it was for the New York Times, some, a humor piece. And he got into a lot of trouble. Uh, Barbara Tomlinson from Oxford University Press in 1990 complained that in the Hudson Review, Joseph Epstein displays some of the rhetorical characteristics of the tough baby in a polemical commentary against the left academy, where he speaks disparagingly of academic feminists as angry. Uh, he, uh, he, uh, he, the feminists roll on perpetually angry, making perfectly comprehensible the the joke about the couple in their West Side Manhattan apartment who, having been twice robbed, determined to protect themselves. He wanting to get a revolver, she a pit bull. And so they agree to compromise and instead get a feminist. And then there's a citation 28. Remember, whose joke is that? It's yours. That's my joke from like the late 80s. Yes, it is. And I remember this because a couple of people sent this to me. This is acad. This is how academia relates 
a joke that Joseph effing Epstein stole from me. Wait, what's the note say? Does it say your name? No, Joseph Epstein. Oh. Who wrote the thing about Jill Biden. And then he writes. Why did you write an angry letter? I did. I wrote him an angry note three, 30 years ago. He didn't respond. Ah. And, and, and then he wrote back. Somehow it made it to the New York Times. And uh, so he writes in the New York Times to the editor on his piece in the Hudson Review, quote, I remarked upon the snarly humorlessness of academic feminists, noting that their behavior made understandable the joke about the couple in Manhattan who, to ward off burglary, argued about whether to get a revolver or a pit bull and finally compromised and got a feminist. And then then he writes, he concludes, one tries humor at his own peril. So I wrote him an angry note 30 years ago. One steals humor <laughs> at one's own peril. You, you took the jo- not only did you steal my joke, you took it out of context. But he, he, it, it sounds like he's saying there was a joke out there. No, he, he was saying, saying no, 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 no. He was he made is. He, he says in my joke. Uh-huh. So he's a thief. He's a sexist thief. And and I love how academia just uses this tortured language to convey a joke as simple as I wanted a gun. My wife wanted a pit bull. So we compromised and got a feminist. And then the audience boos me. Yes. And then I respond with other jokes that are at my expense. That piece of shit, Joseph Epstein. You know who had a funny line about him? Uh, I thought, or about the Wall Street Journal, uh, Josh Marshall. You know who he is? Yeah, from TPM, Talking Points Memo. He he had a tweet that said, uh, "How does the Wall Street Journal feel about Captain Crunch?" (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, but the problem is Joseph Epstein thinks he's funny. He thought this was lighthearted. And if you, did you read the article? Because he was trying to be funny. I started it and it made me so angry I stopped reading. Oh, he, like, Joseph Epstein thinks he's funny. There's Mark Breslin. Do you know John Ross, Mark Breslin? No, we, no, we never met. I'm sorry to say that would have been a fun time. You guys are, uh, I enjoy your conversations. I think I, I think I was already out of stand-up and, and writing by the time uh, Mark's, uh, you know, I would have had a chance to go up to do his clubs. Well, one day when this pandemic is over, you and I are going to drive cross country like Thelma Louise and stop off at comedy clubs. I, I love performing in Canada. Uh, I performed a few times in uh, Winnipeg. That wasn't as great as Vancouver. I loved going to Vancouver. They were they knew more about American politics than the American audiences. That was of course. Great. Not that that says a lot. Yes, that's a low bar. So. All right, Johnny Ross, give my best to your. Uh, you and yours. I, I have a new way. I, don't take give give my best to your lesser half. I've decided oh. I've I've decided in light of how Joseph very, Epstein. Very, how very Joseph Epstein. Of you. Yeah. Uh, well, happy. Uh, what is it? Fourth or fifth night of Chinooka. Yes. You know, uh, I have a mixed marriage. Do my joke for Joseph Epstein to steal. <laughs> I don't think he's going to want this one. That uh, she, what? The, uh, I like the one better about the Santa. Was, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to tell that one to Mar, uh, to Mark. So oh, you do the do the I one that ends with the punchline Hamas. Do that one where the punchline yes. is Hamas. 
I celebrate Hanukkah. <laughs> she celebrates Christmas. We compromised and we celebrate. Uh, we put them together. Hamas. Right. Kind of like the pit bull and the handgun joke. Yeah. Same formula. Thank you, Johnny Ross. Follow this man on Twitter at Fun with Friction. By the way, I like doing if we, I like doing the news with you. So let's keep doing it. All right, Ryan, if you maybe like send me the things that you're going to talk about, I'll look at it. That's what Jim, Jim Earl said the same thing. And I, you guys are funny off the top of your head. So it's it's almost it's more fun if you don't see it. Whatever you want. It's not as the, it's not as if this show's important. Like you have to that nail is it. True. I am okay. I am happy to shout into the abyss with you anytime. Okay, give my best to your lesser half. Will do. Let's Goodbye. go. Let's go to Toronto, Canada, where Mark Breslin is standing by. He is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in North America, if not the world. And the other Hanukkah joke I have, Mark Breslin, if you unmute yourself, not that you'll be laughing, but just in case you decide to fake laugh. Give me a simple- <laughs> I understand. Uh, all timing, David. Right. Uh, so I have a mixed marriage. This was yes. this is from thirty years ago. Uh, so uh, you know, around the holidays, since it's a mixed marriage, uh, it's my wife's responsibility to tell the kids there's no Santa and it's my responsibility to tell the kids there was no Holocaust. <laughs> yes, I like that. I like that. It's, it's kind of, I actually have it, I had a similar joke. Really? Was, uh, yeah, I, I'm in a mixed marriage. I'm Jewish. She's German. I told her all about how to eat bagels and she shoved me in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that time of the year when we discuss whether or not it's appropriate to joke about the Holocaust. It's I, always appropriate to joke about the Holocaust if you're Jewish. Maybe not so much if you're not. But here is something. Hanukkah, well, yeah. Christmas. Hey, it doesn't really matter. It all happens in winter. And David, I hate winter. Do you know what I had to do today? I had to take my son to skating lessons, Ooh. which meant I had to stand out in the cold for like an hour. I hate that. I do not like that at all. I'm not a cold weather person. I don't ski. I don't skate. I don't toboggan. <laughs> I certainly don't play hockey. And hockey, as you probably know, is the national religion of Canada. Right. It's not just a sport. It goes way beyond sports. And I've never understood why people like this weird sport. You know, people go up the ice, then they go down the ice, then they go up the ice, then they go down the ice. And to me, the only reason to uh, chase a piece of rubber around is if it slips off. <laughs> I don't understand how this, how this thing became this important, more than important thing, this national obsession um, where when all the hockey players really are good at is, you know, uh, going back and forth and then beating up their wives. I just don't get it. So, I'm very lucky. My son is only, only wants to go around the rink. That's that's his goal to be able to do that. He has no interest in the game itself. So I'm. You don't know. Uh, he won't be. I know. Listen, he doesn't come from a hockey family. Um, my wife doesn't. We never watch hockey. We never discuss hockey. There, there's no reason to believe that that he would. I, I don't mean to pull rank on you, but I am. Go ahead. I'm very rank. You know, I'm rank. Mm. I noticed 
the, the, the kids tend to do the things that the father isn't interested in. That isn't necessarily true. I mean, Jackson has a friend who's um, also a 10-year-old, and he's into every possible kind of sport you can imagine. He's the sportiest kid. And what do the, his parents do? They own an exercise studio. Hmm. They're, they're physical beings in a way that I will never be a physical being. And, and as time goes on, I'm less of a physical being. And in the winter, I'm even more, uh, I'm even less of a, less of a physical being. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bear. I just hibernate. I'd be happy to not go out at all between November and March. Wow. And now with the pandemic, it sort of serves me well. We're just getting news. I hate to interrupt you, but we're just getting news that William Barr is out as attorney general. Oh, no. What will your country do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you this: not a smart move on Trump's move on Trump's part, because Barr handles pardons. I mean, he was the guy who handled all of George W. Bush's pardons, George, George Herbert Walker Bush's pardons. You, you know, you just can't pardon without there being investigations. And I always thought he brought in Bill Barr so he would do some lame duck pardoning the way he did for George Herbert Walker Bush when he was George Herbert Walker Bush's attorney right. general. Not a good move. Gee, I can't believe that Trump didn't do a good move. That's so <laughs> you know what I heard today? That in his last ditch attempt, his last ditch attempt to get the presidency, Trump was change, legally changing his name to Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Why you you have insight? You're, no. You yes, you do. You under you travel with people like Trump. You know people like. That. No, I do not. I wouldn't be on the same planet as somebody but, like Trump. But you understand the path. Moving that in that kind of a circle. No, but, I don't. But, but you I'm understand the pathology. The, the the he is like the the character from Monty Python on the Holy Grail, right? Where, where it's just a head. Come on, I'll fight you. I'll fight you. Remember that scene? Vaguely. I haven't seen the movie in a while. It's not my favorite Monty Python film. I agree with you. Life of uh, Brian I, is your favorite, I would yeah, say. Yeah, Life of Brian is my favorite. Monty would, of course, yes. They got better. But, um, that, that's what happens. I, I, I don't remember it. I, I don't remember well enough. But why but, is he fighting on? Why do you think? I have a, a theory. But. Because as long as he keeps fighting, he's a brand. And there's nothing that would frighten this person more than not being a brand. So he's a brand because once you're a brand, you have followers. It doesn't matter what you're a brand of. Geez, the guys from Hillbop, um, they were a brand and they could even find followers. Jim Jones could be a brand and he found followers. So how do I find followers? Well, you're going to have to just, you know, tell people they're going to have to kill themselves. <laughs> you'll have a following. Like Doe, you're talking about uh, the Haley Bob Doe, the... The, yeah. yeah, one of my favorite guys who looks so much like Pence. Um, it's really frightening. I mean, all you have to do is put a pair of white sneakers on Pence and he's a hell bop guy. Yeah, that was one of the but that was down in uh, where was that San Diego with the Nike sneakers? Yes, that's right. Heaven's Gate was the name of the Heaven's Gate. Yes. They named themselves after one of the uh, most uh, 
uh, one of the films that did poorer than anything else. Why would they do that? Why wouldn't they just call themselves E.T. or, uh, you know, uh, Star Wars? At least then they would they would have named themselves after something successful. They even named themselves after a failure. And here's here's the connection between Heaven's Gate, the cult and Heaven's Gate, the movie. What happened to Michael Cimino? I just realized something. He became a woman. And what and didn't Doe tell everybody to cut their balls off? I don't remember. That's that. part of the the cult. There he is. That's Doe. I'd follow this guy. It's Pence. I'm telling you. <laughs> Pence. Take a look. Well, Pence cut his balls off to yes. Join that cult. Room as a, he won't be in the same room as a woman. Yeah. Right. That's what, cutting your balls off. Wasn't Doe? Hey, listen, that, I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about something. Okay. That okay? Yes, of course. Well, I've been watching a lot of TV, uh, and I saw something very interesting, and I'm wondering if you've seen it. It's called, I think, Room 2048, and it's about the... Um, uh, Shining? No. No, that's another one. I saw that, too. That's interesting. But no, this is about the Dominique Strauss-Kahn case. I started watching that. It's so interesting. And so good, because without revealing anything to you or your listeners, if you haven't seen it, you start pretty much thinking the guy's a rapist. That's it's an open and shut case. And then these things start to uh, fall into the case and become uncovered that make you think, wait a minute, maybe it isn't exactly as, as it's really seems. wait. And then more evidence is in, introduced. And then you go, ah, yeah, he's the rapist. And then even more evidence is introduced. And you go, well, wait a minute, that's weird. And then, and then it has a trick ending at the very end of, of a, a piece of the puzzle that I don't remember. Um, so it, it's definitely worth watching for the four episodes. Dominic Strauss-Kahn, DSK. Yeah. I called him Notorious DSK. This must have been like 2011. He yeah. was going to be the next president of France, I believe, his politics were neoliberal, but to the left, right? He was, he was well, he was from the social, he was running for the social leader of the Socialist Party of France. I don't know how far left the Socialist Party of France is. Well, Hollande, was, Hollande ended up getting the, the nomination instead. And Hollande was pretty far to the left until he became president. And then he got forced into practicing austerity. Well, there's a suggestion, and again, I don't want to give this away, but there's a suggestion that he was set up by Sarkozy, who was running for the same position. Um, he always, this guy always had uh, a, a history of being um, a swinger. Um, he and his wife were swingers. And there, it, what's really funny, and I, I wish you'd seen the whole thing, because I think they did really- I haven't, I started watching it. I watched like the first three minutes- Oh, and then okay. the phone rang and I had to take the call. Well, what's really funny is to see all these people from France interviewed and saying things like, what is on trial here is libertinism itself. And they're all in favor of his lifestyle. But right. the Americans, of course, you know, they hate it. The fact that he would um, consort with prostitutes would immediately mean he was a rapist and they can't tell the difference. Right. The French... They can tell the difference, and they think the difference is magnifique. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's all these characters in it, these serious, you know, talking heads that talk about how great it is that 
He doesn't follow bourgeois morality. Uh, he has his own way of doing things. Yes, he goes to the prostitutes, but uh, he pays well. <laughs> do, now, do they go after the cleaning lady? Supposedly, he raped. The, he was accused of raping a cleaning lady. That's right. And do they do they go into her character? Yes, because that's what happened. That's how he got off. Well, he already, we know he got off. That's why the, dist was the district attorney in New York refused to uh, prosecute the case because there were just too many inconsistencies in her um, in 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 her uh, testimony. So. And that part is true. And she had some very unusual relationships with these drug guys in Florida. And there were tapes of her talking to the guy, to this drug boyfriend in, in, in prison in Florida saying, okay, now we've got him. Now we can really get some real money out of this guy. But, you know, I, I've come to my own conclusion on it. I don't know if I should say it because it will kind of wreck your enjoyment. No, no, I, that's okay. Well, I'm not sure that there's. it's impossible for her to be both a victim um, and an exploiter at the same time. So I think what happened is, yeah, he raped her. But I think then she went, okay, how can I make this work for myself? Right. And so I think that sort of both things are true. Yeah. It's very, it's, uh, yeah. And I have to, I'm going to watch this. She's very close with some very unsavory people, it turns out. Right, but that doesn't mean... No, but it seems like they're, they're giving her advice on what to do now. But she was either raped or she wasn't. And if she was I, raped, believe she, I believe she was raped. Then he should go to prison. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you... If no, you, if, no, but you know, you can't, you, can't you can't prosecute a case if you think there's any possibility of... Um, of it not being, you know, an, a, a slam dunk. It just, it just won't work. Um, he would have, he would have not been convicted because of the inconsistencies in her. In her. It's not, you know, you know what justice is. It's not about whether you did something or didn't something. It's can you prove somebody did something or didn't do something? And they didn't, they, they didn't think they could prove it. Right. If Harvey Weinstein, before he went to prison, yeah. he was on trial. If he were raped. Should the rapist be put on trial? Should the guy who well, ra raped Harvey Weinstein be put on the trial? The question is, if Harvey, Harvey Weinstein were raped in jail, would he make a sound? <laughs> but no, I mean, if Harvey Weinstein is raped, the guy who raped him should also be put on trial. It doesn't matter that Harvey Weinstein should be electrocuted. No, but again, you know, the way the justice system works is you only prosecute somebody you think you can win. If you right. don't think you can win, there's just too many cases. And if you don't think you can win, you the, the case goes away. That's the lawyer's, that's the defense lawyer's job. The defense lawyer's job is to set it up and set it, create so much doubt before the trial that it doesn't even happen. The trial doesn't even happen. And that's but, what they did. Right, but they, but, but it's, see, I, I didn't see the, the um, believe me, I'm gonna watch this now. It's great. It's great, you know. But they do really attack good? the character of the victim. They, they, you know, that's, and what, unfortunately, it kind of makes me happy that this goes on in France because I, I thought it only took place in America. So they blame the victim in in France. Is it an inquisitorial procedure or an adversarial one? Do they have a judge in France who does the questioning 
or is so it? No, because the no, the, the the case was not being held in France. The case was being held in the States. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. But it That's became right. a big co-celebre in France because here's this French guy being tried in America. And right. And so the French, of course, are are, are basically backing this guy. It's 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 a wonderful. Oh, OK. Wonderful, so it's 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 a look at the American that's right. Oh. But from the French point of view, which is often, you know, they're, they're wild, they're crazy. <laughs> and, and there's there's um, a dinner party. Um, he'd, he'd had a sexual assault against somebody else earlier on in France. It was a daughter of a prominent journalist who was a journalist herself. She was 22, 23. And he sexually assaulted her. It wasn't quite a rape, but it was a sexual assault. Um, and there was a a talk show that was set up like a dinner party that everybody watched. Um, and on that, in that dinner party, um, they made fun of the whole thing. They brought the girl, woman in as part of it. And then they made fun of her. The fr- Watching the French deal with sex is one of the weirdest things ever, which is why I thought if anybody should ever go to France, Weinstein should have run away to France. Well, he did. Uh, 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 Jeffrey Epstein had a place in France. That's right. This is where you can pretty much do anything. I thought there should be a talk show. And the talk show would be hosted by my countryman, John Gomeshi, who also uh, was one of the first Me Too uh, guys. And he could bring on Roman Polanski and Epstein. And they could have like a, you know, they could have a talk show. Well, I'm one of the things that makes me happy when I talk to my kids is Mm -hmm. they have a much different attitude about all this than people over the age of well stuff that was joked about we were, we were talking about joseph epstein earlier mm-hmm. it's a different world now it's better your son isn't going to be making the kind of jokes privately that uh everybody made we think I don't know. I, I don't see it. I, I don't no, see. I, 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 there's something has happened where it's harder and harder uh, to uh, anyway. But but here's the thing. I've been watching a lot of documentaries and I have to say that the documentaries on the the documentary on the Hollies just didn't have the same depth as the documentary. <laughs> what's the, the doc? Was that on Netflix? I don't know. I think it's on Amazon Prime. The Hollies were like the worst British invasion group of all. What did they say? What was their hit? The stop, she goes, we go away. It was really wimpy stuff. Right. Really wimpy and stuff. And how does it end know? for them? It ends well. They, they perform forever. They're a forever band. They'll, you know, someone dies, they just move somebody else in. Uh, but I'll tell you what was good was the Belushi doc. Oh, I haven't seen. It's, oh, you know, good. I haven't seen that either. It's very good. And I was never an enormous Belushi fan because I, I don't really care for physical comedy all that much. But you can't deny his his you know genius at what he did. And I didn't realize this. But at the top of his career, at the height of his career, he had the number one selling album, the number one. Uh, he was on the number one uh, a television show and he was on the number one and uh, had the number one movie. Right. All right. at the same time. Yeah. So I took the quiz on Facebook. I'm more of a Jim Belushi fan than a John Belushi fan. Uh, I took that quiz. Uh, that, that's a good thing to watch. You know how 
I'm a sh- I'm gonna I'm ashamed to tell you this. So Go the ahead. Crown is on Netflix. Yes, so, which I haven't seen, but my wife loves it. Okay, this is how bad I am because I don't. It's hard for me to get into a to a show. I watched okay. the first episode of season four. Then I watch the second episode. Then I go back and watch the first episode of season four, the second episode of season four, and then I watch the third episode. Then I start again, watch the first, the second, the third. I, I'm trying to make it, la- it's like when I used to do pills, you know, trying to make the pill last as long as possible. I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm holding off. I want something to look forward to. So give me more stuff to look forward to. The the, the Belushi documentary. The Belushi documentary is excellent. And, and I'm going to um, watch the t- Room 234? I think it's called Room 2048 or something. But if you just... What's Room Google, 222? Is that Jack no, K? No, that, that was Karen Valentine at her hottest. Oh, that's right. Right. And Herb right. Edelman. Not her. That's Michael right. Considine. Michael Considine. That's right. That's right. Um... Uh, yeah, I've been watching a lot of stuff. What else have I watched that I... Gary David uh, Goldberg. That was his first job. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else have I watched? I've been watching a lot of stuff. Oh, Mank. Did you see Mank? That's another, that, I started that. I started Mank. And I've, I went, oh, this is good. And then I said, so I have it's to say... It's good, but it's not as great as I wanted it to be. Right. It's ragged. Um, and... Uh, the characters talk so fast that sometimes you can't even hear what they're saying. Uh, you can't make out what they're saying. Uh, the characters all kind of look alike. They're all dressed in 40 suits and have fedoras. So I don't know. I can't tell Mankiewicz from, you know, uh, from uh, John Houseman. They're, they all right. sort of look alike and sound alike. But the real problem with it is there's a subplot in it. It's more interesting than the plot. Because the plot is really about Mankiewicz and his struggle to create Citizen Kane. Eh, it's kind of an interesting thing. But the subplot is the flashbacks to the 1934 California gubernatorial election when Upton Sinclair ran as a socialist candidate. To me, that actually is what the movie should have been about. Right. Uh, because that's a fascinating story. And it's only hinted at that you get lots of tantalizing detail. He almost and, won until, didn't Hearst kill it for him? Yeah, that's right. right. Um, and. You know, they, they sort of show that, but they don't really show that. So that, to me, would, would be a much more interesting picture uh, based on the material that that was that you were watching. Still worth watching. Don't get me wrong. Still worth watching. Keep talking. I have to do two things. I have to invite Professor Mike Steinell. Oh, of course, Mike uh, Steinell. Is he here? Because he's doing... I don't... Yeah, I don't see him. I don't see him on the... Is he in the? I apologize. I don't see him on the queue because we're bringing in Professor Marianne because uh, Ginger couldn't make it. Yes, um, I've, I've very good. That, that's joke. very good. I've done that joke, but that oh, okay. and Sorry. and but it's a good joke. Let me okay. invite. Hang on, I apologize. Let me invite Professor Mike Steinell. And while we're doing that, tell me what you're reading. Nothing. No, you must be reading something. Nothing. I, I'm just, I go through periods where I just can't pick up a book. I just don't have the, I just don't have the energy. I don't have the patience. Um, you, I, of all people? I know, I know. You, this is something about me you don't know. I won't read anything for months and then I'll just start going crazy and reading six, seven books, one after another. And so what do you do? You watch movies instead? I watch movies, but I, I mean, I read magazines. I read uh, 
Um, I, I read stuff on the internet. I read newspapers. I read all three Toronto newspapers every day. I read the New York Sunday, New York Times. I won't say cover to cover, but I pick out all the things I'm interested in. Um, in fact, I can't live without my three newspapers a day in the morning and my tea. That sort of starts my brain rolling. You know what I do? I'm, I'm calling Howie Klein as we speak. Okay. Uh, what I do when I'm not in the mood to read is I go to the library and I'll take out like 10 books and I put them in front of me. And the minute I, I'm, I get bored, I just pick up another book. It doesn't work for me. What works for me is going and buying a book and then being a Jew, I have to get my money's worth. <laughs> I'm going to read this book if it kills me. Oh, try the library. I, I have a whole theory about libraries that everybody should overwhelm libraries. If, what do you mean? It's socialism. We could force governments to become socialist if we stormed our libraries and just took all the books out and borrowed all the videos and borrowed all the all the things that are on loan at a library. People in America should use their libraries and empty them out and then return things because then the libraries will need more money. Libraries, if somebody invented a library now in America, they'd be arrested like Eugene Debs. Can you imagine mm. pitching a library to Americans now? that you can go get a book for free as long as you return it after 21 days, people would say that's... And at the end of it, they really don't do anything if you don't. They don't do they anything. You, no, they ask you nicely, could you please return the book? We We're have libraries. Have Every city has at least one library. Everybody should storm their local library. You know that in Toronto, the mayor, the old mayor, the crazy Rob Ford, Ford. wanted to close down the libraries because he said they weren't, they weren't needed anymore. He said, everybody's got a computer. What do you need a library for? Right. I grew up in Anglewood Cliffs, New Jersey, and I tell everybody I'm from Anglewood because Anglewood Cliffs doesn't have a library. They would not, they would not build a library. Did you have a bookmobile? We had a mitzvah mobile where every this time of year we would lay to fill it. Nobody knows what a mitzvah mobile. Howie Klein, are you there? I know what it is. Howie, do you know Mark Breslin? Hi, Mark. The, one of the Howie. great dinners when this pandemic is over, and hopefully it won't be because I'll have to pay for it, is you. The pandemic won't be over? Is that what you just said? I'm saying when the pandemic is over, I want to have dinner with Mark Breslin and Howie Klein in Los Angeles at that vegan restaurant. That would be one of the great dinners. But hopefully the pandemic won't be over and that'll save me a lot of money. But that would be a great dinner. Howie Klein, Mark Breslin, Mark Breslin, Hi, Howie. Howie Klein. Hey, Mark. And uh, any dinner at... Uh any dinner at um, Crossroads is a great dinner. Are they still open? The 21 Club closed. Yeah, uh, Crossroads is doing very, very well. They they do a, a brisk uh, takeout service. And, uh, in fact, it's the only place that we take out from. Uh, once a week, when I can't cook, we, uh, we get dinner from them. And it's just great. Absolutely great. Let me introduce you to... Los Angeles? Yes. Oh, yes, it's in. I'll Google it and look at the menu. Let me introduce the two of you. Mark Breslin, uh, Howie. It's a high-end uh, uh, vegan restaurant. Really, really good. 
chef from uh, uh, Chrissy Hines' old restaurant in Ohio uh, went there, and he's the, he's the owner chef now. Okay, sounds great. I love I love I love vegan food, but it has to be really good. It can't this, is, this is as good as it gets. It's, uh, and, I, and I was a chef for four years in, in a vegan restaurant, and uh, this this is really, really great. He turns out great stuff. In okay. fact, David, David there uh, last year and, 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 his, and with his uh, son, and we had a great dinner. Yeah. I'm in. Let me introduce Absolutely. you to, officially, Howie Klein. Meet Mark Breslin. Mark lives in Toronto. He is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in North America, if not the world. And he's one of the most, if not the most literate person I've ever met in my life. Nobody, he is just a, and he's funnier than the comedians he books. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but thank you. And Howie Klein writes Down With Tyranny and is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack which raises money for progressive candidates. And in a previous life, he ran reprise records, 411 records. Uh, 415. 415. I'm sorry. That's a small independent label. Reprise is half of Warner Brothers. It's uh, two different animals. And I, I just want to watch Mark's face. He brought The Clash to the United He was best friends with Joe Strummer, Chrissy. Yeah, yeah, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> Lou Reed? You used to go shopping for art with Lou Reed. I was friends with Lou, but I mean, yes, but it's different from best friends. There's no no need to exaggerate. Okay. He wrote yeah. Louis. He wrote uh, Louis Louis. Howie, on the let show. it be. I <laughs> Louis Louis, but I did write a, to exaggerate. <laughs> Sorry. I said on this show there is a need to exaggerate. <laughs> what was the band? The not what was it? Your group that you played in. The nuns. I, I played one night in a band called The Nuns, yes. <laughs> that they dressed as nuns. The, uh, the bass player got stage fright as they were going on stage, and I was with them. And they just, like, and he said he was going to puke. And they just took the, uh, the bass and gave it to me. And I said, I've never played a bass. They said, it's easy. Just do this. And a minute later, I was on stage playing. <laughs> All right. Let me say goodbye to Mark Breslin. And I'll see you next week, I hope. Yes, you'll see me next week. Okay, be well. Thank you. And we'll have, by the way, notice how I introduce Howie Klein. I want my listeners to pay attention to this. This shows how morally bankrupt I am. I introduced Mark Breslin to Howie Klein and Howie Klein to Mark. And I didn't say he's a, he's a nice guy. He's a considerate guy. He's a caring, compassionate guy. I gave their credits. I did. That's how diseased a human being I am. I figured no, they would like each no, other based wrong, on their wrong, credits. You're wrong. You're wrong. As as I'll tell you the anecdote next week. But the punchline is, who cares if he's nice? Give me a prick who can play. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you the rest of the story next week. Okay, thank you, Mark Breslin. Thank you. All now, right. now Bye. let's go to. Los Angeles, where Howie Klein is standing by. He is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC, raising money for progressive and some socialist candidates around America. Read the newly designed Down with Tyranny, which is more and more fun to look at. Sinclair Lewis. Did he That's run funny. I'm writing about Sinclair right now. 
a, a county in uh, Michigan. Literally, right this second, I was writing about uh, St. Clair County. Oh, okay. Now, Sinclair Lewis did not run for governor of California, did he? Uh, I, I I think he might have, but I don't know. Okay, I I'm think I, I, we were just talking about it, and it went in one ear and out the other, and uh, because of Down with Tyranny, it says. Your, your motto is, when fascism comes to America, it will be wrapped in the flag and carrying the cross. And that was said by Sinclair Lewis. It's hard to. So let's move on and talk about Donald Trump. Is he is he going to make it? Is there going to be a second term? <laughs> oh, no, hang on. Oh, uh, I, oh, when California uh, voted uh, today, they gave all of their um, electoral votes to Joe Biden, just like the people of California wanted. And that put Biden over the 270 uh, mark that means that uh, he'll be president. So are you asking me if there's a way for Donald Trump to overturn the election? Well, my listeners in the Zoom room have questions that, as jokes, they like me to ask. And one is... This is a joke question. Ask Howie Klein what it will take to, to push Biden to the left. That is a question that uh, my listeners jokingly. Uh, well, they're smart if they if they realize that that's a joke, because there are millions of Americans who wouldn't understand that's a joke. And it is a joke. Joe Biden is a, has been a conservative Democrat for his whole life. The whole time he was in uh, uh, most of the time that he was in Congress, uh, uh, in the Senate, he was the most conservative Democrat in the Senate and the worst as well. Right. So, no, there's nothing that's going to push him to the left. All right. Let's talk uh, about Georgia, it, if you don't mind. Enabled, as, as I think he is, uh, that he lets other people run the show. There's a little bit of a chance there that uh, um, that a few good things might happen. But if if if, it, if Biden is running the show, there's no chance anything good will happen ever. Right. Well, I'm posting for our viewers a Survey USA poll that I found on you on your blog, downwithtyranny.com. This About looks, Georgia. Yeah. Georgia. Uh, the Reverend Raphael Warnock has 52% in the latest poll. Kelly Loeffler has 45%. Yeah, that's, that's quite a... Uh, but the, the problem with that poll is that it's Survey USA, which is not that accurate of a poll. There haven't been any publicly available accurate polls. All of the uh, private polls taken by the campaigns and by the political parties, no, no, no one is releasing them because they're basically just showing a dead heat. Like everybody is all tied up. It's all within the margin of error. That one uh, poll that I posted from a survey USA, uh, you know, just, it was just a feel good thing. And I posted it because it feels good. <laughs> but the reality is, is that it's all tied up. Well, in addition to that, the reason you're optimistic is you post a tweet from a, a Donald J. Trump, I believe. And he tweets out, what a fool Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia is. Could have been so easy, but now we have to do it the hard way. Demand this clown call a special session and open up signature verification now. Otherwise, could be a bad day for two great senators on January 5th. So is Trump going to sabotage 
Georgia Republicans on January. He's already budging them. He's, I mean, that, that was part of his sabotage right then and there. Um, you know, there are there are morons, uh, as you know, who who support Trump all the way. It's like a religious crusade for them. Uh, and they're getting a loud and clear message not to, uh, you know, to, to help destroy the GOP. In fact, at Trump's rally this Saturday, this past Saturday, he only flew over and away from a helicopter, but it's still his rally. There were, there were all sorts of extremists carrying on about getting even with the Republican establishment by destroying the uh, the party in Georgia. That was the, no, and it doesn't take many to do that. In other words, they're not going to you know change the votes of hundreds of thousands of people. That's not going to happen. But they don't need to. Just a few thousand people would be enough. Just a few thousand lunatics. And are there a few thousand lunatics? George just elected a, a, a QAnon person. <laughs> I mean, they literally elected a woman from QAnon out of her mind, completely batshit crazy. Should not be seated in Congress, but she's going to be. What would happen, because Jim Earle is going to be coming back here after you to attack Biden and his cabinet picks. Good, good, he should. Excellent. He has a terrible cabinet. What would happen if the Democrats behaved like Trump Republicans, where they say, boycott the Georgia elections, Republicans, don't vote. I mean, where they fly these kamikaze missions into their own party. What would happen if the Democrats behave this way? No, listen to them. And there are Democrats. Why would the Democrats do that? Because, well, we're hearing a lot of people are saying Professor Marianne Cummings is here. And a little later on, she's going to be talking, I would assume, again, about how the squad has enough votes to keep Nancy Pelosi from becoming speaker unless she passes Medicare, introduces Medicare for all. Uh, some would call that hey, a that, comic. Is that a good, a good, uh, good thing to do? But that's different from sabotaging the um, the Senate races in Georgia. Those are two different things. Well, what, well, but well, hang on for one second. Is it two? Di- I'm pouring water. Is it two different things? Because what would happen? If the squad took a Grover Norquist like pledge and said, we will not vote for any speaker who will not introduce, who, who says they won't introduce Medicare for all to vote on. And they a lot of talk about, um, about something similar, that the uh, that progressives were going to take a pledge that they would not vote for Nancy Pelosi if. She didn't renounce Pago. That was that was what the, the talk was before the election. But the thought was that hey, there are going to be so many Democrats that if you know ten of us don't vote for Pelosi, it won't matter. Well, now it does matter. If ten people don't vote, vote for Pelosi, it's for real. She won't be. Tell everybody elected. what Pago is, please. It's a it's a conservative Republican austerity measure that means anytime you spend any money, uh, it has to be accounted for in the budget, so it evens out. So so there's no um, there's no spending uh, there's no there's no spending for any big projects that that borrow against the future. Okay, and so Nancy Pelosi is a devotee of Pago. Yes, she is. 
All right. So what if what if we and Democrats get no credit? I mean, she'd like to get credit for that. You know, in other words, she'd like to say, look how fiscally responsible we are. But no one cares. So she's doing it. For, she's doing it for no good reason. And, and it's a stupid it's a very stupid policy. And it's really hated by progressives. There, there will never be anything progressive past of, of mean, anything meaningful. You know, I mean, they could pass like, you know, gays can get married uh, or uh, people can smoke pot. They can do that. But they can't do any they can't pass any any progressive legislation like uh, Medicare for all or any kind of Green New Deal legislation or any anything big can never be passed under PAYGO. So a lot of uh, people who are running for office, uh, both incumbents and uh, more more than incumbents, it was um, candidates told me that they were all going to threaten to that unless she uh, backed away from this policy, which which she implemented um, when as soon as she became speaker again, unless she backed away, they wouldn't vote for her for speaker, and they were you know absolutely going to do that. Well, now if they do that, she she will lose. At which point, the the thought is that they will have to pass a new rule to elect a speaker. Which will, which would mean, uh, you know, a second vote, and whoever gets the, the, you know, the most votes on the second vote becomes speaker, even if they don't get a majority. Well, play this out for me because a lot of my listeners, well, your listeners need to understand that she that there are two kinds of votes. If someone votes as 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 bad Democrats often do. For, you know, just some random candidate, like, you know, say they say four or five of them decide to vote for a blue dog, uh, Jim Cooper. Let's just use him. Those votes don't count. Pelosi needs a majority of of votes for that, that were that were meant for her or um, McCarthy, not like just sort of random votes that are thrown out there that don't mean anything. So those votes don't count. So, so we're looking just so, so my good, hang on for one second. There is a please. good chance that could happen. But the reality is, is that the challenge to her is not going to come from the left. They're actually, unfortunately, the challenge to her is going to come from if there is a challenge will come from the right. She's already giving certain uh, um, blue dogs and new Dems the OK to not vote for her uh, because a couple of them ran on that. That they would never vote for her, and she thought she 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 thinks she's got the numbers straight. They were now, because she was she was too liberal, too radical for the new Dems and the Blue Dog. Yeah, that's right. Too yes, too too radical. I, uh, and the problem is is that um, that that no one can figure out is who is going to be sick, who is going to have COVID. A lot of, a lot of members of Congress have COVID. Who's going to be too sick with COVID? It will. Now, chances are, since far more Republicans don't wear masks and, and got COVID, I mean, literally, uh, I, don't, I don't remember the percentage, but something like 80% of the members of Congress who have COVID are Republicans and just 20% are Democrats. So chances are that part of it is going to be okay. Although, on the other hand, Republicans are also more likely to come to Congress with COVID and not give a damn if they spread it or not. So <laughs> that's a problem. So, but the, what, it's going to be so close that if if there are enough sick Democrats, 
who can't come because you have this isn't there's no remote voting on this vote. It has to be people in in the room. Um, that that we we're not going to wind up with Kevin McCarthy. Right, let, let, excuse gonna, me for one second because we're way ahead. I want my listeners to understand this. You, we've gone four steps ahead. So let's just take a do few. You know that madness song. No, but let me just explain to my listeners, because some of them may not understand this. They're going to vote. Some of them may know the Madness song. Okay. The, 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 the House votes for Speaker, I believe, January 3rd or January 2nd? Uh, I don't remember the date. It's, it's the, first, the first, you know, Monday or Tuesday or whatever. Uh, but I don't remember the date. And... and the, According to Real Clear Politics, as of today, the Democrats have 222 seats. The Republicans have 212, which means there are 10 seats separating, 11 seats you need for a majority, which means... There's going to be one more vote. Um, there's going to be one more uh, voter that, that's, that's announced by then, and it's either going to be... And neither one will vote for Pelosi anyway. It's either Cla- uh, Claudia Tenney, a Republican, a complete sociopath, the Trumpist, or Anthony Brindisi, the worst blue dog left in Congress. Okay, uh, he, so he it is, takes... As been, and he won't vote for Pelosi either. Okay, so Professor Marianne Cummings, who's going to be on the show later, she talks about this push that says all it takes is about six votes. Well, if Pelosi loses... Six votes. She's not speaker, which gives a lot of power to the squad, as well as these blue dogs and new Dems. Correct. Well, well, theoretically, yes. But the reality is, is that um, they've already decided that if it it looks uh, hairy, they're going to pass a new rule, which would just give it which would just give it to a numerical, um, not, not a majority, but a numerical plurality. Who would pass? Pelosi would pass that rule. Yes, and she has enough uh, clout to do that. And, and the thing is, uh, you know, is Professor Marianne uh, under the delusion that there will be Democrats who vote for Kevin McCarthy? Of course, she's not. She knows she knows that isn't the case. But that would be the if that rule was passed, that would be the only way that um, Pelosi can be defeated. So your your listeners may enjoy the drama, but there's no chance that Pelosi is going to not okay. be. Okay, so you, all right, so that is, so let me get my arms around this because Professor Marianne Cummings is going to be talking about this and so is Jim Earl. So I want to get your position on this so I can quote you when I'm talking. My position is that the, that the squad and any, any other progressive should use their clout to force her out. That's my position. So even if it means we need a lot of Democrats to do that, and and there are they're just not there. I mean, you're not going to be able to do it with you know just with uh, AOC and Rashida and Ilhan uh, and um, and and Ayana. It's, it's not going to happen. It, it can't, and you know, and so you know, I'm afraid that uh, the squad doesn't have the clout to do that. Let me. Let me you're being. And I don't a- think they would anyway. I mean, it's not in Democrats' DNA, unfortunately, to, uh, you know, 
do a, a bring down the house move the way it is. Like, I mean, that's what makes the Freedom Caucus so different from the squad. The Freedom Caucus doesn't care. They'll bring down the, the whole structure, and, and they're happy to do it. You know, they don't believe in government anyway. I, I'm going to interrupt you because this is important, and I know I'm going to be hearing screaming at me, and this is going to get heated. So can you give me yes, because we have a limited amount of time, Give me yes or no answers, if, if if you don't mind, okay? Well, I have to hear the questions first. <laughs> Let me see, because I want to, uh, do you mind if I, because... No, answer the questions, I'll uh, you're being, yes no, or won't. Okay, because you're being a little slippery in doing process and horse race with me, and I'm trying to get to, to substance with you. So yes or no? I'm giving you substance, okay. that's the difference. Okay. You're asking me questions... Uh, that 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 needs substance. I'm trying to give you the substance. Okay, so let's just do yes or no. Nancy Pelosi needs about six. If six Democrats in the House don't vote for her, unless she changes the rules, she will do. They, they, it's not like I'm making this up. They've already talked about it. They will change the rule. Has that ever been done before? I don't know if it has or it hasn't. But there's no. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's just not a big deal. Seems awfully undemocratic to me. If the Democrat, if the Democratic, there's no, so there's no election for speaker, basically. No, there would be an election for speaker. Instead of an absolute majority, it would just be a plurality. Well, that ends everything. That 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 ends the whole conversation because. Sorry, that, that Professor Marianne isn't going to have a good time with, uh, leading people to, to think that there's some chance that Nancy Pelosi is not going to be speaker. But that's the reality. I mean, I I, I don't want to spoil everybody's fun, but that's what it is. Then how does the left withhold its vote? Because that's. Well, the left could, I mean, look, if there was if the if there was enough members of the left, they could do it. But they just aren't. You know, there are four of them. All right. That's the left. There are four, <laughs> there are four members that, that make up the left. And maybe you could throw in, uh, you know, Andy Left. No, Andy's not going to do something like that. No, they're just the four of them. So anybody no who is saying now, and we'll get an earful later on, but it does feel like hearing, you know, you talk. They want to have some fun. I mean, you know, this happens all the time. People come up with these, these and then get wedded to these uh, these theories that aren't based in reality. And will we be seeing somebody? Well, okay, let, let's push it because let's push it. Let's say the squad says then change the rules. We believe we're withholding our vote. We're the left. And we're withholding our vote for Nancy Pelosi. And now you have to now you have to change the rules. All four of them you're talking about. I'm sorry. All four of them. You don't think you can get six or seven? Who? De- uh, leftist Democrats. Who, who, who are the who are the other the other three or four? Cory Bush. She she won't be sworn in. Or, or, or will she? Wait, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to misspeak. Will the new Will the new members be sworn in by then? Well, I think it's the new members who vote for the speaker, not the lame duck session of Congress, right? I'm not sure. It depends again on on the date. You you said that the date was the second or third. If it's if that's the case, no. I, I find well. 
I'd, I, I I don't know. I I, I I should know, but I don't know if if it's the new the new. I, it, it makes sense that it would be the new members. In that case, yes. Then you've got then you've got six because then you've got Corey Bush. Definitely would be would be with the, with the squad. You've got um, okay. So hang, hang on. So let me let me. And you, let, get, you have uh, Jamal Bowman. Okay. So, so you'd have you'd have you'd, and plus the four that are there. So that makes seven at least in theory. Okay. So, so all right. P- let me speak for thirty seconds before you answer the question. Okay. So you have seven leftist. Congress people going rogue and saying we are going to do what the, the the Freedom Caucus did to the Republican Party. We are not going to take it anymore. We are we are withholding our vote. We are the left and we are withholding our vote. We are not going to vote for Speaker Pelosi. Change the rules, Nancy, because guess what? This isn't going to stop. Whoever becomes speaker is going to have to live with our seven votes. Every time you introduce legislation, we can now stop all legislation. Wouldn't that be wise for the left to withhold its vote in Congress? Yes, it so, would be. It would be wonderful. So now I've happen. changed my mind. Not, so, it's not going to happen. It's just not going well, I, to happen. I know it's not going to happen. OK, but so wouldn't be. Game. But from from a. From okay, let me question you here because I, this is we're we're arriving at something here, sir. You say it's not going to happen, but right. if seven left-wing Congress people withhold their votes, that would force, as I understand it, what you're telling us is then then Nancy Pelosi is humiliated and has to change the rules, and she becomes. So- important thing right now to AOC is um, getting on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. And she's fighting tooth and nail against one of the worst, most corrupt right-wing Democrats who it's between the two of them. And it's a long story, and I know you don't want to hear it, so I'll just leave it at that. Although the other person is, uh, is, is Catherine Rice. Well, Kathleen Rice, whatever it is. I think it's Catherine Rice from Long Island. So anyway, they're fighting it out. It looks like AOC is going to get it. That is that is a, that's one of the most important, or that I would say that's the most important committee in Congress, and she wants a seat there. You know who makes the decision? Nancy Pelosi and Steny Hoyer and Clyde. No, not Steny Hoyer. Nancy Pelosi. So, you know, and then, the, and, I mean, I, I would, if I had a guess who might do this thing, because... Professor Marianne called them up and begged them. I would I would bet Ilhan Omar and maybe AOC and maybe Rashida. Not Presley. And, not Presley. And, not Presley. And and also not Mondaire Jones. I could be wrong about Mondaire Jones. I talked to him a couple of times. I don't know him that well. But my guess, he's very happy right now. He just got elected representative from the freshman class to the leadership. He's got a very positive attitude. He feels he can, uh, from inside, he can move the uh, the caucus to the left. I don't know if he really can, but he's definitely going to be in the inner circle that decides what's happening. There's a meeting every week, and he's there, and he can speak. Other people can't, but he can, um, and he and he plans to. If he starts monkeying around with something and and specifically, you know, uh, getting behind Professor Marianne and following her as though she were the general as leading the uh, the march, 
he wouldn't. He his uh, clout would go away like in about a second and a half. Okay, let me ask you this question because Jim Earl is about to come in here, and I'm going to get an earful from him, and he's going to disagree with you. So let me tell you what Jim Earl and Professor Mary. Does he know these people, or is he is he just pulling this out of thin air? He I would talk to every one of them. Right. So. You do talk to every one of them. You're telling. Talk, I'm not saying I do. I said I have talked to every I know one that. Of them. I know that. Call them up now and ask them. But I, I know them. And the, so the question I have is just because they won't do it doesn't necessarily mean that they shouldn't. In other words, I mean, they should. I mean, uh, I keep telling you that and you seem to be discounting it. But I but I would love to see that happen. But, you know, let's not, like, delude ourselves. And, and you know, you're going to get, like, people who are having nervous breakdowns over this if they think it can happen. It's not going to. But is this and the not time? Only you have people who have nervous the, breakdowns, you're going to have people asking, to, uh, to you know, other people to send money. Right. But is this the moment? Because we keep hearing the left needs to withhold oh, its vote. The moment will be when the left does what the Freedom the Freedom Caucus did and elect uh, dozens of members, not 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 three. But okay, I, I I'm not arguing with you. I'm getting ready for Jim Earl and I would never argue with you. But it's You will argue with me. I we're arguing. But, but it, it, it feels like if I, mean, I, mean, I don't know how you are. Well, who am I talking to? <laughs> I could tell you about the incredible lentil meatloaf I just made. But it, uh, but it seems to me... I have a feeling I'll be smaller Incredible. My homemade ketchup will have more uh, impact on someone's life than this fantasy will. Well, because you're going to gas people with it. Okay, hang on, Jim. I, I want to... Before... All right, I'll, I'll talk to you next week. Oh, I was going to no play more, uh, more of this nonsense. I have to play Bye. Mike Steinel. Oh, that's very dismissive of you. All right. Uh, this is this to be. I have a feeling we will be discussing this uh, all the way up through the new year. I, I don't think this is uh, okay. Can I play you, Professor Mike Steinel's new version of your? He hung up. All right. Uh, that's, a, that's a very mature person. Well, we'll play how I. I'm going to hang up in a huff because I don't like what I'm hearing. Well, that's Howie Klein and um, Howie D. Klein. <laughs> OK, let me play Howie's do. Uh, you look great, P uh, Professor Mike Steinel. I hope Howie's not mad at me. I'm just trying to get my arms around this idea that. Uh, that the left, that, that the that a lot of Democrats, and I think I heard Professor Ben Burgess and uh, somebody from the Michael Brooks show talking about how, again, well, let me just say somebody somebody else I really respect was discounting the idea of AOC withholding the vote, and unless uh, Nancy promises. To, to let Medicare for all hit the floor. So I'm hearing a lot of experts call it nonsense. Uh, I, I, wanted to, I, I may agree with you, Jim Earl and Professor Marianne, but first, let me introduce... Well, I'm, I'm hang, sorry, hang on, no, just let me run the show here. Uh, I, I, I just I need to... My 
fellow Professor Mike Steinel. Hey, David, how you doing? Very good. Very good. You like my jazz club? Yes. And how do you get the green screen to work? I can't I give anything to learn how to do that. You know what? I worked so hard yesterday and it wouldn't work. It it showed the background in my shirt. It looks great. And then all of a sudden I put it on today and it worked. So I think Zoom is is and and uh, it I had to reload my background. So. All right. Actually, I'm actually in a, a comedy club in Denton, Texas. Oh, good. Without a mask. I'm ready to do some sets. Hey, I've been on the phone all day today with the governor. Abbott. Hey, Abbott. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the word is, if we succeed, I might have a chance to be a secretary of jazz. Oh, okay. In Texas. All right. I, I was once the great. ambassador to Funky Town, but that... All right, <laughs> let, let us do this, since <laughs> Howie Klein left us because you're going to play the real one. The I'm going to play the now? one you sent me. Okay. I hope. Uh, yeah. The one, you know, this is, I'm, I'm more proud of this one than anything because this has got a lot of very modern dissonance in it. If you listen carefully, it's like, uh, it's got notes that should never be put together anywhere. Okay. This is the, 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 like the, 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 Howie Klein love theme by Professor Mike Steinel is beautiful. Yes. Howie loves it. And he almost moved to San Diego because of your lyrical error and, and became a vegan instead yeah. of a vegetarian. But this is yeah. the new version of the Howie Klein love theme. Okay, let's hope it works. It'll work. Everybody welcome Howie Klein We got him right here, he's on the line Howie Klein Howie Klein Got a good idea who might be a winner he tell you why he's cooking up a vegetarian dinner Howie Klein <laughs> Howie Klein He's oh so smart, he got a lot of brains He lives in L.A. where it never rains Howie Klein Howie Klein hard to mix it in there, you know. Uh-huh. What do you got to say gonna blow your mind? Put your hands together for how we climb, how we climb, how we climb. I like that. Now, I don't know if I like it better, but I like it. I love I love everything you do. So It's a little longer. I, I don't you know, you don't have to play some you can fade mine out just like that's what they did on the Tonight show. No, I play every note of yours. <laughs> and I screw up oh, yeah. every show now. I screw up the intro because I'll explain to you. Yeah, later. you play two. Can two, you come on Thursday's show and we'll do like uh, a Steely Dan Dylan well, conversation? If the, absolutely. If the, if the governor isn't, if I don't need to go meet with the governor about uh, our secession, I'll... Uh, I'll are, are you... Just kidding. I'm just if kidding. at first you don't secede, 
<laughs> try. Are they talking about secession? Did you hear that guy? One of the, one of our congressmen said maybe this is the time to uh, think about starting our own country or something like that. Yeah. Don't let the door hitch on the way out, Texas. God, we you know, know how much better this country. I mean, I love the people of Texas. I do. But it would be a much better country without those electoral votes. Well, we could, and after they succeed, we, we succeed. We can invade them for the oil. Yes. Yeah. Come on down. <laughs> and and make make them pay for the invasion like their attendance yeah. says we should. We could put a wall between Oklahoma, or maybe Kansas. Maybe that's where the new wall goes. You know. Yeah. But uh, no, uh, Rick Perry years ago, he was just he spurted it out at some in one of the debates about succeeding you know the, the oops guy remember him oops, oops yeah. yeah yeah couldn't remember the he couldn't remember the name of the <laughs> of the the uh, energy the, department he wanted and then he became yeah, he to, he and he became, became head of it i know oops yeah oops all right i'll let you guys oh, go well, yeah let me give you a proper uh, farewell and you, you you'll like, come yeah. back uh, yeah i've been uh, real busy doing uh, Getting videos for there's a big uh, conference going on. I'm trying to sell some of my books. You like? Good. Can you read that? You look great. It's I. You I got to call thing? you for advice on how to set up. Yeah, learn jazz here. Professor okay. Mike Steinell is a jazz trumpeter, composer, and educator. For more than 30 years, he taught jazz in the North <laughs> University of North Texas Jazz Study Program. And he's written at least two books, The Essential Elements for Jazz Ensemble and Building a Jazz Vocabulary. And I listen to him all the time on Spotify, where you should go and download or stream Song and Dance featuring Rosanna Eckert. It's the Mike Steinell Quintet or buy it by going to MikeSteinell.com. He does a lot of music here on this show, and, and we are truly blessed. You look great. It's the lighting. I invested in some good lights. I'm for- going to call you because I... Okay. Okay. <laughs> Anytime. All right. Thank you. I'll see you Thursday. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hey, Jim, I love you. Oh, I adore you. I haven't <laughs> even met you. No, I, I know you because... You, and you play the clarinet, I understand. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to learn how I got a clarinet, uh, free at the, uh, uh landfill. <laughs> Cause I'm, hey, a big, well, I'm a big, big, big Spiderbeck fan. And I love the, you know, Tr- Eddie Trumbauer and, and big Spiderbeck. I know I've always wanted to play the cornet too, but you know, right loud. he was they're a great loud. guy. I was listening oh, to Beck, uh, Sid Boucher. Wait, who, who was I listening Cindy to? Boucher. Yeah, Cindy I Boucher. was just listening to before the show started. All right. Okay. I'll see you later. Bye. All right. Jim Earl. Thank you, Professor Harvey J.K. Jim Earl. uh, Professor Mike Steinell. Harvey J.K. is coming up in uh, an hour. Harvey J.K. And we're going to get to hear some more Professor Mike Steinell. He's okay. All right. What just happened with Howie Klein? Because I here's how I see it. I, I, I don't even know what happened. I didn't even know who he was when I logged on again. But he seemed kind of hostile. Well, that's how we thought. All my, I realize that a lot of my friends who are uh, leftists, uh, I'm going to ask Ben Burgess about this. I think I heard Ben Burgess talking to somebody. I think they were discounting 
the squad lining up and withholding their vote, but it sure seems like a good idea to me. The, the, you know, my point is that it doesn't matter if it does nothing. That's the, the whole point is standing up and having yourself be counted. A co-sponsors signing up and looking at a list of co-sponsors is utterly worthless. Kamala Harris co-sponsored Bernie's Medicare for All bill, and look at her now. This utter bullshit. When you have people actually showing their face and showing who they really are for a vote, it doesn't matter if it's going to get anywhere. It, the, the point is to, to energize voters and say, hey, look, somebody's actually standing up for me and voting. Wow. You know, that's like the Tea Party. That's like the, that's what got the Tea Party where they were. That's a, I agree. That's, and not making any effort is what lost Obama the midterms in 2010. It, it sure feels now. like the Freedom Caucus, which came up through the Tea Party. You've got uh, Meadows, chief of staff right now, to, what's his name, Trump. I mean, they not only took over Congress, they've taken over the White House. Why can't the Democrats do it? Is it only money? Is it only that their corporate overlords won't let him do it? Or what is the strategic, is there a strategic reason, a tactical reason the squad won't do it? Yes, because it's, again, it's, it's Chris Hayes's, I hate bringing him up again because he's vile now, but his book on cognitive capture, it's, you know, you become part of the crowd, they let you into their gated community and thought processes, and you become one of them. Committee That's assignments. It. You lose your committee assignments. Lose your committee assignments. You know what? You can get them back next election. You know, after after the Democrats lose the, the upcoming midterms, and suddenly people may remember you, hey, you know what? I fought for this, and they took away my committee assignment, and they made me powerless. Is this who, you know, and now they're out of power because they didn't do anything for you. I'm running for office again. But it, we keep repeating this pattern of self-abuse. We're in a bad relationship with these abusers. And they keep telling us, wait, it's not time yet for your freedom. This is exactly what they told the civil rights movement for decades and decades. This is, you know, Joe Biden et al. They I, I don't see the argument. I, I really don't. And, and people I know who I really respect, I'd be curious to know what Professor Adnan Hussein, and I know Professor Mar I know Professor Marianne agrees with you. I, well, but okay, what, what happens, I guess the argument is then they lose, then McCarthy becomes speaker. Would you be willing to live with that? That's not on me. That's on Nancy Pelosi, because if she doesn't agree to it, she is will be the one who brings McCarthy in. That's her. It, it, this is another tactic by conservative Democrats. You're right. OK. It, all right. Let me let me voters. I agree with you. But let me make the statement that we would hear. All right. The squad withholds their vote. Nancy, they, they say you have to 
bring Medicare for all to the floor for a vote. They're not asking for Congress to pass Medicare for all. They want Medicare for all to be they want people to go on record in the House to vote on it. Well, of course, the ultimate goal is passing it. Of, of course. course. But but it since politics is the art of compromise, the idea is let's just get a let's just get people to go on record in the Democratic Party as to whether or not they voted for Medicare for all. So we know who to vote for or give our money to in mm-hmm. 2022. And Nancy Pelosi won't do that because she yeah. knows it won't pass. I'm getting angry. I agree with you. And the thing is, you know, uh, um, Dave Sirota was on uh, an hour or two ago on uh, Jimmy Dore show. Who was on? He, David Sirota. Oh, wow. And he agrees with the force the vote uh, concept. Or, but he he says you should add other things on or else it's... it's Worthless, which I don't agree. But I, should, I, agree I agree with you. I agree with the things that you should you should add on. You should you because you can't do anything with Medicare for all if you can't pay for it. And Nancy Pelosi is the fossilized gargoyle who initiated pay as you go for the specific purpose of not being able to get any progressive. Well, uh, Howie says they should. Through. Howie says pay go is the first thing they need to get rid of. Yeah. But you know what? Who nobody knows what paygo is except maybe you and me and a couple of audience members. And a, I mean, which is which gets more publicity? Hey, I'm going to force a vote on paygo or force a vote on Medicare for all during a deadly pandemic when 12 million people are are going to be evicted and 360,000 people are about to die, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know why the Republican Party is able to do things and we're not? Because they control the airwaves. The Republicans own AM radio and everybody in the Republican Party. I've read many articles about this. They have to answer to Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram and their their radio cohorts. I once farted on Laura Ingram's uh, chair, studio chair, at the Clear Channel in Los Angeles. Her brother hates her. She's a racist from way back, only all the way back to Dartmouth. Supposedly, I think it's Dinesh. Some are saying, and it has been rumored, that, and I don't believe it, that she aborted Dinesh D'Souza, not Dinesh D'Souza, somebody from Dartmouth. She aborted Dinesh D'Souza? Who did, that explains who did Who did Trump pardon? Mike Flynn? No, there was a, there's a right-wing uh, journalist. Supposedly she aborted something of his. Well, now this is way off point. During their darkness days. Anyway, I agree with you. Let's look. Okay. They're just saying that, you know, it's time for people to stand up and be counted. And it's like, fucking hell, man. You know, you say. You either believe in Medicare for all or you don't. 
Yeah, our airwaves are controlled by Republicans. Well, you know, Democrats are Republicans, and MSNBC and and uh, CNN are all full of Republicans and Bush flunkies and CIA, FBI spooks and flunkies, and it's it's disgusting. They, their country, the Democratic Party is the Republican Party. Okay, very quickly. That's what, they don't, that's what they don't want you to find out. That's what they don't want you to think. That's why we have Nancy Pelosi acting like she's doing something when she never does. I agree. I, I, I almost was, I, I want to look at Biden's cabinet, but let me just say this. I was almost going to argue with you and Professor Marianne and probably Professor Adnan Hussein. Howie almost had me convinced, but near the end, I, I think that's why it's important to listen. It's important what? to do a sh- it's exactly. It's important to listen to your guests, and let's talk about Biden's incoming cabinet so far. If you're watching us in the Zoom room, you can see so far he's picked for agriculture Tom Vilsack. Chief of Staff Ron Klain, Vice President Kamala Harris, Xavier Becerra, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, Housing and Urban Development, Congressman Fudge, for Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, for Treasury Janet Yellen, for Veterans Affairs Dennis McDonough, or I don't know how to pronounce that, Economic Advisors Chair Celia, Cecilia Rouse, Management and Budget, Neera Tandon, <clears throat> I mean Neera Tandon, National Intelligence, Averill Haynes, Trade Representative is Catherine Tai, United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Before I get your opinion on all this, no. he, st- he still hasn't named the head of the EPA, uh, still hasn't named a CIA. I thought he did, but it says here he didn't. Nobody had transportation. They're thinking it might be Rahm Emanuel. No Department of Labor yet. No Attorney General. No Interior Secretary. No Energy Secretary. No Energy and no Commerce. Okay, before we look at them individually, I see one. I see two white men. I see three white men. Ron Klain. Tom Vilsack and Dennis McDonough and Anthony Blinken. I see four white men and mm-hmm. and Neera Tandon, who might as well be. A white. <laughs> OK, uh, yeah. right. Let's look. White House. Who do we have here? Neera Tandon, Office of Management and Budget Director. She's chief executive. She was the chief executive of the Center for American Progress. Yeah. Was still is everybody who when they say they was they still are, and she would be the first woman of color. She is Indian to head the OMB. What's your problem? We only have ten minutes. So, <laughs> what is your general problem with Neera Tandon? Uh, let's see. Pres- uh, well, you know, it's, well, we went over. She agrees with Donald Trump, and we should, you know, countries we destroy, we can and make them pay them pay us back for the trouble. Libya, specifically. Yeah, stealing their oil and natural resources, because that's the only reason why we, you know, destroy other countries. She's cheered by the likes of Bill Kristol, you know, 
for all intents and purposes, a war criminal, called for social security cuts and austerity for the poor. He's vilified Bernie Sanders as a racist misogynist and, and who received help from Russia in, in both elections. She's uh, spread a vote uh, hacking conspiracy, conspiracy that uh, Russia actually changed the vote tallies. Okay. In 2016. Okay. She, uh, and, and the Center for American Progress is a, a disgusting front for neoliberals, right. funded by the Waltons and this Saudi authoritarian. And, and Exxon. Although when Obama made the grand bargain, Nira did speak out against it and said Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid should not be on the table. I thought that was Bernie Sanders who, who spoke out against the grand bargain. She did, too. The Center for American Progress was against the grand bargain. Moving on, who do we have next? Averill Haynes. We have a woman as director of national intelligence. She was President Obama's deputy national security advisor, and she was the first female deputy director of the CIA. Oh, that's good. Well, Gina Haspel is the current head of the CIA, and except for waterboarding, she's done a stellar job at the CIA. Yeah. She, she, well, she manufactured the legal justification for uh, Obama's droning campaign, which... Averill Haynes did. Yes. Consultant for Palantir Information Technology that uh, gave Trump the administration the, the ability to carry out mass deportations all right and and my biggest objection to most of these people is that uh, andy kindler approves of them right i think averill haynes sounds like a character from an aaron sorkin teleplay from the west wing <laughs> averill haynes would be like one of the, the one of the characters on the West Wing, April Haynes. Let's see who's next. National Security Advisor, National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. He was Biden's National Security Advisor. Yeah. One he, word. Yale. Moving on. All right. Now, this is good. Speaking of Yale, John Kerry would be the special envoy for for climate change. It's a brand new position. You don't think John Kerry when he was. I mean, he was Secretary of State. He got us in the Paris Climate Accords. Wouldn't John Kerry be a good climate czar? I don't know. He would calm down the climate with his boring delivery. Yeah. Who better to think, yeah, save I, the trees than somebody who looks like one? <sighs> All right. Is, yeah. Yeah. Has he ever been good at anything? What is he? F I thought he, he was a pretty for? good. I thought he was pretty good when he ran against uh, George W. Bush. I thought he was great in no, the debates. That was horrible. All right. So how could any how could how could somebody lose to George W. Bush? How could somebody lose to Donald Trump? All right. Linda Thompson. Linda. No, Linda. She was married to Elvis. No, Linda Thomas Greenfield. We'll replace Kelly Kraft as our ambassador of the United Nations. She is an African-American woman, 35-year career in the Foreign Service. What's wrong with her? She worked for Madeleine Albright. I don't know anything about her. Well, she became Madeline. a lobbyist with well, Madeleine Albright. Yeah, Albright, yeah. yeah. Well, she, she 
said killing 500,000 Iraqi children was worth it. So I guess if she represents Madeleine Albright, then. Yes. Madeleine Albright, who said to Colin Powell, who didn't want to invade Kosovo, what's the purpose of having this military if you're not going to use it? This is a secretary of state who's supposed to get us out of wars. Anthony Blinken will be the new secretary of state. Tony Blinken. Tony Blinken. Blinken. Uh, well, another influence peddling lobbyist for WestEC, Silicon Valley uh, war machine. Yeah. Who's, uh, who's uh, their motto, by the way, is bringing the situation room to the boardroom. So you could watch Wolf Blitzer in the boardroom. That's a good thing. We like CNN. No, not that situation. Oh, okay. That's not good then. Director of National Intelligence, we already talked about. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Congresswoman Marsha Fudge from Ohio's 11th District. Good woman. You can't can't say anything bad about Marsha Fudge other than she should have been made Secretary of the EPA or something more important. Higher up than HUD, maybe labor or commerce. That's what Who I doesn't like fudge? All right, easy there. Alejandro Mayorkas. Nina Turner may uh, replace her. Alejandro Mayorkas, head of the uh, Homeland Security. We have a Jew running Homeland Security. Mayorkas is a he's Jewish a name? He's a Juban. A Juban? Yeah, he's from Cuba, and he's a Jew. Jubans and Cubans. Don't start singing Jeremy Kramer's. (laughs) That's a Jeremy Kramer bit. Jews and Cubans. There's a song about Miami. So Alejandro Mayorkas, he he was born in Cuba and raised mostly in Los Angeles. You know. Was was he... Oh, he worked for Obama. Yeah. Oh, second term, yeah. the, the deporter in chief. Oh, that's good. All right. Javier Becerra. Come on. He's for Medicare for all. He's going to be head of Health and Human mm-hmm. Services, HHS. Well, Kamala Harris was for Medicare for all, too. So were most of the people on the debate stage during the primaries. And they suddenly they all mysteriously dis- disappeared with their beliefs. Jim Earl, and, if you and but Sarah, by the way, he uh, threatened or tried to uh, arrest or imprison journalists for revealing the records of uh, a bunch of uh, abusive cops in California. Okay. So you know, there, there's something in the Black Lives Matter movement and all the uh, people in the streets protesting uh, abuse and and. and Police shootings will can really rally behind when they see this clown in the Biden administration. Jim, if you hate America so much, why don't you do my show more often? <laughs> that's a tr- that's a trick question. <laughs> if you hate this country so much, you should be on more often, Jim Earl. I don't hate this country. I love. I love the environment. I love the the animals who live here. I love the. It's terrain. the people. This would be a great it's country a, if it weren't for the people. Well, the Puritans who arrived here from Europe, but they're gone. They, we killed off, and you know, we did kill off the Puritan religion. We do. We should get credit at least for that. 
Mm-hmm. When you, when, I mean, the good news about Thanksgiving is we still have Native Americans just barely, but we wiped out the Puritans. Don't we get any credit for that? Did we really wipe out the Puritans? We wiped out the Puritans. Talk about cleansing. They don't exist anymore. Isn't that a good thing? Well, their descendants live on. But the religion, that, that sect is gone. The, the sect, yes, but not the... The Purit- We wiped the Puritans off the face. They, they don't exist anymore. No, you're, you're talking about Native Americans. No, no, I'm talking about the Puritans. We got rid of a religion. Really? Yes. Professor Adnan Hussein, before I bring in Dr. Harriet Fraud, everybody craps on America. Did we get rid of the Puritans here in the United States? Do they exist anymore? No, but their legacy is very still. So we eliminated. <laughs> can't we get credit for anything? We eliminated a religion. I'm sorry. This is an anti-American show. <laughs> no credit. <laughs> Especially not when we're still living with the the heirs of that intolerant approach to any kind of difference and extreme morality, patriarchy. We're, we're not past it. Sorry. Right. We killed off the dodo bird. There right. you go. <laughs> All right. Jim Earl, follow Jim Earl on Twitter at Jim Earl 666. It's an odd <laughs> series of numbers. Jim Earl 666. Morning remembrances, and I'll see you maybe Thursday. We can have a Melania, perhaps. Uh, it's it's very possible. Good. Well, we got to talk about other things to do, do with the upcoming show. You know, just before I go, call up the squad, call up the uh, Progressive Caucus, put pressure on them. I agree with vote. you. Bring a vote. But, and and so, what what are we? Let's, by it. They're what? really annoyed by it, though. You know, AOC responded. Um, to uh, a football, you know, a football player who was repeating what uh, Jimmy Dore was uh, pushing, and that's the forcing a vote. So how do we do this? What is? Do you want to respond to him directly? You know, because these people don't want to talk to you. They don't want to talk to people in general. They just so what is Jimmy telling everybody to do? We'll do it too. He's saying force a vote. But is there a number to call? Yes. Yes. Uh, Come back to us with AOC's phone number. I'll put them up on the chat room. Well, come back because that's what Ralph Nader always says. Call your I have some some drinking to do. Okay. I thought you already started judging by this segment. I guess not. You're sober? (laughs) All right. Thank you, Jim Earl. Give me your sign off. See you in court. <laughs> Jim Earl. <laughs> you are a bad drinker. That was some bad drinking. Let us now go. I don't know where. Uh, did we lose her? There is Dr. Harriet Fraud. She's the host of When Capitalism Hits Home. And it's not just in your capitalism hits home. Let me unmute you. Capitalism hits home, and there you go. And it's not just in your head. And I don't know where you are, but it looks a lot nicer than where I am. But well, I'm in Western Massachusetts for one more day, where it snows almost all the time. 
And we have our eighth snowstorm going on outside just over the season. So, yes. Before we get to, there's a lot uh, I want to talk to you about, but what are your thoughts about the squad uh, withholding their vote for Nancy Pelosi unless she introduces a vote on Medicare for all? I think it's a great idea because I think the left has got to show some muscle here because otherwise it's going to be business as usual. And for people to have some kind of radical change, they'll vote for Trump. So I'm all for it. I am, too. I almost got talked out of it tonight by Howie Klein, who says it's never going to happen. And uh, Speaker Pelosi will just change the rules. You, you won't need a majority. You'll just need a plurality. But the more he said it's never going to happen, the more I thought it's got to start somewhere and it's got to start in the House. If we want to bring the leftists out of the woodwork in America, yeah. they have to see they have to see some flexing of the mu- the muscle. They have to see somebody it's modeling good. leftist behavior. And if you crash the party, well, nobody, it's already been crashed, right? I mean, there's nothing. Absolutely. You have to look. People voted for Biden, not only because he wasn't Trump, which was his biggest draw, but also that they had hope. You can't do what Obama did, hope and change, and you don't make any kind of class change. And medical bills are one of the three types of bills that bankrupt most American families. Elizabeth Warren and Tayagi, Elizabeth Warren and her her daughter wrote a book about that. Right. Medical bills, unemployment, and um, divorce are the three things that kill American families' economy. So take out one of those. I think it's important that she did that. No one who voted for Medicare for All lost. No one who stood up for that. So stood up for that and also free community college. So I, I totally agree. They've got to do something that says no, no business as usual with the Democrats folding and being polite and getting walked over thanks to their corporate sponsors. No, something else. I'm looking up AOC's phone number. Uh, we'll give it out. I, I'm sure she, uh, there we go. Try 718 662-5970. I'll call it later. That is the office number for Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. 718-662-5970. Don't be a moron. Ask politely and say, I'm a Democrat. I believe in AOC, but I will withhold my support for her unless she refuses to vote for Nancy Pelosi until Nancy Pelosi puts Medicare promises to put Medicare for all on the floor for a vote. Of course, it's not going to pass, but at least we get to see the Democrats go on record as against Medicare for all. And I've been talked into it by Professor Marianne Cummings and Jim Merrill you flex some muscle and you say, you know what? You're still speaker, but we can do it to you again. That's you, right. You want to screw me on committee assignments? Guess what? All I have to do is get seven more Congress people to form a block and you won't be passing any legislation, Congresswoman Speaker right. Pelosi. And there are, they've doubled their number, the squad. So watch out. 
Why do people on the left, what is the psychological condition of people like me who go, it's never going to happen, so why bother? Because my friends are talking that way. Yeah, it's nonsense. She's going to be speak. What, 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 what is that? Why do people th- say it's never going to happen, so why bother? I think it's a protection against the vulnerability of hope. Wow. Wow. And the, the, the triumph of expertise over idealism. It, yeah, it makes you sound it, smart when you say it. it's it's. Yeah, wow. but it also protects you because you didn't. You're not out there hoping and dreaming. Okay. Cynicism is protection. So there are a lot of things you want to talk about. We communicated before the show. I, I'd like to get to the decline of the U.S. empire and uh, the electoral process and what constitutes sedition. But do you want to talk a little bit about conspiracy theories and Pizzagate? A little? Yeah, well, I think those, it's very interesting that these conspiracy theories always involve some kind of pedophilia. And the people who are exposed as pedophiles are the Republicans. Thinking about that, it's like the evangelical ministers talking about sin all the time. Meanwhile, they're caught literally with their pants down. Right. So, whoa, I guess if it's on your mind every minute, it's because you're, you're there. Right. And I do think that people do feel conspired against. They feel like there's an enormous conspiracy that has robbed them of their dream. And I think there is. The capitalists don't have to conspire. They're just doing what they want using the government to accumulate money for themselves while poisoning people against government so they don't try to have government work for them. You know, it's, it's uh, been a successful strategy. I think people, I think that's AOC's office saying, stop giving out our phone number. Yes, By the way, right. to my, if any of my listeners in the Zoom room have called that number, let me know uh, in the chat room if you get through if there's an answering you should be getting an answering machine um it's interesting the jokes about pedophilia i've noticed that comics who joke about pedophilia uh it's not a good idea to joke about it it's on your mind it reveals your mind and it's also not funny to sexually victimize children and ruin their lives that's not so funny right uh I had somebody on from Kinsey. I think he's the executive director of Kinsey. And he said the sex lives, they've done studies, and that Democrats fantasize about power. Republicans fantasize about being cuckolded. And the Reverend, no, no, he isn't a Reverend, Jerry Falwell Jr. got into Mm -hmm. trouble because he liked to watch his wife with the pool boy. And I'm reading about Paul Manafort. And he was Trump's campaign manager, who is now in prison. According to this book by Wolf, I think it's called Siege. I just finished it. He, he writes that Manafort enjoyed watching his wife with other men. That seems to be, why would that be a Republican? 
They don't want to get involved. <laughs> they want to think. <laughs> they want to, you know, they want protection from a distance. Right. They don't want to get involved in any kind of passion. So they want somebody else to do it. They want them. somebody else wow. to do it. Somebody else can get fucked. Not them. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the decline of the U.S. empire. Uh, well, I, I really am impressed with that because I was reading about China. And because there's an article in the Financial Times, which is hardly a um, commie rag. But it's a good it's not bad. Solid. It's yeah. a solid reporting about how China is thriving while the United States economy totally collapses. China's stock market is doing better than ours. Bond market is doing better than ours. Unemployment is doing better than ours. And I was particularly impressed that China has 1.393 billion people. They had 6,500, no, 6,500, that's right, 6,500 deaths from COVID. The United States has about a quarter of the people that China does, 350 million. We've had about 300,000 deaths. The difference between 6,500 and about 300,000. And people say, well, you can't compare to the U.S., to Cuba, to Vietnam, to New Zealand, to South Korea. Those are little countries. China's the biggest country in the world. And they put us to shame because they are the empire that is ascending as the U.S. economy and the U.S. government is declining out of its own corruption, just like the Soviet Union did. And the corruption is that everything is for the gain of the top so that they sold our pandemic supplies, Trump did, and so we didn't protect our people. He saved all that money on tracking and tracing and testing and building hospitals. In Wuhan, China built 12 hospitals in two weeks, test, closed off the borders, no flights in and out, even though it might hurt their economy tested everyone, tracked where the tests were negative, and treated everyone. So and their economy is booming. Right. And, you and said you have to work because of the economy. No, you don't. You protect your people. What do you say to those who will claim that China is an authoritarian regime, that it's easy to get people to do things if there's a gun against their head, that the virus supposedly started in Wuhan, that they have close to a million Uyghurs in concentration camps. They're practicing ethnic cleansing and genocide in Tibet. And that the economy is doing well for the people on the top who are members of the Politburo, the billionaires. I think Deng Xiaoping's daughter became a billionaire that you have to be a, a mucky muck in the Politburo in order to, to be a billionaire. Look at what they're doing. They're cracking down on democracy in Hong Kong. That's right. I don't think that China is an ideal place to live. I think it is an authoritarian state. However, they protected their people. And 
The other states that did that are not authoritarian, like New Zealand, who has the sweetie of the world, Jacinda Ardern as president, she didn't, you know, arrest people or weld them into their houses if they were found, the Chinese, if you were found wandering around looking at stuff when you were supposed to be home, they welded your doors shut and fed you through the windows. Everyone who had to be home was fed by the Chinese government. But they had to stay home. And I think it's a question of organization. And of course, I mean, they discriminate against the Uyghurs. There's a million Uyghurs. There are two million American prisoners who are slaves. Let's overwhelmingly brown. And they did ethnic cleansing of Tibetans as we wiped out our Native Americans. They are not your, you know, my heart's wound. They're not Jacinda Ardern who managed to totally eliminate COVID in her country where she had nine cases. She closed the place down. She didn't care about commerce. She cared for the health of her people. And there's the contrast, particularly with China, which is the emerging empire of the world. As the United States empire has declined terribly, theirs consistently rises. They have a higher stock market. They have a higher bond market. They have much more investment, including investment from the United States, because they keep their economy running. But they had to shut it down to keep it healthy and their people healthy. And our short-term greed that did not, none of our airports have been closed. Mm -hmm. Wuhan was closed off, and so is, and New Zealand was closed off. They're doing well. And what I mean about the decline of the American empire is, just in financial terms, China's economy keeps chugging up at 6% growth. Ours has declined by almost three quarters. Whoa, in some sectors, and is doing terribly. When people have extra money, they don't invest in the United States because there's vast unemployment. Nobody's... Nobody in America much can buy things unless they're in the luxury market because we've so depressed our people. So they invest in places like China or New Zealand or Canada or any number of other people. But China is getting the lion's share of the investment. And what I'm saying is we should be looking out that the other great empire to emerge from World War II, the Soviet Union, basically collapsed out of its own corruption. Yes, and we're going down the same route. Have we, we already? It, it, it yes. feels like we've already collapsed. That they, they tell us we're the strongest country on the planet because we spend a trillion dollars a year on defense. However, as you've pointed out, we don't seem to be winning wars. No, we lost every single war. Since World War II, we didn't either lose it or there was a, d- a draw. The only place where we were victorious was Grenada, about the size of Rhode Island. Okay. Right. I mean, <laughs> and, and we can, uh, just not to, you know, to, to, both, to do both sides of the story, if all we wanted to do in Iraq was turn it into Berlin in 1945, we succeeded in doing that. If we didn't, if we just wanted to, destroy Baghdad. That's right, we, we did. 
which is what the goal was in World War II, to mm -hmm. obliterate Japan and Germany, total war. A trillion dollars can can get we can do that. We can do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So we have raised the bar. Our definition of winning a war now, we, we've, we've raised the bar now. Winning a war now means winning the hearts and minds of the people and rebuilding it in our image. I think in World War II, our goal was just to demolish. Well, although Roosevelt was thinking no, about life after. Then. Afterwards, with the Marshall Plan, as long as they got the communists out. And the UN. I mean, the UN, they were already planning the UN before the war was That's over. right. Yeah. It was a very different thing. We actually financed their recovery. Right. Iraq is still rubble. That was the most advanced economy, an advanced country in the Middle East. And although their leader was a nut job, not that we should be saying that can't happen here since hmm. it recently has. Enough um, about Biden, please. He hasn't even been. <laughs> but, you know, he but they had more 40 percent of jobs that were professional held by women. He got rid of the imams and religion in that society and had the most advanced society in the Middle East. And it wasn't given a Marshall Plan. It's just destroyed. So it's if we're the wealthiest. We're Afghanistan. I think we, we used to be th like 38% of the GDP. Now we're like 26%. Of, I don't know what the number is, but we're, we're still, I think we're, China and America are fighting for the largest GDP. If we're the wealthiest country in the history of the planet, they say we are. Yes, we are a wealthy country. Doesn't feel like it. Well, it doesn't feel like it to you because you don't have the wealth. I mean, there's 1% of the people who got over 160% increase since 1979. 90% is incomes and standards of living and their real wages went down. So that this country, which began in 1970, was the most egalitarian nation in all the developed world, is now the least egalitarian so that the prosperity doesn't happen for the mass of American people who are desperately poor. They're called Alice, assets, limited income constrained, but employed, struggling, working, and not making ends meet. That is a low standard of living. And it's and a trick played on the voter. They say jobs, jobs, jobs. What you, kind? Yeah, but they don't tell you that you're, you're, you're working and you're poor. I That's would assume right. most working people are poor. That's right. They are, or they're struggling to make ends meet. And if they miss a paycheck, they're out of luck. There's, we've failed our people. And look, I am not a fan of authoritarian governments, but China's people are more prosperous than they've ever been in their history. Not that that's all there is, but they also protected their people. Their idea was save our country by saving all the people, not by making more money for people who are connected with the president. That's just sick. And so we are a declining empire because that 
utter personal greediness has made us a declining empire. People don't invest in the United States. Even Americans don't. They get more money. They make outrageous money. They invest in the stock market. They don't start businesses. Right. Americans can't afford anything. It's interesting. The uh, I think it's the the FTC and the state's attorney generals who are suing Facebook for uh, predatory monopolistic practices. I noticed this about Facebook, that they they were not innovating. This is what the lawsuit claims. They were just buying other companies. Mark Zuckerberg isn't some genius. He would look around and buy up his competition or purchase a company that had a good idea. That's That's not innovation. No, it's not. It's buy off and silence. Right. And so, you know, the Chinese have a more advanced, they have working on, what is it, 6G, the sixth generation, the seventh generation, they have better internet. They're more advanced than us. They have 12 high-speed trains racing across their country. We don't have one. Right. It's... I don't even think Zoom, you know, we're relying on Zoom. I don't I don't think Zoom is an American company. I don't think so either, but I forgot where it's from. No, right. I think Americans are lagging that uh, we are a declining empire. And I think that explains a lot of Trump. People want to be great again. And right. especially white, toxic white people want to be great again because they want to have jobs and they think that it's black people who took their jobs or uppity women when it's actually capitalists who exported their jobs came back in and bought their government is there any upside to being an empire i don't think so i think the upside is learning to to live with other people in a way that honors the people around you and here jacinda ardern is terrific i mean the maoris were treated like black people were treated in the United States. They weren't enslaved, but they were horribly exploited and discriminated against. She's now teaching Maori in the schools. She speaks Maori in part when she gives addresses and she's redressing the grievances and the discriminations of the Maori people. Also, she did what no other country has done. She has stopped discrimination in women's labor. And the reason she's done that is she developed a commission that measured what are the tasks involved in women's labor and what are they worth? What is emotional labor and what is it worth? What does it take out of you to tend vulnerable life? What value is creating order or cleanliness? And when she did this, social workers got a 30.6% increase. And some of them burst out crying, not because they got only because they got more money, but because for the first time their labor was seen. And that's the core of creating real equality, looking at traditional women's jobs. And women, 43% of American women work in pink collar jobs. If you saw the value of those jobs, if you saw how important it is to have the emotional labor of a nurse's aide 
or to have an orderly in a hospital cleans everything. You'd know that's just as important as the surgeon. Right. Have the place clean and the person should be rewarded. I, I want to bring, if, if you can stick around, I want to bring uh, sure. Professor Adnan Hussein here in for a second. Right. And I'll pose this question. Are you there, Professor Adnan Hussein? Hi, David. Hi, Dr. Fraud. How are you doing? Hi. Uh, let me just talk to Professor Adnan Hussein for one second. He's chairman of the religion department at Queens University in Kingston, Ohio. And he hosts. Oh. I'm sorry. Okay. No, Kingston, Ontario. Uh, Kingston, Ontario. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, I do this. I, I, I keep a list of those flubs and uh, they're not getting worse. <laughs> <laughs> They're like every hour. It's, uh, it's a one-man band here. Uh, uh, Professor Adnan Hussein is the chairman of the religion department at Queens University in Kingston, Jamaica. And Kingston, oh, I, I know, I'm uh, Kingston, Ontario. Yeah. And he hosts two podcasts, the Mudgeless podcast and, of course, Guerrilla History with Henry Huckamacki. But I have to thank you the way I thanked you Saturday night. You and Professor Ann Lee did a presentation at office hours that was as great a gift as a song by Professor Mike Steinell. And that's saying a lot. They did, that they, is high praise. It is high praise. Uh, I just wish it was coming from somebody <laughs> with a little more status. Who's pretty, but... Uh, well, we're all after status. I did. I'm doing two podcasts because I want to be like Dr. Fraud. She's right. an inspiration. She's doing two podcasts. I thought, how do you do that? So right. I said, well, I got to try it. But Professor Anley and uh, Professor Adnan Hussein gave us an hour on John Brown, and it was phenomenal because I was raised to believe that he was a crackpot, and uh, and. The discussion got interesting. Maybe we can continue that a little later on, but let's stay with uh, the conversation we're having with Dr. Fraud and the, elect the electoral process, which is being challenged to the bitter end by the Republicans. I think 135 Republican Congress, quote unquote, people signed on to some kind of vote that called the presidential election into question. They said it was fraudulent, although they themselves were reelected using the same voting systems. What does that say? Uh, I'll start with uh, Dr. Harriet Fraud. What does it say about a party that refuses to acknowledge the truth about the electoral process to the bitter end? I mean, it's going to be up to Mike Pence Mike Pence is going to have to declare, I think it's January 5th, yeah. who the president is, or January 6th, I'm not sure. But I think, there's, I think they're going to dox Mike Pence, which wouldn't be a bad thing. I think, they're going to, I think the Republicans, the Trump wing of the Republican Party, is going to put a metaphorical gun against Mike Pence's head and make him say something, not declare Trump... The winner. What 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 does that well, say about the Republicans? It says that they don't believe in the Constitution. This election had probably less cheating than most. 
And I think all elections involve some cheating and some stealing. However, not to recognize the electoral process, which is supposedly the cornerstone of American democracy, such as it is, is sedition. And to say we should withhold, we should withdraw, that's sedition. And they shouldn't be allowed to get away with it. Part of the trouble that has allowed it to go this far is the Democrats don't stand up and say no. Because they have the same corporate sponsors as the Republican. It's a little dicey. Look, we have two parties of the employer, two capitalist parties. The Republicans say, steal everything. The Democrats say, you know, take it a little bit at a time, give them a few things, they'll get restive. But the idea is we're both capitalist parties, we'll both keep the system going. We both have the same corporate donors, and we are both indebted to those donors to be reelected in the pay-to-play system. Only a real socialist presence would be an alternative. And one of the reasons I think people voted for Trump is within such a narrow band of choice. People who are frustrated and angry go for the most extreme. And there's a very narrow band of choice. And the Democrats didn't stand up and don't stand up. That's why we're all pleased if AOC calls Nancy Pelosi's bluff. Right. So here's what I'd, I'd like to do, because we got Professor Harvey J.K. here, and I want to give everybody their time. So uh, let me do this. Let me say goodbye to Dr. Harriet Fraud. Bye. Thank you. And we'll go with Dr. Uh, Professor Adnan Hussein, because I've been getting complaints of from some of the guests that things drag through and it's uh, and uh, it, it's it's hard it's hard for me just it's sometimes I like a like a group of people on the screen but sometimes it's good to uh, like for example with Howie Klein we were having a heated conversation and I the easy way. I could have brought in Jim Earl and Professor Marianne and Professor Hussein with Howie Klein, but then I wouldn't have gotten him on the record. It would have been a lot of noise. And so let me say goodbye to Dr. Harriet Fraud. She's the host of Capitalism Hits Home. And yes. it's not just in your head. Yes. And how do people follow you on Twitter and get in touch with you, which they should? Well, I don't do Twitter, but they could go to my website, HarrietFraud.com, H-A-R-R-I-E-1-T-F-R-A-A-D.com. And if they're not hostile or anything, they could do hfraud at Gmail. Right. I got, I got a hostile email. I gave out my email to Mark Green on the air. And somebody sent me a, a hostile email that was so funny. <laughs> it was, I almost read it out loud, but I don't want to encourage it. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Fraud. Thank sure, you. Thank Let's, you. I hope I get to see you next week. Thank of you. Of course you will. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Well, let's give you, uh, you a proper introduction. Professor Adnan Hussein joins us from Kingston, Ontario. And would you like to comment on the the sedition that's taking place or the attempted sedition and how it relates to John Brown. Oh, you mean this 135 uh, 
Congress people who are willing to call in to question the authenticity and fairness of the electoral process. Yeah, let me yeah. let me frame it against the, what you and Professor Ann Lee presented mm-hmm. at office hours, and then the the conversation. You know, Ian Professor Ian Faluna got in, and we started talking about nonviolent uh, uh, passive resistance. Uh, there are Republicans. Alan Dershowitz is saying you can't trust the the Supreme Court. There's you can't trust the Republican Party. Donald Trump was. They stole the election. This isn't democracy, and we see people taking to the streets in Washington D.C. over the weekend and. People who really believe, the Proud Boys, who really believe that the election was stolen. 15,000 people showed up for that rally in Washington, D.C. A, is it sedition? B, did John Brown, was John Brown seditious? And C, in the quiz you gave us, one of the questions asked is, do you think it's okay to take arms against your country if it's doing something that is grossly unjust or unjust. I forgot well, what all three questions were, so oh, yeah. answer well, the, I mean, answer the fifth one. <laughs> well, firstly, just starting with the idea that um, we've inherited this view, which was almost contemporaneous uh, to John Brown, which is that he was... Uh, insane or crazy and it's basically because we have this sense that if you're willing to actually sacrifice pretty much everything in your life for a principle and an ideal you must be crazy because why tell everybody who john brown is because i always thought it was queen victoria's uh, lover after albert (laughs) died that's a that's that's the good john brown the guy who handled the horses for her But this is the other John Brown, right? This is the uh, old man, John Brown, um, who led a raid, famous abolitionist, who led a raid on Harper's Ferry uh, and precipitated, uh, um, you know, what people think, the processes that started the Civil War. Um, And he was executed after this failed raid, uh, but he had a career before that uh, with his family, his sons, um, contesting uh, in Kansas, bloody Kansas, as it was known, uh, the status of that state uh, to try and make sure that it would be a free state rather than a slave state. And it involved violent confrontations with pro-slavery. But he took arms. Did he take Harper's Ferry? Harper's Ferry was a federal arsenal. So it was a depository full of weapons that he wanted to seize and then use um, to foment a slave rebellion. Uh, you know, This to, is in Virginia. Yeah, in Virginia, West Virginia, right? It's right on the border. It's in West Virginia today, but it was in Virginia then at the, the state boundary. So he raided Harper's Ferry to get weapons that... that- that belong to and the to f- touch off a kind of uh, rising up um, into hoping that the news would spread and that it would encourage um, uh, slaves to flee the, their masters, flock uh, and form an army for their own liberation. Right. And that didn't happen. Yeah, obviously it didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? 
Well, um, you know, there were some bungling in the actual uh, planning and execution. Um, Words seemed to get out uh, a little bit before they had to move their timetable up. But I think one of the key problems was that John Brown really believed, even though he was in a vulnerable position, could have seized the weapons and retreated to the hills and perhaps over a longer period of time recruited and attracted people to him. He kept thinking that... Uh, As soon as the news gets out, people will be coming. And he assumed that the news was being disseminated and he was expecting uh, a lot of of people to join. And that didn't happen. And instead, Robert E. Lee's federal forces arrived. Really? Yes. Yes. And captured him and his men. Well, not basically everyone except John Brown practically. Uh, was killed, um, you know, in, in, in the uh, suppression of the raid. So his execution, however, was very important. Um, it was a sensation. It was big news everywhere. It frightened uh, slaveholders in the South who were impressed by the willingness of abolitionists to actually stand up. Usually it was the pro-slavery forces who had wielded violence in Congress. So they beat a, uh, you know, a, a Congress person who um, was a, a against slavery. Um, without Sum- was it uh, Sumner? Who, who, Sumter. Sumter. Yeah, no, Sumner. I think it was Charles Sumner. Um, I don't remember the exact details. Fort Sumter is what you know. The bombarding of Fort Sumter starts the Civil War, and I think it was Charles Sumner, right? Who was yes, who was the uh, the elected official who was who was beaten. Um, and there were a lot of, for example, the Fugitive Slave Act in in eighteen fifty established the precedent under federal law that um, slaves, even if they made it to a free state, had to be returned legally, had to be returned as property to their uh, slave masters. And so you ended up having marauding bands of slavers in the border zones, um, say between Maryland and southern Pennsylvania, places like this, um, since Pennsylvania was a free state, you had these marauding slave, uh, pro-slavery bands that would go and kidnap free blacks, um, try and find fugitives, um, went into Philadelphia on the streets of Philadelphia, would snatch people, essentially a form of extraordinary rendition, you know, and take them back uh, to, to slavery in the South and, and, and sell them. So they were using violence. They flooded into Kansas from Missouri, which was a slave state sacked Lawrence, Kansas, you know, were marauding. And, you know, somebody like John Brown was willing to organize and stand up to that violence and counter it with his, you know, his his own, um, you know, his own willingness to fight. Um, and so he was, for some reason, um, the one who was demonized, right, as this extreme, you know, uh, figure simply because he was willing to uh, take uh, these more radical measures on behalf of abolitionism, which most of the time had been following through the democratic processes of, you know, lobbying, making the case, educating people, uh, agitating politically, um, Without much success. Now, they may have won much of the populace in the North, but um, it wasn't leading to, uh, you know, a a dramatic change in in the outcomes. And um, 
you could say that the whole system of slavery was systemically incorporated violence. It was the violent subordination of people um, taking away their freedom and coercing them into, into labor. So this was a violent system. It rested upon violence. It was systemically violent. And what he was doing was trying to agitate for the freedom uh, and to create uh, conditions in which the slaves could participate in their own freedom. I think he felt that that was important, that they... And we did see slave revolts in Haiti, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, that is the great slave revolt, the most successful one uh, in history. But there were slave revolts, of course, in the U.S. South before, you know, Nat Turner's famous rebellion. Um, and the Amish. I can't remember course. if it was the 1820s or 1830s. I forget the exact date of it. But there were slave revolts, slave rebellions all through the Caribbean, U.S. South, uh, Latin America. There were very famous revolts in the 1830s, for example, in Brazil, which was, of course, also a major slave. Brazil was one of the last places to actually uh, end slavery in the 1880s. Um, and uh, the Bahia revolts were uh, massive, widespread uh, revolts led by West African uh, Muslim uh, scholars who used Arabic writing to circulate plans to plantations in that region of, of, of Brazil to coordinate a mass uprising. It was one of the largest slave revolts. It was brutally suppressed, but it was one of the largest slave revolts um, in the Atlantic world. Haiti is, of course, the paradigmatic example. Uh, and often it's thought that you really have to put the American Revolution, the French Revolution, and the Haitian Revolution together in a kind of revolutionary moment that they really draw upon the same kind of enlightenment values um, of democratic republicanism uh, in, in, in that period. All right, so bringing it 100 and some odd years forward to now, you have our militia standing in front of the Michigan State House today and in Georgia, Arizona, they are echoes of John Brown, at least well, think, not politically. Yeah. But. Some of them might imagine that they are in some sense if they consider him a hero. And of course, many of them may be motivated by uh, their sense of religiosity. So I think, for example, some of the pro-life forces who have gone to radical extremes um, of intimidation at, at abortion clinics or even further have sometimes tried to characterize uh, themselves as uh, abolitionists of a different sort and um, see some uh, inspiration in John Brown. I think the... Um, difference here is that uh, John Brown was fighting on behalf of equality and justice for, for all, right? I mean, this was a clear sort of principle. What we're seeing um, on the right really is very much like what you started to see in Weimar Germany, I think. is and, and that, I think, is really when fascism becomes a genuine danger. It's not just when you have far-right politicians and far-right ideologues or demagogues, but when you have organized street thugs organizing 
you know, at that local sort of level that will follow and try and enforce uh, on a social level in local communities and use violent intimidation in order to suppress democratic politics. Um, so, where the, and where the violence, I was looking at the video of the Proud Boys, and the violence is the point. These are frustrated mixed martial artists who enjoy the, the sting of getting punched and the thrill of punching somebody. And the politics are, of no, are inconsequential. It's about the violence for these guys who take to the street, Right. Um, you, I think you have a real point there. Um, they don't believe in anything other than their rage. They're, they're rageaholics who who watch mixed martial arts or play with guns, and they want their battle stories. They want to go home and say, you know, it was the battle of December 13th on the streets of D.C., and this is my knife wound when they, they they've been so in indoctrinated in the nobility of warfare but mm -hmm. they're not going off and serving their country but they have their war stories now to tell and it's about hatred and the thrill of violence that that trump is tapping into I think that's I think that there's definitely something to that it would have been good to talk with dr fraud about the emotional you know, substratum of this uh, kind of culture that's that's emerging, because what it seems to me is uh, it's indicative of how little meaningful action we we have. We don't have, um, you know, these are people who are trying to insert themselves into some sense of history. You know, they want this to be some kind of important struggle that they're a part of to associate themselves with and to find and locate themselves with some greater meaning. And that's the sad thing is that I think in our kind of consumer culture where politics has become somewhat meaningless, it doesn't actually have stakes that anyone can observe because there's such a, a paralysis of the system, you know, uh, you keep voting for people, maybe you even vote in different people and nothing really seems to change. So that whole realm is denuded of any genuine historical significance to people, I think. And so you find people searching for um, ways to be part of something um, that can lead to very destructive, nihilistic, um, you know, action that doesn't have any um, significance or content other than to convey that sense of feeling something and being a part of a group. Um, I think it's a very concerning uh, development, but it's, it's a sign of how, of how little meaningful politics um, we have for, for genuine social action and social change. Punch a Nazi. I hear a lot of people on the left who say, I'm not going to go onto the streets, but the streets don't belong to the Proud Boys. And if they want to punch a Nazi, go ahead. And I think on Saturday, uh, Friday, well, it was Saturday morning, Ian, Professor Ian Faluna was talking about nonviolent Gandhi, Martin Luther King. Was, was, Gandhi was Martin Luther King. 
did they preach nonviolent resistance? Was that their their complete dogma, or did it involve some violence? I think they were very committed to um, a practice of resistance um, that would uh, be nonviolent and would turn the violence of the oppressor and the persecutor back upon themselves through a kind of moral, you know, shaming, right? That this, that, that, that you would lose all moral claim or capacity, you know, if the, passive resistance well if the the resistance was was done in the appropriate way with discipline maturity um but here's the I, thing i know. don't understand about nonviolent resistance under gandhi john lewis and the the pettus bridge i understand because the whole world was watching if the whole world isn't watching and, and we didn't have the kind of news coverage when gandhi was practicing passive resistance does it work i mean well with gandhi the reason why it could work is because the conditions were very different than say the u.s south it was the vast majority of people you're dealing with a colonial occupation with a very small um administrative um elite and some colonial military uh forces usually officers that were um usually officers who were um you know in charge of colonial troops right so uh sikhs muslims hindus who were part of the british uh british troops they had british officers so this is all hanging by a thread because it requires the cooperation of the colonized in order for the system to maintain itself. So what Gandhi was trying to do was not just passive resistance or peaceful nonviolent resistance, it was also non-cooperation. Right. So the combination of boycotts, non-cooperation, and trying to remove people from the functioning of the order to bring it, um, you know, to its knees so that it couldn't function and that that would bring about the collapse of the system. Um, and in fact, actually, it was part of his technique to uh, force the British to have to use violence in order to control, because ultimately that would um, fail to work over time because you're talking about um, of the vast majority of people having to be controlled. And that's not easy to do um, if they don't cooperate and but collaborate. There yeah, own. there aren't really that many famous examples of nonviolent resistance until we had a active press. Unless it's being covered, we really don't, because if, if you're... But even now, I think things are being covered. And the question is, is... Um, does it is it is it working i mean so uh we've seen so many videos i don't know why it was that george the video of george floyd touched off um you know the avalanche of protests that we've witnessed i i think it's because honestly uh, well because we've seen other videos too i think everybody was locked in their home and they were looking for an excuse to get out (laughs) i'm not being funny i I think I, i i don't see the I mean, I know BLM is still going. I don't see as many white people uh, participating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I see the, the cops getting worse, by the way. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And we've seen how this has 
continued over and over. We do see videos and the world is is watching, um, but it hasn't necessarily led to real systemic material changes to the functioning of 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 policing for example so that's the real real question in fact even today tomorrow is the national vigil uh for the the justice for soli campaign it's the fourth anniversary of suleiman fatiri's brutal killing in uh lindsay correctional facility a jail here in ontario right you let it you, I don't know if you, you spoke at the rally. I don't know if you... I did, yeah. I, I organized a, a rally in Kingston um, over this during the summer. And um, now they're having a national vigil tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern, an online uh, kind of uh, vigil. It's been four years of consistent effort um, of trying to... Uh, you know, bring people to justice, have some resolution. Um, there have been so many inquests and inquiries. And um, what happened to is, him? Is, what what, what yeah, happened? This well, was in Canada. Happened? Yeah, the, he was uh, uh, somebody who suffered from uh, schizophrenia. He was taken into custody. And what after, was his ethnicity? Uh, he's uh, Afghan. And, yeah, was, and, a, and how was he dressed? Well, um, that's that's uh, a good question. He had a big beard, wore a hat, wore a hat, um, and uh, dressed in traditional Afghan um, uh, garb, right? And so, but, I think you, but you're not allowed to be complicated if you're of a certain ethnicity or, or class. Black men in America are not allowed to be complicated. George Floyd isn't right. allowed to be complicated. He's not allowed to suffer from claustrophobia. He's a black man. That's all yeah. he is. He can't say to the police, don't handcuff me, I'll go in peacefully because I have claustrophobia. Or he's, you know, or he may or may not have been on some kind of amphetamine or whatever. He's not he's a black man. That's all he is. He's not there's no complexity. That's yeah. right. There's no nuance, complexity. You don't right. get any benefit of the doubt, right? Right. Uh, he, and he's not allowed to have a bad day. Exactly. That, I mean, right. that, you can't make a mistake. Right. right. You make a mistake, you pay for it. And that was right. certainly the case. You know, I've looked at um, uh, cases in Canada over the last five to six, seven years. There have been about 20, 25 cases of um killing of people of color, indigenous or, or, or black uh, people by, by police. And um, in, I would say, 80% of the cases, there are people who suffered also from some kind of um, mental illness challenge. And it seems that if you are, uh, you know, a person of color who also has uh, these other complications and needs, you are in a very dangerous situation. Um, and that was his case. That was the case of Suleiman Fakiri, and he was beaten brutally. I mean, there were 50. Um, this is uh, the cops doing it. Yeah, well, the prison guards and the prison officials. Um, were they uh, laughing so was, the way they were laughing, the way the Rochester police were laughing? I don't know if if there are reports of of them making light of the situation, um, but it was a horrific it was a horrific beating. He was uh, shackled uh, 
you know, they had a spit hood over him and he was left alone after a brutal beating in his cell. And um, soon thereafter, uh, it was discovered that he was no longer breathing. And there have been two inquests and nothing has been done about it. And, uh, you know, there's been so much activism around this issue and around violence against uh, people of color in Canada, just as there has been in the States. And it seems like we're still spinning our wheels um, with this situation. Wow. Well, Professor Harvey J.K. is here and uh, we'll... Uh, I'm getting an angry, uh, somebody's mad at me. Story of my life. Uh, okay. Who's angry with you? I can't, but uh, people get angry. I, I'm sorry. Uh, Are they in the chat? Huh? Is this out of the chat? No, no, no. I just got an angry email. It threw me. Uh, I get a lot of angry emails, but I shouldn't, I, I was, let me, uh, let me. So, what? What? When is the next vigil? It's tomorrow at eight p- eight p.m. Um, Eastern Eastern time. Right. And so, you know, people can make it an international vigil. I'll uh, drop the uh, link uh, in the chat. But if you go and search for Justice for Soli S O L I campaign, you can find out about it. Okay. Uh, before I bring in Professor Harvey J K, I'll play the song. Have you noticed, this is what I've noticed, and I'm going to ask Professor Harvey J.K., and then we'll wrap it up, but I'd like Professor Adnan Hussein to comment on this. Uh, they, they say that the fights in academ- academia are so intense because the stakes are so low, right? That's what they say, yeah, right? That's, a, that's an old truism, right? Okay. So Adnan I would have. Adnan doesn't get in fights, so he didn't know about that. So would would you? Oh, <laughs> is it safe to say because this is a you know a nice little show, but we're not huge? Would it be fair to say that uh, sometimes I get attacked personally because the stakes because the stakes are so low, right? Are you asking me? But either one of you. That that that's how I have to look at it. If if I were running a uh, I don't know uh, a big thing, you deserve more money. You're going to be attacked, right? Is right. That what you're saying? Yeah, but I think it's because the stakes are so. I also think it's because people are all we're all miserable, and. We don't want to lash out at ourselves, so we lash out at others, right? That's the other. Or maybe because the cost of attacking you is fairly low. You don't have enough uh, armies of uh, fanatical supporters who will, you know, do battle on Twitter and make life miserable for everybody. Right. I'm low-hanging fruit. I see. Okay. Uh, All right. Can you hear me as you normally hear me? I hear you and I see you. And now, the reason I ask is I did something this afternoon that required me to change the setting on the microphone on my computer. You sound perfect. Let's okay. let. Okay. okay. Professor Adnan Hussein is the host of the Mudgeless podcast, as well as Gorilla History with Henry Huckamacki and Brett O'Shea, which everybody should subscribe to. They have a great podcast on John Brown. And once again, I want to thank 
Professor Adnan Hussein and Professor Anna Lee for their presentation. I want to see Professor Harvey J.K.'s reaction to this. Office hours went to a new level. Did you do the 24 hours? No, we haven't gotten to that yet. Uh, There's, you know, all these great people. Professor Adnan Hussein and Professor Anna Lee did a presentation on John Brown, and it was really breathtaking. So that's great. Thank you. We had fun. The only reason Professor Harvey J.K. comes here every week is because of this song by Professor Mike Steinel. Harvey J.K. He's got a lot to say about Thomas Paine. And FDR St. Peter, don't you call me Cause I can't go Harvey J.K. is on the show today Harvey J.K. J.K. wants you to be radical. He ain't dogmatical. Won't take a sabbatical. St. Peter, don't you call me, cause I can't go. Harvey J.K. is on the show today. Harvey J.K. That is uh, Professor Mike Steinel. I could, I could just, I sing, for some reason, that's the song that gets, stu- of all his songs, that's the one that's stuck in my brain. It's pretty powerful. Professor Harvey J.K. joins us. He is the author of so many books that make stocking stuffers galore. FDR on Democracy is his latest. Take Hold of Our History, The Fight for the Four Freedoms, this book on Thomas Paine. And I want to ask you a question, if you don't sure. mind. Okay, I'm going to post some numbers here and see if you agree. 
There are many people on the left who say you should call your congressperson and tell them not to vote for Nancy Pelosi for speaker unless she promises to put Medicare for all on the floor for a vote. This is somewhat controversial, got a little heated here today. I understand. I've heard that there's a a podcast war and a and a, a whole set of exchanges. And I try to honestly, I try to stay away from. I do squabble, too. I but do I too. Really do. I would love to see a greater commitment in public to this M4A. Let me let me just read the numbers here for our listeners because we had a conversation earlier, and I was hearing both sides of the argument. I wish I were one of those flamethrowers who knew what the answer is and would, this is what we have to do. I can't throw flames until I talk to everybody and sort it out, but it sure feels like it's a good idea. Well, let me just preface this by saying, in 2008, I went on Bill Moyer's TV show for the first time, the National Public I love, yes, of course. And it was the Thomas, my Thomas Paine visit with him. And we got into talking about the political scene because it was the time of the 2008 primaries. That was it. Okay. And the Democrats already, con- at that point, I believe the Democrats controlled Congress. I think they had taken what the year? House in 2008. So they had taken Yes, the they house had just taken it. It was two, She got it in 2006. Yes. Yeah. And I said on that show, and I meant it sincerely, that. I don't, didn't understand why the Democrats at that point didn't do at least a sense of the Senate, a sense of that, you know, they, that kind of vote to go on record as, as pursuing. I don't think it was called Medicare for all at that moment. I think it was, we just called it national health care, universal health care or single payer. I, it doesn't matter. But I, I said on the show that I didn't understand why the Democrats were failing to do just that. So here we are 12 years later. Okay. No, it's not. They're not going to enact it, but let it go on record. The Democrats on record, okay, as wanting, pursuing universal health care. I mean, Joe Biden himself in his platform, though he doesn't use the term Medicare for all, says he, you know, he hopes to have a presidency that moves us towards universal health care. I think that's the term he used. So, you know, let it happen. I, and I, I don't know whose side I'm taking on this question because I don't know who's, what the sides are. Well, but, do you mind if I run it by you? I, I'm very curious because it got heated and I try to walk away from confrontations. But well, just so you know, two minutes before I came on with you, I got a text from a radio guy I know talking about this big, uh, what's his name, Jimmy Dore yeah. versus everybody kind of blow up. And I, I don't know, again, I don't know that, I don't know what transpired. So I'm happy to hear you explain. Well, Jimmy used to be my best friend. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And we, and, but he doesn't talk to me anymore. So I would love to be against anything he's for. I I would love, I would love to call. I remember Michael warning me away from anything that, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a flamethrower and he, you know, he knows what's right and what's wrong. And, then there are no consequences when he gets things wrong, like Rush Limbaugh. You just move on to the next. Like he said, you know, don't vote for Hillary. Uh, somehow he had a plan in 2016 how the Democrats would get the court. I don't understand. But there are no consequences 
if you don't write anything down. If you're just a flamethrower on the radio or on a podcast, you can right. pretty much say whatever you want. Apparently, yeah. And nobody holds you accountable. So, you know, Jimmy's an intellectual lightweight, so he resorts to throwing flames. And yeah. he's pretty funny. And his instincts, he's not my friend anymore, so I'm not, you know, but I kind of agree with him on, because I've been listening to people, and it seems to me, without hearing what Jimmy had to say, a lot of very wise people I know say it's never going to happen, that the squad, because and Professor Marianne Cummings is coming up next. She was the first one to tell me about this, that we're within like, six or seven, Pelosi needs six or seven votes. All it takes is six or seven votes for Pelosi not to get elected speaker. So the argument is that Jimmy's making the, the squad, now with Jamal Bowman and Cory Bush, they have a lot of power. They can say to Nancy Pelosi, either bring a vote on Medicare for all before the the, the house so we can get everyone on record to tell us where they stand or we're not voting for you and then mccarthy becomes speaker of the house and the argument against all this is she'll change the rules that it'll be now you need a plurality to be elected speaker so it's never going to happen and and the more i hear this the more i think well the left has to withhold its vote somewhere Professor Marianne always says, you know, the left has to withhold their vote. And I say, but where? Well, here, withhold yeah, the it, vote. It, it seems that way, indeed. Um, part of the thing that I understand, and again, this only because I'm getting these messages from around the country, is that Doerr is actually, he's not really pushing Medicare for all vote in some people's minds. What he's doing is he's trying to, garner more publicity for himself by attacking people yeah but i listen that, that, that's what that's again, that's what that's what you do when you're trying to get a rush limbaugh like following on the left right, and I, and, right exactly it's okay but i so in some ways i i'm trying not to know too much about it because i just think they ought to take they ought to take a vote yeah the thing with jimmy is there's a lot of jealousy on the left of Jimmy, because he's wildly popular and he's doing a kind of lonesome roads type of thing. But he puts on a good show. I've watched it. It's he's he's doing a great job and he's saying the I, right I things. I remember him from the Young Turks. Once he left, I yeah. didn't bother to follow. Yeah. I mean, I wish. Listen, uh, we're no longer friends, so I would love to attack him. But I agree with him on this because uh somewhere you have to make your stand and if you scare pelosi and say you don't have our vote not just for speaker but all the other things you want to do we're going to make your life miserable the same way meadows and the freedom caucus and the tea party drove john boehner to marijuana boehner was just an alcoholic when he was speaker <laughs> he became a pothead well, his daughter married a Rastafarian, but Boehner became a, a pothead. Is that true? Is that true? Yeah. yeah. Wait, that, I mean, it's just marvelous. I didn't. Well, you, I got to. I, I don't come on so you can learn things. I come on so I can learn things. Well, anyway. Uh, all right. Let's. I, I have to ask you about Wisconsin. 
what is going on first with the COVID and then secondly with the Electoral College? Well, we're still breaking records, but it does seem that we're falling behind other states that are that are passing us up in terms of the rap, the rapidity by which, you know, they, they have cases uh, increasing. So, you know, it's, my, Lauren and my wife will read me say, hey, you know, such and such a state's now ninth or 10th and we've fallen, you know, as a kind of sarcastic kind of uh, yeah. thing about it. Alabama is out of beds. The doctors are forced to make house calls now. And is it how bad are the ICUs in Wisconsin? I, I'm, I'm not on top of the question. Uh, in fact, in some ways, I've, since Lorna is originally British and all her friends and family are still there, I hear more about, you know, the, the shutting down of London restaurants and, and that kind of thing. Oh, bad news. 21, the 21 Club closed permanently. Yeah. So you and I, when you come to New York, we're going to have to find a different place. <laughs> to, to... Well, in that vein, as long as we're talking of such stuff, do you know Veselka down on 2nd Avenue? Yeah, it's the Polish the restaurant. Yeah, That's, the I eat there all the Ukrainian, time. Ukrainian restaurant. I'm pretty. Now I got. Hang on no, for one second. It's Ukrainian. Hang it's on. Ukrainian. I got Stacey Abrams wrong last week. Uh, I said Ukrainian, she went right? to Harvard. You said Yale. You were right. Yeah. I know that Veselka is Polish. I'm positive it's. I will now bet you. Okay. I, you know what? I tell you what. Here's the thing. First thing I want you to remember. Now I want you to remember this. The area, much of the area of the Ukraine was various, various, you know, for a while it was held by Russia, for a while it was held by Poland. And then, of course, it's the, now it then became the Ukraine and the Soviet Union. It, it's Ukraine. The reason I'm telling you that I know this, OK, is that there was a fire not long, just very recently, like maybe within the past two weeks. At Veselka? Two doors away in the Ukrainian church. OK. And... That whole area there, besides the church, is owned by Ukrainian you know, family or landlords for years and years and years and years. And the Selkis, so I've been, Lorna, my daughter and her fiance. I, I, I have to interrupt you. you yeah. I, the fact, I, I know that it's a Polish restaurant and that fire was started when somebody tried to screw in a light bulb. And that is. <laughs> It's okay. I haven't, I haven't heard that in years. I can the make ethnic, jokes like it's okay. You know, I can make jokes the like that. Jokes in which we grew up. It's it's hard. Here's to, my excuse. It's okay. I can make Polish jokes because I like them. It's okay. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> David. David, I'm not keeping score, but you're wrong again. It's Ukrainian. Okay? All right. Okay. Hmm. And, and I say this because tonight I was looking on that Gold Belly, that delivery service, to see about ordering maybe their mushroom and barley soup out here to Wisconsin. And it decidedly says on the top, Ukrainian restaurant, blah, blah, blah. And the New York Times today had an article about the fact that Veselka that is buying the toy store that sits next door to them on whatever the the, the street is, not the not Second Avenue, but really? that street. Yeah, and the toy st- but the toy store is not going out of business. The owners are retiring and selling it to one of their employees who's moving it across the street. So Veselka, after all these many, many years, is expanding. And my worry was, because my daughter and her fiance, they love that place, is that it wouldn't make it through the pandemic. But they've been doing really well on call-ins and pickups, and they've got, you know, all the tables sitting around on the street on second around the corner of Second Avenue and along the side street. So they seem to be surviving and, and doing okay. But it's it's Ukrainian. 
I, this is a horrible thing for me to say. Don't say it then. I'll say it. <laughs> uh, I left New York because I hated it because of what Koch did with Wall Street. Oh, yeah. And, well, New York is back. Let me just put it. I, w- I won't tell you the story that I read, but it was pretty horrific. And right. I thought, this is New well, York. What, is I've read, what I've been reading is that that the, um, was it, Midtown retail operations, which include offices upstairs, that those are going to be turning into apartments, condos and apartments. I, well, the, the, the well, Kushner's, the Kushners are in a lot of trouble. They own a lot of commercial property. I'm hoping I should watch what I say. Uh, I would like to see Manhattan. Uh, I think Manhattan has destroyed the world, quite frankly. I, I think the tip of Manhattan is responsible for most of the pain and suffering on this planet. And I had Mark Green on. He was one of the original Nader's Raiders. And he I be- remember Mark Green. Sure. Yeah. And he was head of, he was Mayor Dinkins, uh, Consumer Affairs Commissioner. And he went after Joe Camel under Mayor Dinkins. That name I don't remember, but okay. Uh, Joe Camel was the, the, the cartoon character who told kids it was okay to smoke cigarettes. Uh, and D- Dinkins came in after Koch. Yes. And Philip Morris said to Dinkins, if you try to ban Joe Campbell, we're moving out of Manhattan. Oh, Joe Campbell. I thought you said Campbell. No, Joe, Joseph Campbell, the myth of the... Uh, uh, yeah, right. That's, that's what I Bill Moyer's saying. guy. Yeah, not uh, mine, but Bill's. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was an anti-Semite, Joseph Campbell. Was he really? Oh, yeah. yeah Don't you know you're anti-Semites? You've been in Wisconsin, too. I'm, I'm going to send you my mother's Rolodex. She keeps a whole list of... I, I learned, how to just sort of, I learned to sort of just distance my, like, distance Jimmy Dore and Joseph Campbell. Okay. So, Mayor Dinkins said, it was told by Philip Morris, if you're, uh, cons- if Mark Green at the Department of Consumer Affairs goes after Joe Campbell, we're taking all our offices and we're moving out of Manhattan. And Mayor Dinkins said, I'll buy you a token. Bye. Can you imagine? I always say to these people, leave. Get out of Manhattan. We, it's unlivable to these Wall Street pieces. So what's on your, I'm talking too much. What's on your mind tonight? What's on my mind? Well. Um, Ukrainian food. It, yeah. Well, actually, it's what's, here's the thing. Second Avenue, when I was a boy into my teenage years, I used to go down to Second Avenue. I, I used to go in from Jersey to Second Avenue, and I had a girlfriend for a while at NYU. And we used to go over to Ratner's, which was, of course, down the street from Veselka. But Ratner's went way back, okay, way back. And my grandfather was a regular there, and and the waiters all knew him, and it was just great. And I, I'm still, con- and I'm pretty sure that I sat at a table with Abby Hoffman one time, okay, for what it's worth at Ratner's. But when Ratner's closed. I thought, well, that's the end of certain kinds of foods in that area. Remember, it's not a deli. It was a, it was a, non, a non-meat restaurant, Ratner's. So I'm not talking about Russ and Daughters as the fish place or Katz's 
as the delicatessen. This is Ratner's, which serve fish and, and regular meals, but no meat, as I recall. So, um, but what happened is that I little, uh, it's, well, years later, these two young guys from New Jersey, these two leftists, um, said, hey, let's go in and eat at Veselka. I didn't even know it. That's another reason I know it's Ukrainian. And, um, and I discovered that whether they had originally served this, because Ukrainians and Jews probably, for all their antagonisms, probably ate similar things as these peasants that they all were and artisans, that one could go to Veselka and get some of the dishes that one used to get at Ratner's. So what's, when I've been reading about this, it's really taken me back. I've been thinking a lot about when I was when I was younger and I kind of, you know, I look forward to the moment where I can go back and take in New York city. I know how you feel about Manhattan. I just, it'd be nice to get back. That's all I can tell you. Okay. I found, we have a crack research staff. And by that, I mean, they're addicted to crack. I found the, <laughs> I, I found the story about Joseph Campbell. I, I was going to correct myself, but it turns out I'm right. Joseph Campbell was an anti-Semite. Let me okay, show you. The, then, well, how come you didn't bother to check to see if uh, Veselka was, Ukra- was, Ukra- was Ukrainian? Well, you're selective in your. A man can only be a pain in the ass. Because you know you're wrong. That's why. Here's the story from the New York Times by Richard Bernstein, November 6, 1989. Wow. After death, a writer is accused of anti Semitism. Well, that's not good. You should have done it while he was alive. And where's the rest of the story? Funny, I remember the name Richard Bur- the journalist Richard Bernstein. That's funny. Uh, and now comes a different kind of resurrection. In an article in the New York Review of Books on September 28th, the author and critic Brendan Gill counters the worshipful attitude towards Joseph Campbell by accusing him of being an anti-Semite and a racist. Oh, okay. Well... So he's a mixed bag. <laughs> Before he was just a bag. And he was just a bag. bag. Yeah, he's a complicated. He's a complicated man, Joseph right, Campbell. Right. Why don't you like yeah. Joseph Campbell? I don't. I'm, I don't get into spiritual stuff. The hero's journey. My, when my, you know, Michael and I were very close, as as you know, and he introduced us. Michael Brooks, in case anyone's wondering who I'm talking about. But the one part of Michael that I generally, we, we didn't get into a conversation about was his spirituality and meditation and all that kind of stuff. But this is a spiritual time of the year. This is when we're all terrified. Yeah, when the people day. are buying, when, when people are running around and or ordering online now expensive gifts for everybody. That, this is a very spiritual time. <laughs> I don't think anybody's buying gifts this year. At least not for you, if the way you're talking. I, uh, you know, the I don't get gifts. gifts. Amazon is Amazon, for example, is making more money. Like this, they're going to start printing their own. In fact, they may well be a part of the whole Bitcoin sort of you know cryptocurrency kind of uh, right moves. What do you What do you want for Christmas, or what do, What do you people celebrate? Do your people celebrate Hanukkah? You celebrate Hanukkah, you well, people. Well, my sister, then when we go east, when we used to go, when we would go east, as we've done for many years, but we don't do this year, the family got together, and then it was a mix of Jews and Christians. And my brother-in-law grew up Catholic. He, he's a non-practicing Catholic, but he loves Christmas. He's got the Christmas tree done already. He's got nutcrackers all over the house. It's absolutely gorgeous to see. It, it's yeah. as good as walking down Fifth Avenue in the old days when all the lights were, lights were on. Um, so... At that time is when we would all exchange gifts. And the best time is when Hanukkah and Christmas overlapped. 
So, but we I, we celebrate Hanukkah, and you know it's not a major holiday, but it's fun kind of thing. We don't we don't give a lot of gifts. My, Lauren and I don't give each other gifts. So, can I embarrass myself? You know, and I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to be cute or funny. Okay. My favorite holiday, and I'm, I mean this, is Yom Kippur. Because to me, that's Christmas. Christmas, everything stops on Christmas Day. Unless uh, you're Jewish, you can work on Christmas Day. Yeah. But Yom Kippur, God will punish you if you turn on the computer, if you return a phone call, if you think about work. Yeah. That's my favorite day of the year. It's just everything stops. Well, if you became an Orthodox Jew, you could do it every Saturday. Yeah, it's not a bad idea, except for having to be an Orthodox Jew. That I don't like. Yeah, but right. the, the not working on Saturday, where you really just stop, and it is an act of faith on set, to say, whatever is hanging over my head, I have faith that I can take care of it on Sunday. It is. Have you ever obeyed the Sabbath? I'm being serious. No. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I, yeah, well, I no, I no, I haven't. Not from a. I'm not saying for a Jew. I mean, because the, there's a Sabbath for Gentiles on Sunday. Yeah. No, no, I don't obey that one either. The idea in, of saying. In fact, here's a, uh, let me put. Let me tell you a story. What, what have we got? We got a little while. So when I was growing up, you know, it was a very, very you know, well. You, you and I grew up in the same county, right? It's right. Jews and it's Catholics and it's Protestants. It's a very Religion in that area was... A lot of Polish people know Ukrainians, but go ahead. <laughs> I never knew. Go ahead. Well, I always got a kick out of the fact, and, I, and I, it became a fascination for me that my Protestant friends, who were maybe part of a more religious Protestantism, you know, Sunday was the Sabbath, okay? And you know, they went to church on Sunday mornings, and there were certain kinds of things they might not do. I mean, we were nobody was very religious when I was growing up. But the point was, there were, the, the Protestants took Sunday very seriously as the Sabbath day. Sabbatarians, I guess, is the old term for it, right? But the Catholics, of course, had a completely different conception of Sunday. So, for example, I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if you even noticed it. In Bergen County, all the Catholic high schools played football on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, right? I mean, you didn't realize. Yeah, they did. And by the way, one of the reasons I bring this up is since we both grew up in Bergen County, you will recall Bergen County was no shopping on Sunday. None of the, the stores did not open on Sunday. Hmm. You don't have any recollection of that? The difference between you and me is we were both raised in Bergen County, but you're proud of it. Uh, <laughs> I'm a self-hating New no, I'm not. Can we do this? Hang on. I just don't want to be rude. We have Professor Marianne Cummings. And can you, first of all, can you, we have a, we're doing the show Christmas Eve and we're doing it New Year's Eve. Oh, you are? Yes. Any chance I can dragoon you into uh, stopping by for Christmas? Is that, is that a month? What night is it? These? We're recording th Thursday. Christmas Eve is Thursday. And New Year's Eve is Thursday. Yeah, I don't see why I couldn't. And we're doing office hours, Christmas Day and <laughs> New Year's Day. Oh, God, you guys are great. I'm so glad I I'm so glad I created you. You created an effing I'm monster. So you created an effing monster. Yeah, keep me in mind for, for the 
for a while on the Christmas, for to have me on on the Christmas Eve one. Yeah, I feel um, bad. We made small talk and we didn't really talk about. It. I mean, it was fun, but I feel like I I feel cheated. Well, there were. Th- I mean, you know what's funny? I swear to God, I'm not very spiritual, but I swear to God, all day I had something on my mind I wanted to talk to you about, and then all of a sudden I. I was getting messages from California and New York and, and other places about this Jimmy Dore thing. And I didn't know a thing about it. So my head was spinning and then you brought it up. So, so we, it, we, we talked about it. Okay. We're going to talk about it with Mary and professor. That's Mar- not what was on my mind. And oh. I still can't remember what was on my mind. So. I'm trying to run a tighter show. So yeah. people have okay. fewer reasons to attack okay. me unless Don't professor. Ian Don't Fo- play the music so Marianne doesn't have to wait. Through well, it. I'll bring her in and let me bring in Professor Faluna very quickly because he had his hand raised and I think he wants to talk about passive resistance or being passive aggressive. What do you, joining no, us no, is no, Professor. Wanna... Hello? Ian, yeah. Are you there, Ian? Hey, yeah, I just, I've been wanting for a while. He's breaking up. Everyone's trying to figure out, you know, Joe Biden has a chance of doing anything, you know, remotely FDR-like. And uh, you hear that, oh, FDR ran on a balanced budget and all this stuff, you know. And when I think about the great achievements of FDR, I can't help but think about Eleanor as a big part of that. And so I got me thinking that, you know, is there anything in the, in, uh, the wife, sister, Jill's history that might indicate she could be a powerful force in this presidency, in this upcoming presidency. I don't know Jill Biden, so I, I have no idea. But I do want to correct something about FDR and the budgets, okay? He he was still a part of yeah. he's still a part of the the historical moment in which deficits worried people. Okay. Um, he 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 spoke in terms of you know tight tight spending and all that. But there is something about FDR that is really it places him in a different category than most every other president okay if you look closely at his speeches and his ideas he actually was he was very ready in fact he was determined to redistribute wealth he was okay he didn't he i believe at various times he spoke very much in those terms and in fact he pursued it he went after the rich but he he taxed the rich now at first, the rich thought that he would be a welcome, you know, that they wanted him, the rich people, the, the richest people in America, because, and I think I've mentioned this before, they believed rightly that he would bring an end to prohibition. And then they wouldn't have to be taxed. You just have to tax each glass of beer that a working guy drank, and that would resolve all of the budgetary problems. But in fact, FDR quickly spoke very clearly about taxing the rich. He actually feared that the, he, he spoke very directly to the fact that the accumulation of wealth was a threat to democracy. And it, he, he, he instituted taxes on the rich that drove them crazy. And that's why they organized to try to bring him down. This was all the way through, very much all the way through. Yeah. So, so, it, so don't you think Eleanor was a real power? powerful force in his presidency, like from Francis Perkins on, like, wasn't she a real instrumental? Eleanor, Eleanor was power. a powerful force even before he was president in this respect. And we're cutting into Marianne's time. Well, yeah. No, I want to, I want to hear this. Oh, well, okay. So, we're, hey, so let me just, hey, let me just do this. 
because I uh, we have Henry at ten, and if I just want to make sure that Professor Marianne speaks her piece, but if it's okay, I mean I'm in heaven. I've got Professor Harvey J.K., Professor Marianne Cummings, and Professor Ian Faluna, and I'm a happy man. But I just want to make sure that everybody gets to say what they want to say. So we'll just keep the show going. And- I'll, just, I'll just say that in the 1920s, when, when FDR came down with polio, when he, and he would never recover, nobody recovered in those days of polio, really, just don't. But the thing is, so he was fairly restricted for some time in his movements. So he was at home, sometimes in Manhattan, but more, more often up in Hyde Park. This liberated Eleanor to do things that she could not have done before. She now became, if you like, the, the outgoing person in the, in the relationship. So she became very much involved, very directly involved in, in two organizations, the more, more important of which was the Women's Trade Union League down in Manhattan, in, in New York City. And the Women's Trade Union League was a coalition of elite women and the Jewish socialist organizing women of the needle trade, of the, you know, the, the, you know, the, sew, uh, the garment workers in Manhattan. They became very, very close. And she became extremely close to some of the most prominent um, Russian Jewish immigrant socialist women in, in the labor movement, who Rose Schneiderman is, is one name that comes to mind. And there were many others. Francis Perkins. Well, Francis Perkins was not Jewish. Okay. Francis Perkins, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not even touching Francis Perkins yet. She goes back to the triangle, you know, shirtwaist fire. And, um, but so th- she, Eleanor would bring those w- women back t- to Hyde park to, to meet with Roosevelt. Now he already had experience working with labor unionists during world war one. He was the assistant secretary of the Navy, a very successful s- assistant secretary of the Navy. But now he was meeting working class women who were organizers and this made a tremendous impact on him as he went through not only his recovery, not recovery, his his rehabilitation, if, if you like, but also because he re-enters politics in the late 1920s. And he's, he never fails to, to address these these women's concerns and issues. Mm-hmm. Now, Eleanor Roosevelt, ironically, in, this, as in, in life, she was the one of the two who for many years was a racist and an anti-Semite back in the te- 19 teens. And this transformed her so that thereafter she was an aggressive civil rights spokesperson, um, uh, uh, committed to the Jewish community, raising questions about Nazi Germany. I mean, she was really a phenomenal figure. But they also had a very interesting relationship into the 30s in this way. Roosevelt discovered that she could be a testing, she could test the waters for their shared ideas. And so she would say things that would strike many a newspaper editor as somewhat outrageous and decidedly many a prominent conservative as utterly unacceptable. And, you know, they would would come to the White House and say, what are you going to do about your wife? You know, she's outrageous. And he'd say, you know, can you control your wife? No, this is not a joke. I mean, it's funny. That's exactly what he did. And, 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 uh, yeah, I mean, it was quite amazing. Had this political partnership of theirs was phenomenal. Now, he was president, so there were limits to what he could do because he had to deal with Southern. Remember, he had to deal with a Congress dominated in chairmanships of all these committees by Southern white supremacists because committee chairs in House and Senate are seniority based. 
he had to deal with them. But it, so he used Eleanor to go out and, you know, rile, rile them and also test the waters. By the way, I used to keep it up here and above my desk. She, she, in spite of all of her outrageousness, was the most popular figure in America in the 1920s. The, the, the polls showed that. Also, when they asked kids in New York City, you know, they asked, they did polls with kids, like through the Police Athletic League and other organizations. And they found out that Franklin Roosevelt was more popular than Jesus. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Now, I... I the less they went, the more popular they became. And now I, I'll say no more, okay? Okay, I, before Professor Faluna speaks, and then we have to turn it over to Professor Marianne, I have been corrected. I've been wrong three times now. I said, mm-hmm. I said last week that Stacey Ab- Abrams went to Harvard Law. Professor Kay corrected me. Number one. Yeah, she went to Yale. And I was steadfast in my belief that she went to Harvard. I was wrong. Then I said, then I corrected you and said, Veselka is a Polish restaurant, not a Ukrainian one. And I was willing to bet you. I was so certain that I was actually going to put money on it because I I eat at Veselka. I saved your ass. And I was wrong. Well, it turns out, Professor Harvey J.K., you corrected me about Perkins, right? I said Mm. she was a Jew, right? Right. It turns out, I looked this up, okay? Frances Perkins, the first female Secretary of Labor, I think the first Secretary of Labor ever, is that correct? First woman Secretary of Labor. First woman cabinet member. Okay. She wasn't Jewish, but she was attacked as a secret Jew throughout, and I, I just posted this, the rumor that Perkins was secretly a Russian Jew spread like wildfire. Well, understand this, too. They, the same rumor was spread that Roosevelt was Jewish. That so was I was half credit. right. Don't I get half credit? If I were one of your students, the rumor that per- Francis Perkins was secretly a Russian Jew s- spread like wildfire. Only in Trump's bizarro world would you get credit for that answer. The, the rumor was she was secretly a Jew named Matilda Watsky. It's great. It's great. By I don't way, get it. If I were one of your students and I came back to you and I said she was am accused. I the F, am I allowed to use the F word in this no, show? I don't want you no. to get in trouble with YouTube. Okay, I, I'd rather not. Okay. It's, it's just, but you can intimate the F word. I uh, could. All right. Finger up on the YouTube, right? Faluna no. is an F word. What, what, before I, we're running behind. Faluna, you man. Faluna, you. Oh, okay. I, I, I okay, deserve. They accused Rose. Not accused. Everyone. They spread the rumor Roosevelt's family was Jewish, and to his credit, he did not deny it. What he did was they said to him, "Is it true?" Some one of the reporters said, "Is it true your family's actually Jewish?" And that was they were Dutch Jews, and he said. I don't care if they were Jewish, Catholic, or Protestant, as long as they believed in God and were good citizens. Okay, first of all, and I'll look this up. You're wrong, Professor Harvey J.K. You are the world's leading expert on Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yes. And and you're going to take me to Hyde Park, and I'm going to correct you at Hyde Park when I meet all those mucky mucks. Roosevelt was Jewish. His first, his mother's first name? Sarah. (laughs) All right. And they asked her, 
can your can your son walk? Why is he in the wheelchair? And she said, of course he can walk, but thank God he doesn't have to. <laughs> you don't know that joke? No. There's maybe a couple of uh, Altacockers listening in Miami right now who are laughing their ass off. You don't know the joke about the Jewish woman who's holding her son? And he's no. like 50. Can't he walk? <laughs> Of course he can walk, but thank God he doesn't have to. Well, all right, Ian. Before you say goodbye to me, wait, before you just say it, I want to let everyone know I was wrong. I think I may have said something last week about this tribute to Michael panel of Adolf Reed, Tere Reed, and myself. It was not broadcast last Tuesday. They held it for tomorrow night on YouTube, here on YouTube, on the Michael Brooks channel. Uh, we'll, they, will, they will post the um, tribute to Michael Three of us, we three left historians, Marxian historians, will talk about politics and history tomorrow night. It's about an hour and a half show. Anyone can watch, please do, and hope you like it. Yes. And this is one of the many reasons, but primarily for me, good riddance 2020. Ian, very quickly, I have to bring in Professor Marianne. I'm 15. Thank you, Professor Harvey yeah, J.K. No, I don't want to take it anymore. Okay, thank you, Ian. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, the fight for the four freedoms, FDR and democracy take hold of our history. They make great stocking stuffers by his books, by Professor Harvey Jake. Alan Minsky asked me why he doesn't see me. I said, I'm a Monday night guy. You're a Thursday night guy. Yes. But, uh, but if Christmas Eve is on a Thursday night, keep me in mind. And we're doing a softball game, the, the Mondays against the Thursdays. Okay. <laughs> You're lucky. Uh, Thursday is uh, skins, so <laughs> you can wear your shirt. Let's bring it. Thank you, Professor. Bye-bye. Thank you. Professor Marianne Cummings is a physics professor, an amazing artist, but most importantly, she is a parks commissioner in Aurora, Illinois. Well, I, got, I dipped my toe into something that you started uh, with... You, I didn't know about the squad withholding its votes. Well, if you recall... You, you were there for Howie, right? You heard the uh, I was there. I listened to Howie. But it, let, let's like go back a little bit. Before all of this kerfluffle, six weeks ago on your show, Thursday after election night, I'm on, I'm, uh, after I had chased Harvey away for some odd reason I can't even remember... Um, Later that night, Alan Minsky was there, and we were talking, and Alan had brought up about how not only were the Democrats not going to take the Senate, but he was speculating that Nancy Pelosi may come within a, a seat or two of losing her majority, because right. he was following the races closely. In which case, I said, well, there's a silver lining there, isn't there? Because you know, there are... Four. I remember you said that. I remember. Yes, there's a silver lining. If that's the case, then suddenly the squad plus three or four, and it was Minsky that told me about this gal, Therese Hernandez, who was in the uh, New Mexico 3rd District, who is a solid Bernie bro, like Medicare for All, a Green New Deal. So she's joining. So I thought, okay, so the squad is at least doubled which might grow a spine in Rokana and, and, and Jayapal. And then suddenly, and I said, what I had been begging or asking my Green Party friends about four decades, at least since graduate school, is why don't you guys spend some energy 
getting a voting lot instead of like a, a four-year presidency hail mary you spend half of that energy and have a 10-year plan to get five to ten congress people elected then you vote as a block well i will congratulate justice democrats and the squad for effectively having done that within a two-year cycle they have they could form a voting block and then suddenly when things are this tight they have power and by God, they'd better use it now, or we're just going to see a Republican tsunami in 2022. Let me peel this back. Do you, do you mind? Yeah. Go okay. Ahead. I'm not a flamethrower. I wish I were. I'd be, you know, I just can't do it. I can't. I you have. have so- show. You couldn't have this show, David, if you were. I'm sorry? You couldn't have this show, at least, you know. Yeah, I, I can't. August uh, personalities that you bring, that you attract. Yeah, I can't speak with moral or intellectual certitude. And I arrive at things through a series of stutter steps, as I did tonight. I mean, tonight I I didn't. I, it was interesting because Howie almost had me utterly convinced that it was a, a bad idea until we walked through it a little and what the consequences are. So l- let's let's talk this out. Uh, so Jamal Bowman, Corey Bush have been added to the squad. I know that Ro Khanna. Mondaire wants- Jones. I'm sorry? Mondaire Jones. Yeah. There, there are other people, you know, there are people who are broke. So uh, uh, and all you're asking before I say we all you're asking is that the leftists like AOC, who ran promising for medic promising Medicare for all, stick to their guns. And when there's an election for speaker, You don't run somebody other than Nancy Pelosi, because I guess that would be pragmatic. All you're asking is take a vote on Medicare for all. Don't pass Medicare for all. Just take a vote. Go make this party go on record as to whether or not they're for Medicare for all. Let it pass or not pass in the House so that we know who is for Medicare for all and who isn't. Don't say you're going to sponsor a bill for Medicare for all, but it can't get past committee. Vote on Medicare for all. Put your money where your mouth is. That's all Jimmy is asking, right? Pretty much. Like, we gave you power, and and I remember... Uh, AOC saying, look, I I didn't come here to have a regular career. I don't care if I'm a one-turn congressperson. I came here to fight. Okay, we believed her. It pains me to say this because Jimmy doesn't talk to me. And, uh, but he's right. He's absolutely right. Well, you know, I, I guess uh, just as a side. So, what's the controversy? So, what the uh, could you put the a controversy pic- is that people are made uncomfortable. A lot of our 
okay, I'm going to be like a controversial. A lot of our comfortable liberal friends who do not worry about being thrown out of their house, who do not worry about losing their health care, who do not worry about paying the bills, don't want to hear this. They're just so relieved. They want to be happy for a while. Give Joe Biden a chance. It's just not uh, it's just not uh, an emergency for them. But I was out last night. Well, hang on. Um, please, 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 please. I need to peel this back because I'm because okay. I'm getting I just want to make sure I understand this. Be, I want to make I want to know what the, the the get is, what what you're asking for. And so. They're going to say. We don't vote for Nancy for speaker. But what happens then if Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker? Well, as Jim Earl said earlier, that's on Nancy. And by the way, what happens if Nancy becomes speaker and we just let her go the way she wants to go? Disaster. People don't get help. We have an economic disaster and a pandemic and people lose their jobs and their health care. And then we get an eco- then we get a Republican. OK, that's the way that's one way to flip it. The framing is that we've got problems to solve. The problem with Democratic leadership is that they don't feel the problems. They're way too comfortable. And this is one way of getting people not comfortable, including, you know, some Democratic partisans. You can't be comfortable anymore. There's no, I think this is one way of saying, hey, we can't go back. We can't make things go back to normal because normal brought us Trump. Normal was almost half the country, you know, at or near poverty, poverty and struggling. And normal was a country that cannot deal with a pandemic. And quite frankly, yeah, it's, people feel better to blame it all on Trump, but I'll go out on a limb and say that the numbers wouldn't be a whole lot different if Hillary Clinton was president because Cuomo wouldn't have shut down. I mean, uh, our state didn't shut down. Illinois didn't shut down. New Jersey didn't shut down. I mean, these were the early drivers. You had to have shut down like at the end of February. Okay, so let let, let, let me stick with Jimmy's thing for one second. So Howie says Pelosi will just change the rules that a speaker, which that to me is what made me agree with you and Jimmy. When when I was told that Pelosi will become speaker because she'll change the rules so that you get elected by a plurality, not a majority. If then then you can take your you can make your stand. She's still the speaker and you stabbed her a little. You know, you, you, no, you, you didn't do anything to her. You didn't threaten her in any fundamental way. If all two, even if you change those rules, if all 212 Republicans vote for McCarthy, which they will, and like 212 or less, less than 212, say a Democrat doesn't show up, a couple of the Democrats are still not the, the same ones that tried to vote against, voted against her last time, are voting against her this time. That means she needs all of the squad, she needs the squad to all vote for her. If all the squad do not vote for her, then McCarthy, then McCarthy wins the plurality. Okay. 
yeah, all right. I'm going to I'm going to carry, <laughs> carry on this discussion in the in the chat room afterwards. But my point is is that and so uh, hang on, hang on. Let me let me be the let me be the inquisitor here because this okay. is difficult because I'm trying to understand this. Thank you. I've been told that the blue dogs and the new Dems will mm -hmm. challenge her. So there'd be a battle between, do we really want a battle between the new Dems and the squad? We, ha we have a battle between the new Dems and the squad and, then, and the progressives are getting pummeled. The progressives have been getting pummeled by this battle forever, but particularly since the squad emerged, now they got to fight back. Okay, now let me let, let, let me ask you. It's, it's unfortunately Georgia comes after we vote on speaker, but there's another civil war within the Republican Party, and they always have this crack up. They always have this civil war, but somehow they keep winning. So I think civil wars within parties are good. The more you fight it out, the 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 healthier. It's like a family. You fight. You keep it within well, your family. You saw that that these these issues like Medicare for all and Green New Deal are wildly popular now with the majority of the country. This is an easy easy vote to have. So ninety percent of the Democrats want this. Most of the country wants this. So what's the problem? The problem is Democratic leadership. And they've got to be challenged. And first of all, they've got to be made un uncomfortable. And they've got to be made, you know, it's, the, this plot has got to be clear that, you know, we will, we have a, we're going to use our power and our leverage. And if it's just for show, if it's just for, you know, if it's just a symbolic gesture, then uh, the, the, the progressives will be ignored and the Democrats will go back to minority and, and Nancy Pelosi and the Dem leadership will still get their money because the donors will be happy. Because the donors are the, what the donors don't want are progressives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they have the same donors as the Republican leadership and the Republican leadership is probably very happy to get rid of Trump because he was a distraction. Now we're all back to normal, but normal is a disaster for the rest of us or most of the rest of us. So, right. I interrupted I you. Uh, so what were, what were you? No, all I'm saying is that, you know, I was out last night um, just kind of passing literature through car windows of people going to see our light show for the person who's running for mayor. And I was out for only about an hour or so. And boy, I was getting cold. And then I was looking forward to going back home. And I realized, no, there's still people out in tents, like five blocks from me, with their little heaters, which I can't believe are safe. Mm -hmm. I think we're getting most of them into housing this week. But I mean, it's like, um, I see it in, in my neighborhood. I mean, if, if people lose their houses, if some people lose their job, that's why that's why restaurants around here are still open. I mean, and it's dangerous, but people have been telling us, look, we nearly went bankrupt early this year. And and we are, live in a country where if you go bankrupt, there is no big social net. That's been just shredded. We put up with this. <laughs> and so, you know, yeah, people may uh, be uncomfortable with the leftists making these these demands, but this 
we're not making petty demands. We've got to save the planet. We've got to save people. We've got enormous problems. And these guys are going like back to business as usual, or they want to. And they think this is just, you know, something that has to be quelled or placated or, you know, thrown a, a, a sort of little political fig leaf. But, you know, th- these problems aren't going away. And as I said, um, if if the Democrats don't do anything, I was going to say to Harvey, by the way, he and Nobiki Konst had a great conversation the other day when they were talking about uh, Nobiki went on Fox News and she talk to people why Democrats lost seats while Trump, while Biden gained. And she says, because the Democrats basically sounded like the Republicans. Trump, we had to get rid of. He was a monster. He's out of control, et cetera, et cetera. But when the Democrats did not give offer any anything new to people, why vote for them? You touched on something really interesting about the anti-maskers looking at the NIH, the CDC, as elitists, the people who call to shut down industry already have money in their mind. The ones who casually say shut these restaurants down in the eyes of the people who are against masks and want to keep everything open, they're saying easy for you. You're a coastal elitist who has money in the bank. So, of course, you're going to say shut the economy down. Well, and, you know, I see that Henry's rating, but I think he would agree. They don't ask Amazon to shut down. Amazon's worker, there's over 20,000 wow. Amazon workers have come down with COVID because of unsafe conditions, but they're not being asked to shut down. Right. You know, so, yeah, there, there is a problem. And even somebody like Michael Osterholm has said, look, you know, you can't just we have to shut down, but you have to be careful. I mean, people have to be supported. You have to you know, make provisions for, you know, uh, workers, essential workers for their kids to be taken care of safely. It is not a matter of just everybody stay home. But we that would require a capacity that our country hasn't had for a long time. The, the, the Democratic Party. Well, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, neither party. I mean, we don't have the capacity as a country to get together, to really band together. Of course, send, send people home and give them enough money to live. And nobody, for God's sakes, in the middle of winter and a pandemic, get evicted. Which is what you don't hear coming from Pelosi. Not a no. word about eviction. No, you don't hear a word about UBI. And Yang, and Yang today was talking, but that's. But, you know, Andrew Yang, that was just, you know, that, that, that was his libertarian ploy, you know. But, but the Democrats have demonstrated no desire or ability to really deal with this problem, even in the first CARES Act. Nancy Pelosi behaves as if she isn't the most powerful person. I mean, she's, sending, she's setting women back decades now because it used to be the most powerful person in Washington was the Speaker of the House because they used that power. Right. The banks were on their knees back in April. That's when you could have extracted something from Mitch McConnell and then have the banks be angry at Mitch McConnell if he didn't let the legislation pass. But Nancy Pelosi didn't do anything except for a one-time check. She really is, when you, the classic 
definition of a conservative is somebody who wants to preserve order and and make sure that the center holds. We don't really see that in the Republican Party. They're willing to take the entire ship down with them. The Democrats are the conservative party. But the center and the and the center of the country is to the left of both of them. Again, how can I, many times can we repeat this? Most of the country wants Medicare for all. Right. Most of the country wants the Green New Deal and guaranteed jobs. I mean, that would bring people together and all the problems of social inequities and sexism and racism and so forth would would abet, would, would abate when people don't feel desperate. Okay, remind me why I'm a Democrat, because I, I, I do, I did vote for Biden. I know some people didn't. Remind me why I'm a Democrat. What do, they're, they're, they're strong on abortion, right? They're good on abortion. Not really. I mean, you know, half, abortion clinics were shutting down at record rates under Obama because Obama's Justice Department decided to prioritize shutting down marijuana clinics in California rather than take the state of Texas, for instance, Oklahoma or Kansas to court for unconstitutionally putting up barriers to abortion services. You know, it's... What, why are you a Democrat? Were your parents Democrats? We have a, you know, we, we have a sentimental belief that Democrats somehow want to help people. But I think that needs revision. Wow. All right. Oh, I know. I'm a Debbie Downer. No, 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 no. You're not a Debbie Downer. I... I um, I need to study what Jimmy is proposing. because okay, You know what? Can I say this? Everybody's I, bringing Jimmy into this as a deflection. They don't want to talk about the actual issue. Yeah, why is Jimmy? Yeah, yeah, why is it about Jimmy? Yeah, why is it about Jimmy? No, I was thought I was this is about Medicare for all, isn't it? And I was just kind of looking at the, a Twitter thread that or, that Jim Earl was on. And I'm like going, oh, OK, I agree with Jim Earl. And then suddenly... AOC jumps on Jim Earl. It wasn't actually Jim Earl's Twitter thread. It was Justin Jackson's Twitter thread. But Justin and a bunch of lefties were discussing this, you know, this very thing about, hey, when are the when is the left going to flex its muscles? And then AOC jumps in. And who? <laughs> what did she say? She said, I've done all kinds of things behind the scenes. We are making negotiations and I'm negotiating uh, for a $15 minimum wage and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and somebody just said like, come on, you're gaslighting $15. Already Chuck Schumer and Nancy are already on board. Oh, uh, okay. What are you saying? You know, it was awful. It was a bad show for her. And so she's going to vote for Pelosi. Well, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I think that this is really, um, I think that's, that's what really ignited it, is when she jumped on that thread, that Jim Earl and Jimmy and a few other leftists were on. I think it was the uh, Justin Jackson's thread. Who's and Justin Jackson? If I get his name right, I believe he's a real football player who happens to be a real lefty. And if I'm not mistaken, he was on Katie Helper. He was the guy that was on Katie Helper's broadcast last night. Well... So, Call Mark Pocan, the Wisconsin Congress person who's co-chair of the Progressive Caucus. Call him at 
225-2906. Call AOC at 718-662-5970. Call Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib at 202-225-5126. I hope you spell Tlaib properly. I, I copy and paste. No, it. T-L-A, T-L-A-I-B. It's yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ayanna Presley at 202-225-5111. And Elon Omar at 202-225-4755. And tell them not to vote for Nancy Pelosi for speaker unless she promises something as simple as a vote on Medicare for all. Yeah. And, and by the way, Dave, it's not I don't a know big ask. I don't know why. This is basic politics 101. Nancy needs something from you. We need something from the Democrats. I mean, I'm speaking through the squad because we all supported them and brought them to work. They, we She's them- obeying the Hastert rule, as I understand it, which is child molester Dennis Hastert. Yeah. Former speaker. Yeah, let's, of the, that rule. the child molester, the convicted child molester, Dennis Hastert, when he was speaker, came up with the Hastert rule, which is I will not introduce any bills before the House unless I am guaranteed that we have the votes to pass them. And Nancy Pelosi is following these rules are not written in stone. It's just a promise that. Hastert made to himself. Nancy Pelosi is obeying a child molester's rule. Don't bring a bill before the House unless you have the votes. I like the way you put that. Yeah, she's and she's good framing. Good framing. Good framing, David. That's the thinking of a child molester. Let's find out which Democrats are for Medicare for all and which ones aren't during the worst pandemic pandemic in a hundred years where people are dying. 300,000 Americans are dead. More are going to die. More Americans are losing their health insurance. Where do you stand on Medicare for all? Which side are you on, boys and girls? We sent you to Congress to represent us. Certainly we sent Elon Omar, Rashida Tlaib, we sent AOC, Jamal Bowman, Corey Bush, Ro Khanna, Ted Lieu, we sent you to Washington, Maxine Waters, we sent you to Washington because we always thought you'd support Medicare for all. Let's find out who our enemies are within the Democratic Party, because if you're not for Medicare for all, you should get the F out of the Democratic Party. If the Democratic Party isn't for Medicare for all, what are you for? Can we at least get a vote? Can we at least get a vote in the House, Nancy Pelosi? If that's asking too much, go F yourself. I agree. I'm sorry. I agree. And it, as we've learned tonight, it's not going to jeopardize the speakership. She'll change the rules. So you win by a plurality. So you're not really hurting anybody. And you're sending a message to the Democrats. There, there's a leftist branch here, and you better start paying attention. Otherwise, you're going home. 
Call Mark Pocan at 202-225-2906, AOC at 718-662-5970, Rashida Tlaib, we misspelled that, at 202-225-5126, Ayanna Presley at 202-225-5111, and Ilyan Omar at 202-225-4755, politely, politely say, if you don't push Pelosi not to vote, let let the Democrats vote on Medicare for all, uh, you don't get my support, you don't get my money, and maybe we could primary challenge Ilan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, AOC, and Mark, certainly Mark Pocan. That's what Chief of Staff Mark Meadows did when he was, before he, you know, when he was running the Freedom Caucus. Before we bring in Henry, and I'm sure he'd want to comment on this, uh, we're wrapping up the show here. We'll end with Henry. It's official. The Electoral College makes Joe Biden's victory over Trump official. I understand he made fun of is that true? He made fun of Trump in his speech or are people just stirring? Henry, did you see it? I, I didn't see it, David. I was uh, doing stuff most of the day today. Do you care what he has to say? Not particularly. Yeah, that's the problem. This is not the guy. I, I feel like we don't have a president coming into the Oval Office. I just don't feel it. But uh, all right, Professor Marianne, thank you so much. Yeah, by the way, we do have it may be fun. I was uh, listening to they had the Zoom meeting with Biden and those uh, and the civil rights leaders. And it was actually kind of funny to listen to. Oh, this is the one where he said no, no progressive policies. Well, yeah, well, he said a lot of things, and Katie was on with with, with several African American activists, and I mean, Joe Biden was full blown Grandpa Simpson. <laughs> I mean, it, he was actually sort of funny, you know, because he was such an angry old man, you know, shaking a geranium type, you know. Yeah. And poor, and, but the look on Al Sharpton's face at one point was like hilarious. He's going, "Oh my God." Oh my God. I mean, could you could just see it in his face that he's like, we got a problem here. We have a serious problem and we haven't dodged a bullet with Biden. Yeah. He's going to he's going to make and Howie Klein said this, that yeah. in 2022. They are going to get the House and keep the Senate and then they'll have the Supreme Court and uh, somebody smarter than Trump will arise in 2024. Uh, Pretty bad. Thank you, Professor Marianne. Hey, Dave. Hi, Henry. Hey, Professor. Well, you have a congressperson who became an independent, right? Is it not your congressperson, but a congressman from Michigan tonight wrote a letter. His name is Mitchell. Said he uh, can no longer be a Republican, and he's now... A, an independent. 
You know, it's certainly not mine. Mine is a very, uh, very much a Trump supporting uh, Congress person. In fact, my representative was one of the individuals that uh, signed the amicus brief in favor of Texas and that that case that went to the Supreme Court trying to overturn the Electoral College's uh, results that hadn't yet been uh, made official. As you said, they were made official today. But yeah, my congressperson, General Jack Bergman, uh, is about as conservative as they come. Uh, and yeah, he, he's been a big Trump supporter for the last four years. And there's no way he'd be leaving the Republican Party anytime soon. Yeah. And if he did, he wouldn't win up here anyway. I don't think it's conservative. I, I, th- I really think the the Democrats are the conservative party. I don't, I think the Republicans. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, this is something that we've talked about uh, briefly in guerrilla history before. Uh, and something that I've, I've more or less maintained for the past several years is that the democratic party is essentially a big tent bourgeois centrist, uh, centrist, liberal centrist, conservative coalition, uh, Whereas the the Republican Party is increasingly so, though I want to make no illusions that this was not a Trump-specific phenomenon. This is something that's been going on for decades, has been shifting more and more into neo-fascism. So that's really what our political dichotomy is in the United States at the moment. We have a bourgeois uh, liberal conservative big tent party that doesn't really represent the interests of the majority of Americans and a increasingly neo-fascistic party that and as long again, as the still, Republicans still represents the will of the majority of Americans as long as the Republicans are perceived as Nazis then the Democrats just have to be a little bit better and, and, and we see it now this is a letter from Republican Congressman Paul Mitchell. Uh, uh, it's a letter to Chairwoman Rona McDaniel, McDaniel and House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy, saying that he can no longer he no longer shares the values of the Republican Party, and he wants to officially change his party affiliation to Independent. And the Clerk of the House. Well, well, I'm glad he figured that out. You know, it only took him however many decades to figure out that the Republican Party was a bunch of, well, you know what. Um, I'm glad he figured it out today. You know, better late than never, but uh, it's still late. Can I ask you a personal question? Go for it. Michigan, you voted for Biden, right? Uh, David, I, I probably shouldn't answer that question on the air. I'll have people a- angry at me regardless of what I say. All right. Great job on COVID town squares. Thank you. I thought that it went really well. Uh, we should have a discussion sometime about chopping up that into clips for the YouTube. Yes. Uh, the YouTube, I sound like a, like a boomer, but uh, I think that there are some segments from there that would have chopped up, uh, would get chopped up and go on YouTube really well. Some of the conspiracy related stuff that we did was really good. Um, yeah, I think the vaccine conversation was really good. Some of the questions that we had emailed in were is good. Is there anything, because one of the things you insist on is that nothing will stay behind a paywall that's important. Was there anything? 
Yeah. I mean, you and I will have a conversation. Just let me know what we're, when works for you. We'll talk about some of the things that I think that we should just put onto YouTube from the show itself. Um, some of the things that I guess are worth mentioning, at least in brief right now, um, before we get those clips up on YouTube, you know, if you have time to put them up is, uh, I've had a bunch of people ask me about Ivermectin. Uh, we have talked about it on the show before. We have, uh, a friend of I've ours. Had a, I've had a bunch of people ask have, me about we have, a, we have somebody here who might want to ask you about it. Who would that be? I don't know. I, I'm not trying to create an ambush or anything. I'm just. Hey, Henry, it's me, Ian. <laughs> okay, hello, Ian. Uh, All right, hang on for one second. I don't. Hey, I just. I do a very boring show. So. Just, I don't want any fighting or anything. I, this is a boring show, so just raise the question. Oh, there's not going to be any fighting. I mean, I, I, I'm literally just going to raise what the current evidence says. Okay. That's it. But, but remember, this is a this is a very boring show, Professor. <laughs> but I think all of us through Office Hours have built a rapport, and and we're comfortable with each other. So, and and the thing about science is, it's all about argumentation. Yeah. And. That's how it progresses. That's the actual, that's the ground upon which you push forward from. So okay, but nobody knows how to, um, argue, but but it, but it gets personal. So let's just talk oh, about Oh, no, I get along quite oh, well yeah, with no. Ian. So, th- th- I mean, this is a very much going to be a friendly back and forth. Oh, okay. Well, can we, I need bigger yeah, numbers. Can you give I me totally a little, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I just want to. <laughs> this ivermectin thing really—I don't know. It seems like a continuation from the hydroxychloroquine, which I think is dead. Is a dead horse. It's not worth beating anymore. But there's, you know, there's a great abundance of evidence that ivermectin works. And you know, I don't know if you saw that Pierre Corey. If you've looked at his website or that summary paper of, of his where he did a meta-analysis of all, all the studies about ivermectin and that that OR ratio or whatever, they, they use this ratio that's, yeah. you know, of uh, OR all the stands studies, for odds ratio. Yeah, yeah so they're, they're all, they all indicate that there's something there. And he gave a very impassioned plea to Congress Um and as far as I can tell, it's, it's, you know, again, this is my field, so it's only so much I can do, but, but it's, um, it's like, I think the emphasis in all this has been, from the get-go, has been on the vaccination. And I feel like this is part of the problem is that the, our, our establishment, the way we're trained as, as scientists, as students, is, is through funding of research. And if that funding is coming from um, pharmaceuticals and, and interventions that involve synthetic chemicals, that's going to be where most of the science, uh, you know, thought is, is focused. And so I just feel like that there's perhaps a misalignment that we could, that we could readjust in a way and realize that a, we, we, you know, we have, I brought this up before, but we haven't talked nearly enough about what we can do to prevent the terroir, as they used to say, that is, we should all be taking vitamin D. We should all be taking quercetin. We should all be taking large doses of vitamin C, preferably liposomal, so you can increase the 
concentrations in your blood and your cells and, um, and, and zinc. And so I, I think that Henry and public health, I feel like Henry and irritable have said vitamin D and zinc and melatonin. So it, it's, they haven't been dismissive of, of all that stuff. I think that, okay, well, that's great, but we should emphasize that every time I think, cause I, you know, it's, it's getting to the point in this second wave where it's like, oh yeah, people all around me are getting sick. And when I find out that they haven't been taking vitamin D, cause it's like, ah, oh, another pill, I'm not going to, do it. Well, let me let me ask Henry this. Let me ask Henry if it's kind of like respond to is, that. Is it kind of like recycling? It's a it, it's just a drop in the bucket. Neti pots and zinc and e. It's a public health issue. And there's unless you, unless you wear a mask, all the other stuff. I would assume that's what Henry's going to say. That what you're suggesting, Ian, may or may not work, but it's a drop in the bucket. Well, there, there's layers here. So give me, give me a little bit of time to get through this. So yeah, first layer, David, as you said, masks, masks are of course, probably the most effective thing that we can do in terms of reducing transmissibility. So that's layer number one. Layer number two is assuring, ensuring that we have good health all the time. So Ian, like you said, vitamin D particularly, that's something that uh, Irritable and I have been discussing for the duration of the pandemic. Now, zinc, there appears like there might be some benefit, not nearly as strong as, as the correlation with vitamin D. Vitamin D is really the one that you have to be sure that uh, you are having a su- sufficient amount of. The other ones probably help to some degree, but vitamin D is really the one to focus on. Uh, and also particularly interesting because up to a quarter of Americans are vitamin D deficient all the time. So, that's 25% of the people that are going to be at increased susceptibility because they don't have vitamin D. But yeah, zinc, sure. Vitamin C, sure. These are things that we should always make sure that we have sufficient amounts of. Um, but again, vitamin D is really the one. Yeah, I mean, but all the time. Especially during Yeah, but all the time. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. During a pandemic, particularly, we want to make sure that our immune system is in tip-top fighting shape. But those are all things that we should not just care about during a pandemic. That's, that's the point I'm making there, but yeah, you're absolutely right. That those are things that we should be paying attention to. And then into the next layer in regards to therapeutic agents, you know, focusing on therapeutics instead of vaccines, or at least, you know, to the same kind of level that we're looking at vaccines. Again, I agree with you. The repurposing of already approved drugs is something that we should have been focusing on more so early on, although it's worth noting that we really have done a lot of work at this point through the recovery and solidarity trials organized by the UK as well as the WHO. Now, there's now uh, similar trials going on in the United States called the think they're called the active trials, but the name is slipping my mind right now. And there's another one that they're setting up across the African continent right now. These are all large scale trials to look at repurposing drugs uh, that are already approved for other usages. And these are things, these are the studies that we found out really conclusively that hydroxychloroquine was not effective because we have tens of thousands of results uh, from these large scale trials. Uh, but yeah, I but it wasn't, it wasn't so that's that's another thing the hydroxychloroquine needed to be administered within the first three to four days and it needed to include zinc and the z-pack 
that was and there was there was like one or two papers that came out early on so let me let me finish this explanation ian there was one or two papers early on that it looked like that was going to be the case but the study design was not great the control sample or the control patients that they had as well as the sample sizes for these early papers where it looked like that combination might have some promise. It was a really shoddy study design. These large scale trials that have occurred afterwards have looked at different dosages, different time points, different combinations of things that they were given, including um, acyclovir, zinc, uh, you know, remdesivir. They've had a bunch of different combinations and different times of administration. And all of these large scale trials have found no to even negative effect uh, in terms of survivorship as, as well as hospital stay regarding hydroxychloroquine. I, there really hasn't been any well-conducted paper that's shown any benefit from them. Now let's move on to ivermectin, which is why we brought this point up to begin with. So for those that are unaware and this is going to get up on YouTube uh, eventually, I hope, from our pay-per-view. Ivermectin is an antiparasitic. It's been around for a while. It's really effective as an antiparasitic for a bunch of different parasites, notably river blindness, but a bunch of things. And there are some antiviral pathways that it benefits in our body if we take them. Even though it's not targeted towards viruses, it can benefit against viruses through some uh, kind of off-target effects. And there are some studies that show some uh, potential benefit from ivermectin. Much more so, and I will say this, this is much more uh, promising than hydroxychloroquine ever was, ivermectin. But I'm not on the bandwagon of we should be approving it for wide-scale off-label off usage right now before we get some clinical results back. And there's a few reasons for that. I've talked about it on my uh, Patreon. We talked about it during the pay-per-view. Uh, talked about it a few other times as well. But let's get into it for a second here. The first thing that you look at for these... Uh, repurposing of drugs is in vitro data. So they take cells, they put them in a dish and then they infect the cells and they put a drug in there and they want to see if it has a good effect. The cells that were used for these trials were Vero E6 cells. So monkey kidney cells, not necessarily the most applicable cell line when we're looking at a respiratory virus, but let's put that aside for a second because Vero cells are really widely used, even though they are a monkey's kidney cells and again, maybe not the best representation of a human lung, but let's just set that aside for a second. What they found is that when they infected these Vero cells with the virus and then put ivermectin into there, they were able to inhibit viral replication and the viral levels dropped. There was really no uh, further infection that was taking place. However, so that's a very, that's a very good sign, right? I, I want to be clear uh, that I'm not dismissing any of these results. They're all... They're all good results, but I want to put a little bit of context to them. That was a good result, but the concentration required for reducing the viral levels, because they tried different concentration in these trials, the concentration that was required is a concentration that's between 50 and 100 times higher than we achieve in our plasma of our blood at the absolute maximum dosage that's approved for river blindness of ivermectin. So another way of putting it, and again, this is in the, the video that we're going to put up on YouTube. Another way of looking at it is if you took the absolute mass, uh, maximum dosage for river blindness of ivermectin, the amount of ivermectin in your plasma, in your blood, 
would be 50 to 100 times less than what was necessary in vitro. Okay, but we have some clinical data. But the clinical data that we have yes, right we now, there's... Yeah, yeah. One second, Ian. There, there is some clinical data. Some, most of it, everything except for one paper, is a retrospect. Our retrospective studies that were run horribly. The the control groups were terrible. That was not randomized. Uh, they were not blind trials. The standard of care. Uh, treatments for the control groups versus the treatment groups was way off. Uh, it, it was, it, these studies were a complete mess in terms of the study design. Really all that we were able to say was, well, you know, the group of people that was arbitrarily picked to receive ivermectin in addition to whatever else we decided to also give them fared better than these groups of people that arbitrarily didn't get ivermectin and had other arbitrary treatments in the background. It's really not a good look at how science works. But I, I do, again, want to emphasize that the results for ivermectin were positive in those studies. They looked decent, but they were not to any sort of scientific rigor or standards that we should just take those results at face value and approve it for broad usage, even though ivermectin is quite safe. I do want to mention that. There's one paper so far, a grand total of one paper that has current clinical and it's a non-retrospective but present time clinical data and again the study design was terrible we talked about it during our pay-per-view show the control group got terrible standard of care the uh, administration of ivermectin versus non-ivermectin groups was completely up to doctor's discretion instead of being randomized there the controls were like i said quite terrible um the, the it looked like it was beneficial in that uh, study as well, but it was a terribly run study. Uh, it was basically just arbitrarily chosen across a couple of Florida hospitals that pe some people would get ivermectin and they wanted to report on the data. That's really not a good look. There are a bunch of other studies right now, and this is the point that I want to get to. So those are promising data, but certainly far from conclusive because of the flaws in the study design. There are a bunch of clinical trials going on right now that we should be getting results on in the next, you know, month or two, perhaps that are being run in a very controlled way, randomized control groups, very set standard of care between the uh, experimental groups and control groups. It's everything that you would hope from clinical trials. And there's a bunch of them that are in right now for ivermectin and the results are going to be due out very soon. So, we have some positive data, but we don't know whether the positive data was because ivermectin does, actually works or because the studies were designed terribly. So my, my recommendation would be to hold off just a bit. And I know it's, it's hard to say that during a pandemic. I want these other treatments as much as anyone else to be available. But we can hold off just a smidge longer until we get these actual well-designed studies results out. And then we start to have it. And I'm all in favor of, of approving these, these therapeutics for label usage. One of the absolute standards of care that we use right now is dexamethasone. It appears to reduce uh, severe COVID patient mortality by about 12%, again, in severe patients. That's huge. And dexamethasone is really cheap. There's no financial incentive for that to have been an approved treatment. But that really is the standard of care right now because it is so effective. And that was found by doing trials similar to the ones that found that 
hydroxychloroquine was not effective and the ones that are currently being done on ivermectin to see if it is effective. So I'm not discounting ivermectin. I'm not saying let's not look at it anymore. I'm saying let's look at it because things look promising, but it's far from conclusive at this point because of the flaws in the previous studies. Ian, do you want to respond have to it? Have you read that Pierre? Well, have you read that Pierre Corey summary? I mean, do you know who that is? Or, or yeah, yeah. So I have seen that, and again, those are incorporating data from really flawed studies into it. It was the same kind of thing. I don't know if people remember this anymore, but there was the whole uh, retraction from the Lancet regarding uh, hydroxychloroquine and its effect on the heart. Um, that was using yeah. very flawed meta-analysis data. This is something that's pretty similar to that in terms of they're using very flawed data to put together a meta-analysis. If you use flawed data that comes into the meta-analysis, even if you do your calculations in the meta-analysis itself correctly, and listeners, if you don't remember, meta-analysis is just taking results from other studies, number crunching in a big computer, and then spitting out what it says based on all of these other studies that had previously been done. If you take flawed data into the meta-analysis, no matter how good your analytical and statistical modeling in the meta-analysis is, you're going to get flawed results because of what came in. That's not true. That's not true. That's it is not true. true. It, 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 it is true in biomedicine. Though. All right, hang on for one, hang on for no, one second. Ian, Ian, Ian. This is, yeah. we, this is, I know that science is argument. Can you say that's not true, you ignoramus? Little, let's up the game here. I'm trying to get bigger numbers. A little, a little ad hominem goes a long way. Okay, try to channel some of your frustration in life in, towards Henry. This way, I can get bigger numbers. I want to do some. Call them a chat. A what? Would that work? A what? A chat. Chad. Yeah, that's good. I listen to you, Chad. <laughs> Good. What well, that assumes that the data is biased and like okay, flawed results. I understand this is triage science, by the way. So of course, this is not the way we'd want it to happen, where we have plenty of time to do all these analyses perfectly correct. But if your input is is noisy and messy, but there's no reason to believe that it is it is significantly systematically wrong biased in a certain direction, then you can get a meaningful result out of a noisy signal. I, I would argue that it's not just and, noisy though. I mean, it's fundamentally flawed due to the lack or the flaws in the study design. Is it systematically biased would be my question. It, it's hard to prove fun, uh, statistics or it's hard to prove bias in, in biomedical trials. But again, when you're looking at how of these how these uh, patients in these studies were assigned into the groups with the absolute lack of randomization of the trials, uh, like I said, it was completely arbitrary. It was up to the doctors in charge. Whether or not you ask the doctors, hey, did you put all of the all of the patients that had these sort of signs into this group and all of that that had these sort of signs into another group? Uh, they're probably going to say no, but we know that without the randomization as well as the, the complete lack of standard of care uh, normalization across the 
across the control groups that it's not just noisy. It's a fundamentally flawed study design. That doesn't mean it's worthless. And again, I'm not trying to say that it is worthless. I'm just saying that if we're making determinations on action, that we kind of do want at least one well-designed study, and we haven't had any well-designed clinical studies yet, not one that have gotten results yet, but there is a bunch that will have results very soon. So that's all I'm saying is that let's sit, take it, take the results that we have, including the meta-analysis, which again is incorporating results that we should take with a grain of salt, a big grain of salt. Let's look at those and say, it's promising. Let's invest money in these studies that are currently going on. Let's try to push this up towards the top of uh, the order of drugs that we want to investigate in some of these trials that are starting to get off the ground, like the one that's going on in Africa. Uh, let, let's, let's try to push for it to get the results as soon as possible, but let's not make determinations based on perhaps fundamentally flawed results. That's all I'm saying. I, I don't want to discount it in any way. I just want there to be some decent data in support of it, that it doesn't have a fundamental flaw within the study design. Well, fair enough. I mean, that's, that's fine, but I mean, there's, there's been enough time. It seems like, and it's the cost seems low, right? The risk seems pretty low. So, um, you know, I, but if you read, if you read the Pierre, Pierre Corey work and his group, and if you, if you read all that and, and, and the papers and you really think they were all fatally flawed, I, then I, I wouldn't I say agree with that. I just think that there's enough, there's well, you, enough you flaw in the study designs that came in that it's hard to take that and really make good determinations out of it right now. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, mean, so, have you so ever, again, you, you review papers, right? When you, you get asked to review papers for journals? No, I, mean, I, I haven't. The thing about it is, it, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Is he there? We might've lost Ian. I had to cut him off, Henry. I couldn't. Let's pretend it got. <laughs> let me let's let's pretend I was doing the kind of. No, shows. I mean, I just want the listeners to understand. I mean, it may have sounded like a heated argument, but we're really not. Yeah, I mean, we're not upset with each other. This is just Ian. We have two different perspectives on what should be done from a deterministic standpoint. Professor right Faluna. Yeah. OK, I, I again, if if it continues to if you continue to attack Henry, this way, I, I'll cut you off again. Are you ready to behave? Yeah. <laughs> All I do is behave. <laughs> All right. This, I can't. That's not the kind of show I want to do where people are screaming at each other. So go ahead and try to call him Mr. Asshole, please, so we can get <laughs> bigger numbers. All right. How about a fecal pump? Now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> my, you know, so my only so my main criticism is that you know you and irritable tend to agree on everything as far as i can tell and you know to me a robust scientific discussion would involve several other voices and unfortunately you know obviously you can tell i don't really know that the literature the field all that well but i know how much work has to go into knowing a field well and to say and to dismiss something like ivermectin 
that, you know, I feel like you need to have done the, the, the dirty groundwork to really say that. And so I, if you feel like you have done that, yeah, yeah, I have and to I, defer to you and I do trust you. And, and Ian, let me just clarify something again. Uh, and I want to make this very, very clear. I, I'm not discounting ivermectin. I do think that it's promising. I just want at least one study that's designed well to have results available before we really go out and start pushing it. Because there are some issues with pushing uh drugs for off-label usage, even if they have decent safety profiles, if for no other reason than it makes testing everything else very difficult because the standard of care is going to change dramatically. Mm -hmm. That was one of the issues that they had with some trials that were going on in Latin America. So many people that were enrolled in the trials were already using ivermectin uh, for anti-parasitic uses. It's on-label usage that these people, when they were being enrolled in the study, the studies lost all meaning because you had such a diverse group of people in terms of the standard of care. A bunch of them were getting ivermectin at this con concentration. Some of them were getting it at this dosage. Some of them were getting it at this dosage. Some had had it last year. Some had never had it. And they were all being enrolled into different trials, looking at whether or not different treatments at different time points, different standards were effective and everything basically was lost without knowing whether or not ivermectin was actually positive or, or detrimental or had no effect in the first place. So again, I do not want to make it sound like I'm dismissing ivermectin. I am absolutely not. I think it's one of the more promising ones that we have in clinical trials right now, but I want to get the results of the clinical trials before I say, this is it. The one drug that we have that really I can say this is it right now is dexamethasone, which again is very cheap. It's widely available and we have a lot of data already available from well-designed studies. And it appears to be very effective. 12% reduction in mortality among severe patients. That's huge. So yeah, I'm not dismissing ivermectin and I don't want it to come across that way. I just want more data. That's it. Okay. Party on, Garth. <laughs> Well, I'm really sorry, Henry. I hope you didn't think this was an ambush. Oh, David, that's it's all fine. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say yes. I want to say you have to wear a cup when you come on the David Feldman show. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I do what I can. You know, you never know. I might already have been wearing one for other purposes anyway. <laughs> Tell me some good news about we need good news. Well, the vaccine was distributed and uh, beginning to be administered in the United States today. That's certainly good news. Um, you know, this again, for listeners that are unaware, the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine had gotten emergency use authorization from the FDA on Friday, Friday evening. Uh, it originally was slated for the determination to be made on Saturday morning, but that was sped up because of pressure from Donald Trump on the head of the FDA, even though it had no material effect. There's, they, they were going to be administering them today at the earliest regardless. But over 100 facilities have already gotten their shipments in the United States of the Pfizer vaccine. Administration to frontline healthcare workers has already commenced. There's over 400 healthcare facilities that will be getting their shipments of the Pfizer vaccine tomorrow, which will put us uh, well over 500 facilities that have vaccine available where administration can begin to take place. That's certainly good news. And again, I, I want to emphasize the point that 
the studies, the data that we have available is all very good for these vaccines. The safety profile looks very good. The efficacy data looks good. The one caveat is that we don't have long-term data. So we don't know how long the efficacy is going to, to be for, and we don't know what the long-term safety profile is going to be. Although we, we would expect based on the design of these vaccines, which we talked about on Saturday, this is a relatively uh, pretty darn safe vaccination strategy, these mRNA-based vaccines. So I wouldn't expect the safety data in the long term to be really anything to write negative things about, you know, at least at any significant levels. Um, so it really is going to come down to efficacy. We don't have that data yet just because it is such a new vaccine. But all of the signs that we have right now are very positive, And the fact that we're getting it into people's arms already also is a positive sign. Right. So, I mean, there's your good news for the day is that frontline healthcare workers have now been starting to get vaccinated uh, and they'll, they'll continue to be vaccinated over the next probably two months, I would say, uh, would be mostly healthcare workers and maybe the first few uh, long term elderly care facilities, nursing homes, assisted care facilities and, and the like. Yeah. And they say that by March, this vaccine will have already saved about 25,000 lives here in America? I haven't seen that modeling. I, I certainly could believe it. Um, because of the allocation order of the vaccine, first going to people that are the most likely to be exposed to it, that is to say frontline healthcare workers, and then immediately afterwards, the people that are most likely to die, which is to say people in nursing homes, assisted care facilities, followed by elderly people with pre-existing conditions. The fact that we're prioritizing it in a very smart way, and I, I was hoping that there was no stupidity involved in this decision. Well, uh, Trump has been absent process. from most of us, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I mean, this was an allocation process that was devised by the CDC. I had pretty high faith that this was going to be the exact allocation process that they were going to come up with, give or take maybe you know one or two groups that had been put ahead of each other. But they made a very sensible allocation strategy. And uh, yeah, you know, like you said, by March, a lot of the people that would be most susceptible for either catching or dying from the virus will have already been vaccinated. And undoubtedly, that's going to start saving lives very quickly. Right. But I don't want people to think that that means that March, everything is going to be back to normal. This is still going to be something that we're going to be fighting well into 2021. Wow. Amazing. Wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. It's that simple. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, like I said, uh, I'm irritable and I've been saying this since about April. Public health initiatives and, uh, you know, things like wearing masks, socially distancing, uh, not going into high risk situations, not going into bars, restaurants, etc. Sensible closures when there's outbreaks occurring in areas, good testing, community testing. These sorts of things really could drop the levels of the pandemic even without the therapeutics and the vaccines that we're starting to see uh, become approved. You were nodding your head, and then we have to wrap it up. I, I want to ask you about Thursday's show in a second, but you were nodding your head when we were talking about the pandemic struck at the perfect time politically when you have a Democratic Party so out of touch with the needs of the common folk that they don't understand what a lockdown means, that, that the Democratic Party 
doesn't understand that when you say shut down this restaurant, shut down this bar, you're killing people in a way that's different from the coronavirus. Yeah, economic death. Economic Uh, death, suicide, loneliness. Yes, absolutely. And the, the, the same forces that voted for Trump are the ones who don't look to Biden or Ron Klain to to look at. They don't trust them to worry about their well-being. When they say stay home, it's easy for Ron Klain to say stay home. You send your kids to a private school and you're a multimillionaire. Yeah. Now, David, I'm going to answer this question. And in the meantime, if you can pull up an image for me, that would be very helpful. Pull if I don't know if you have it available to you, but on Saturday you had an image of the uh, rate of cases in Canada. Okay, let me keep you, talking. And I'll, I'll pull that it. up while yeah. I'm talking. Okay. Okay. So, like you said, we have gotten very, very little out of the government in in terms of direct aid to people to make sure that they would be able to stay out of places that would increase the risk of transmission, like work, for example. Uh, you know, we had, and when I say we, I mean most Americans. I didn't get these, but uh, we as Americans got. <laughs> what? The podcast listeners are not going to get this at all, but what? that's okay. Go, go on YouTube, podcast listeners. <laughs> I don't anyway. know how that got in there. Hang on for one second. That's not anyway. the Canadian? No, right. no, that's not the Canadian. Right. I, I apologize. No. I apologize. Keep talking. Uh, I'll find it. Yes. So I'm a bit flustered now, David. <laughs> it's getting hot in here. It is. It is. Uh, we we got a $1,200 stimulus check and then enhanced unemployment of about $600 a week for a couple of months. And again, most people were eligible for that, but not everybody. I didn't get either of those things. Right. Uh, that's because of my personal situation, but let's not worry about that right now. But that oh, was Oh, you said stimulus. Su- I'm sorry. Wrong picture. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> podcast listeners, go to YouTube. Otherwise, you're just going to think I'm getting confused by, <laughs> by nothing. This is a new game show, Confuse Henry. This would be yeah. great. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, the amount that people were getting was absolutely not sufficient to tide them over through the pandemic. And that's even assuming that people did get the money unlike myself, even if they did get the money, it wasn't enough. Now let's take a country like Canada, for example. And this is why I want you to be pulling this up. Canada has been I'm pulling doing, something. It's just, go ahead. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, you know. I'm having okay. trouble finding it. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, Canada has been giving, basically you can think of them as stimulus checks, 2000 Canadian dollars a month, every month to every Canadian for the duration of the pandemic. Now that is something that you can get by on. Maybe it's not comfortable, but you can get by on it in most places. And what that had allowed, what it allowed people to do is to prevent themselves from going into areas where the risk of transmission was going to be high. Now, what did that mean? What did that mean that people were getting these stimulus checks all through the pandemic and were able to prevent going prevent themselves from going into these situations. It means that Canada early on handled the pandemic much better than the United States. And once you get those graphs up, the people that are watching on YouTube and on Zoom, and they'll see, 
early on, Canada did much, much better than the United States in handling the pandemic. And that was in large part because they were enforcing quarantines, lockdowns, and they were ensuring the people that were on lockdown were getting money and they were able to get by financially. Okay. However, recently in the last month and a half or so, Canada's COVID case count has been absolutely spiking out of control. Really terrible situation going on in Canada right now. Why is that? Why is Canada spiking even though they're getting these direct cash payments? Well, a lot of it comes down to education, public health education. Uh, People in Canada are getting tired of the pandemic, as people are everywhere. I mean, I think that everybody that's listening to this is also tired of the pandemic. I'm tired of the pandemic. People in Canada are getting tired of the pandemic and they don't, there was not enough time and energy spent on public education of exactly what sorts of activities to avoid to prevent the pandemic from spreading in the country. And when people stopped following those lockdown and quarantine measures and started doing their own thing, thinking that they had handled the pandemic as it looked like they were doing, then things started to go out of control. Now, another country, and I've used this example a bunch of times at this point, but I'm going to use it again. Did I bring up Canada up now? So you see there was a spike in late April, early May, not nearly as bad as the spike in the United States. Then it went down. And then there was a period of five or six months where there was very little transmission, almost no transmission of COVID in Canada because they had very strict public health policies in place and people were getting direct cash payments. However, pandemic fatigue, as well as the lack of education has allowed the the spike to go. What is that? four, three, three and a half times higher than it was at any point in the spring in Canada in terms of new cases. That's a problem. Senegal, on the other hand, unlike Canada, is a very poor country. Senegal has had one of the best COVID responses of any country in the world. And that's because, and I mentioned this on Saturday, Senegal has been thinking about how to handle public health emergencies for five to six years now. Ever since the 2014-2015 West African Ebola outbreak, Senegal has been planning on how to handle the next public health crisis on a shoestring budget because they don't have a lot of money to use in response. What does that mean? As soon as COVID hit, They were able to take very strong and very sensible actions that had already been predetermined in order to to curb the spread of COVID in Senegal. Now, one of the biggest things that Senegal did, and this is absolutely key because it's cheap, is education of the public. They went out into the streets and educated people on what put them at risk, how to keep themselves safe, what they needed to do to get through the pandemic and what in one piece. Those are huge things that weren't done in many of the Western countries. And it allowed Senegal to have a very effective response with almost no money being used. Whereas Canada, like I said, didn't really do that sort of education. So we're seeing a spike now, even though they had previously had it under control because of public health policy, as well as cash payments. And unlike the U.S. who had insufficient cash payments and a total lack of education in the public, which is why our country is suffering significantly worse than anywhere in the world right now. So, yeah, it's a combination of many things, not only financial 
um, stability for every individual needs to be ensured, but we also need to do a better job of educating the public. Yes. <clears throat> I think I figured out how to boost our numbers, Henry. I, I, it looked like you did, David. It looked like you <laughs> came up with a strategy for how to boost viewership. I will give that to you. I had you and Ian fighting it out, and we showed some pictures of some shirtless firefighters while you were discussing COVID. I think we figured out, finally, how to take us to that next level. What do we have coming up on Thursday? Sure. And then after that, David, I just want to read mm -hmm. one quick thread from the new district attorney of Los Angeles County, because okay. I think that this is something that people should be aware of. OK. OK. Thursday, six o'clock Eastern time. We are going to be joined for Henry Asks by Michelle Shepard, who is a, a CBC Canadian journalist. And who recently this is amazing that you guys got her. And yeah, this is what this is what public pressure uh, does. It, it gets you guests that you want because I had previously reached out to her, hadn't gotten a response. And then, yeah, we unleashed the swarm of David Feldman listeners on her and, and she all one had of no them. choice but to uh, to accept the invitation to come on the show. But yeah, Michelle Shepard is a Canadian journalist who recently was the uh, you could think of her as the lead journalist and presenter of a podcast series by the CBC and the Fifth Estate. The Fifth Estate is a Canadian uh, investigative journalism program on MK Ultra, the CIA brainwashing and mind control program that had went on for a while back in the you know fifties and sixties. Uh, and it was a really great series. It's called Brainwashed. It's a six-part series. Uh, I highly recommend anybody that's interested in MK Ultra to listen to the series, preferably before Thursday, because then you'll you'll have all that background before she comes on the show. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about MK Ultra. We're going to talk about how you put together a big series like that, an investigative journalistic series, uh, as well as yeah, if people have questions uh, if they listen to the series and then have specific questions that they want to ask yeah. just, how just to do a good podcast it. that would be interesting for me <laughs> i'd be very you curious listen to it david it's excellent it's can it's you send it to me so we have a, a sure. reading list that we send out to all the listeners who sign up for it and i'd like to include that in the oh yeah I, I highly recommend everybody listen to it i mean if they're listening to this show unless they're listening for jackie the joke man they're probably interested in politics and history in which case you'll absolutely love the series it was really okay. well done but yeah I'll and who is grace interviewing sure. i don't remember who grace is i think we're going to talk about the crown i think a british historian yeah, I think that that crown. sounds familiar. And then Grace and I will be interviewing somebody on Monday Great. about the protests in India. Great. The farmers strike. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be great. Yeah, I'd like so, to do what yeah. I would love to do is like a roundtable with you and Grace and maybe somebody else unrelated to all this where we go through the news. I don't know if you saw what I was doing with. Jim Earl and John Ross. But uh, if that interests you, we can talk about that. Thank you, Henry. Oh, go ahead. You had a DA. Sure. Do you mind if I read this? Yeah. Yes. I, okay. So listeners, this is another thing that I want to emphasize. And I'm sure many of you already know this, but it's worth driving the point home. The presidency is not the only race that we need to care about. And this is something that Democrats have done terrible on recently is local and state elections. 
they don't care about them. They don't put the resources into them that they need to in order to ensure that there's democratic led state legislatures, uh, district attorneys, et cetera, et cetera. And by and large, these are the offices that are going to have more of a day-to-day impact on you than whatever Joe Biden decides to say for that day is. Your district attorney is going to have a much bigger impact on people in your district than Joe Biden directly is, even though everybody's paying attention to the, the presidential election. So here's an example of why these smaller, more localized races are important. L.A. County, on uh, December 7th, they swore in their new district attorney. His name is George Gascon. Two hours after he was sworn in, this is part of a statement that he put out. Now, this is, this is something that I think that many people will be interested in. He said, and this is all direct quote, 40 years ago, I walked my first beat as a young police officer. Today, I was sworn in as the 43rd district attorney of Los Angeles. The pursuit of justice is timeless, and that's why these policies will be applied retroactively. At least 20,000 people currently incarcerated in prison will now be eligible for consideration for resentencing. This will save California billions of dollars. At least 50% of all persons sentenced to state prison from L.A. are rated low risk to reoffend by prison officials. 95% of individuals who have served 20 years or more are rated low risk to reoffend. These excessive sentences are not making us safer. My office will prioritize consideration for people convicted of nonviolent crimes, those deemed low risk for release, people with demonstrated records of rehabilitation, older individuals, people who are especially at risk for COVID-19, and people sentenced to adult prison terms as children. I am not the same man I was when I first put on the uniform. One of the many reasons for that is because of situations I faced as a young officer, situations and experiences that have stayed with me and that continue to shape my approach to this work. Those experiences taught me the criminal justice system is fundamentally broken. Today, we will usher in a new era of criminal justice and transform the largest criminal justice jurisdiction in America. The money bail system is as unsafe as it is unjust. Money is a terrible proxy for risk posed to society. So today, we will end cash bail for any misdemeanor, non-serious, or non-violent felony offense. And I will end bail completely January 1st. For decades, we attached felony consequences to low-level offenses. It foreclosed job and housing opportunities, exacerbated recidivism, crime, and homelessness, and created more victims. We must design a system that actually listens to, protects, and restores victims. Beginning immediately, victims will no longer be required to testify to receive victim services, and this office will extend victim services to families of those killed by law enforcement. I have already pledged to reopen four fatal officer-involved shootings. My office will now convene a use of force review board to review fatal use of force cases dating back to at least 2012. We must hold police accountable to restore trust in law enforcement. There's a lot more. Uh, he has yeah, a bunch send of it, other Send things. it to me and I'll include it in the, the newsletter that goes out tomorrow. That's pretty impressive. That's a district attorney. This is a race that nobody in the national media and even a lot of state media are going to be paying attention to. But you know what? These are policies that are going to have a much larger material effect on people's lives than something that Joe Biden is going to say. Joe Biden can't get much done by himself, but everybody pays attention to it. 
He got more than 70 million votes. This guy, George Gascon, got a fraction of those amount of votes, but he's going to have an innumerably larger impact on people's lives in L.A. County than Joe Biden is. Right. Well said. Well said, Henry. Well, thank you, as always. I'll see you Thursday. Yes, you will. See you Thursday, David. Give my best to everybody in Michigan. Is Dan Frank? There he is. Oh, there's Dan Frankenberger in the newsroom. Sorry to keep you waiting. That's okay. Community billboard. We were supposed to do it at the top. And... I was overwhelmed and I forgot. I apologize. There's no problem. You and I have to talk about the Zoom handler. We have a Zoom whisperer from Zoom who's going to be helping us out. But since you have... We will meet with them and solve some troubles. Well, if Dan is dressed like a pretentious douchebag, that can only mean one thing. It's time now for Community Billboard. (laughs) We need a theme song. I like that. If Dan is dressed like a pretentious douchebag, it can only mean one thing. Community billboard. What do you have for us? Uh, Weber. Tom Weber. Weber Do do I have Yeah, I have to show his art. Do you have a a slide? I'm going to, I want to talk to you. We, we, you and I need to talk tomorrow. I have to, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. TomWeberArt.com with two Bs. Uh, he does tons of drawings and, and ink and paint. And uh, I see him popping up on my Facebook page right. all the time, and they're pretty awesome. And he is so go to TomWeberArt.com. I, I want to show it. I just haven't gotten, I haven't gotten his permission yet to, to show his stuff. All right. So that's important. Yeah. Um, Joe Britton. Yes, sir. He has a, a jewelry business, josephbrintonjewelry.com. So go there and check him out and buy some jewelry. He goes through a cool process that I deal with at work sometimes, too, with the photo etching, which is partially how he makes his jewelry. Yeah, yeah it's very creative and uh, cosmetic. It's pretty awesome. We have a message from our friend from Office Hours, Arjun. He has a podcast, Deep Into History, and he's got a, a new episode out. And uh, he sent the message, that is the story of a vital for every leftist or even centrist to know a dire warning of what may be versus a chronicle of how the Roman Republic fell to the empire continues witness the rise of young Lucius Cornelius Sulla experience the erotic moment that defined him in a tale called so seductive deep into history podcast is available on every platform. You can support the show on patreon.com forward slash deep into history. And you can really use everyone's help and lots of love for the holiday season from Arjun. Thank you. We have another message from um, Vegas baby cat, the little stinker. This is directed uh, directly to you. Good. (laughs) Like the tubes, the main members of Steely Dan, Walter Beck and Don Fagan are extraordinarily gifted musicians. However, unlike the tubes whose combined musical talents result resulted in the music of the spheres steely dan ended up sounding like a flatulent water buffalo stepping on a howler monkey who swallowed a kazoo <laughs> despite the fact that liam is an effing idiot remember even a broken clock is right twice a day when it comes to medicare for all liam is definitely talking out of his ass which is exactly where your taste in music is located Ooh. If you like dan. she also sent me like a, she's oh are you done because she, she's uh, no, another line or two. Lick a dead baboon's balls, Felder. <laughs> Signed, 
Biggest baby cat, the little stinker. She has my home email, and she just sent me an email yesterday. I don't have time for your bullshit. Fuck you, or something like that. Uh, that made me feel good. <laughs> you gotta love. She's one of the originals. Um, what else yeah, do we have? I like I've that. Got a few, we got a yeah, Vegas baby cat. Any we birthdays, few, anniversaries, personal attacks? Uh, nope. We have a message from Andy Brown uh, from a few weeks ago. He says he's got a secret that the community billboard has to know about, but he can't reveal it yet. Hmm. And he he also posted on the Discord that. Uh, he keeps telling you to enlist the aid of the Discord channel Dent Tech for some of your uh, your technical troubles. Yes, but, but you keep not taking them up on that. But and we have Professor be- John as a guest on Thursday. Oh, good. Yes, fantastic. Yeah. He's one of the, he's one of the folks uh, early Saturday mornings that are keeping the, the office hours going. Right. Um, we have an event coming up in January. Well, why don't we plug the Saturday's big event? Yep, we'll get to there too. The um, in January on the thirteenth, um, there's going to be a watch party for Ed Larson's movie "How America Killed My Mother," where I th- I'm pretty oh, uh, interviews where you have Ed Larson there, and then we're all going to watch the movie together. Yes, so that's pretty cool. That's something we should probably talk to the Zoom handler about. Yeah, we're going to watch we Ed's movie and, uh, on some, Zoom. Someone that's helping, right? And then we're going to do a question and answer before and after. That will be fun. Yep. Um, the Invisible Ninja is a big part of putting that all together. And you want to check him out on Twitter at People's Comic underscore. He's brilliant. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Um, Professor Adnan Hussein, his Twitter handle is at Adnan A. Hussein. And he has partnered up over the last few months with uh, Roriki, whose Twitter account is at Dub Hain, H D U B H A I N H. And they do the weekly marks and morning marks. And you can check out those hashtags, and those are their actual handles weekly marks and morning marks for their uh, daily and weekly book club discussions where they're reading. And uh, Professor Hussein also has a podcast, The Mudgeless, M A J L I S. So you can, you can Google that, and it comes up pretty quickly. It's mostly hosted by Anchor. Um, but you'll find it through uh, Professor Hussein's Twitter account and another podcast that's going on through um, Professor Hussein, which also involves Henry, which we've heard about throughout the show is the Gorilla History Podcast. They have a Twitter account uh, at Gorilla underscore pod. Um, so I think that's about it for today. Professor Ann Lee, who has never been on the show, but she's always in our chat room, has a fantastic Daily Co's column she writes on the daily co's i how do you well we'll get the spelling and the link for her daily co's entries they're fantastic they really are henry yeah, david i wanted to make one quick announcement for guerrilla history since we didn't pitch it while i was on yeah listeners last week we put out uh well about a week and a, maybe a half ago now we put out a episode about john brown listen to that it was a crossover episode with rev left radio this Friday, and this is why I'm pitching it during Community Billboard, this Friday we're going to be releasing another episode with a highly distinguished guest who is a revolutionary in her country, a member of the successful revolution, a three times minister of her country, and she's going to be talking to us about the role of women in their successful revolution. Uh, so be sure to check What is your name? Out. 
Well, I was going to save it as a surprise for Friday, but I, I don't think that too many people will be familiar with her by name. So I guess I'll spill the beans. It's Hasila Yami. She was a three times minister in Nepal, um, was one of the leaders of the, the Maoist uh, insurgency in Nepal that wow. yeah toppled the monarchy. And they've been uh, more or less in charge for the majority of the time since the monarchy fell although she has uh, since left the Maoists and her and her husband, who is the former prime minister of Nepal, have formed a new party, which uh, translated into English as the People's Socialist Party of Nepal. And Isaac Murdoch, who is a habitué of office hours, has a new podcast called Night Rule. And follow them on Twitter at PodRule. Okay, Night Rule, PodRule. Let me just get some. Uh, thank you, Henry. I got that message too. I asked him to send me an email with a, a couple of lines of a description of what it is. So I'm sure we'll mention it again in the next show or two as well. Steve in Canada asks, why do we suffer emptiness, love, and don't know? Probably because of human beings. Uh, Saul asks for Harvey J. K. shouldn't there be public discussion and airing of candidates for Speaker of the House? Seems reasonable to me. Somebody, I mean, talk about the Democratic Party being undemocratic. They're not even running anybody against Pelosi. God asks, Henry, I'm in the severe risk category in the UK if I get COVID and was offered a vaccine on Friday, but turned it down as I'm not convinced at this early stage of its efficacy. Is this wise? And if you were in my position, would you have made a similar decision? Henry, he should get the vaccine, right? When he comes back, I think you should. You were 30 seconds too late. He just checked out. Get the vaccine. That's what I hear. Uh, Texas Tom asks if it's not too late. I'd like to get Henry's comment in response to this text I received from a friend who was a Trump supporter, quote, interesting that herd immunity was not possible under a Trump administration, but now suddenly it's possible. Did you ever doubt all the Republicans knew a Biden win would stop the virus? Nobody in nobody's preaching herd immunity in the uh, Biden administration. That's insanity. Uh, Texas Time adds, by the way, my friend's text was in response to a New York Post article entitled, Fauci says U.S. could achieve herd immunity in second quarter of 2021. Uh, It's the New York Post, Rupert Murdoch. Andy Brown asks, is there any way to push Biden to the left? And should we try to use some reverse psychology and try to push Biden to the right? (laughs) I think, uh, and then Lynn Harvey asks, if new House members promise to vote the wrong way, What if the powers that be stop them from being seated? I've heard talk about this scenario in reference to the presidential election and the 12th Amendment scenario. They've talked about not seating some of the Congress people who voted to support the lawsuit to overturn the election. So why not pull that on the Democrats? I'll ask Howie that uh, next time. Uh, Saul asks, question for Howie, why would Pelosi not be willing to solve the climate crisis, COVID, keep people from starving and in their homes? Do these people not realize they have to solve these things? Well, no, uh, they don't. 
And an anonymous attendee asks, this is a really interesting question that I forgot to ask today. He asks, or she, how do we push Biden to the left? Is this a meme that started uh, in the chat room or is this on the Internet? How do we push Biden to the left? I think it's I think it's a Feldman origin. I'm not sure if it was office hours or the chat or on the show somewhere. Andy, but. is this a uh, did this start here? I bet has to be like a it's a populist meme. OK, so it's not it didn't start here. Begun by Dave Lawless. Well, did it start here or on the Internet? Lawless caused it. OK, how do we push by to the left? That's funny. That's really funny. All right. And finally, I agree with Jimmy Dore and Jim Earl and Professor Marianne. I think it's time to call your congressperson. Let me give you their numbers, the important ones who can make a difference. Mark Pocan's number. Well, let me tell you, call call these congresspeople and tell them not to vote for Nancy Pelosi for speaker until she promises to give us a vote on Medicare for all. I think this is a reasonable ask. Let's see which Democrats support Medicare for all and which ones don't. Straight up, clean bill, Medicare for all, yes or no. I think we're entitled to that from the Democratic Party. We're at least entitled to this from our leftists who we sent to Washington promising change. Certainly AOC owes us this. They should withhold their support for Nancy Pelosi as speaker until she promises them at least a vote on Medicare for all. I mean, how how sad is that, that it's considered sedition in the Democratic Party when when you ask for a vote on Medicare for all? They're not even asking for Medicare for all. They're just asking for a vote. And we can't get that. I think the behavior of some that's the behavior of people are trying to hide something. Yeah, I agree with Jimmy. So call Mark Pocan. He's co-chair of the Progressive Caucus. 202-225-2906. Call AOC at 718-662-5970. Don't be rude. Be polite. They don't listen to crackpots. You'll probably end up leaving a message on their machines. Leave a polite message. If you want to scare and intimidate, talk the way I'm talking right now. Don't sound like a mad person. Then then they dismiss you as a crank. Methodically request that you don't vote for Nancy Pelosi for speaker unless she promises you a vote on Medicare for all. It's a reasonable request. Call Rashida Talib at 202. We misspelled Talib. 202-225-5126. Call Ariana Presley at 202-225-5111. And Elian Omar, 202-225-4755. It is unconscionable that we can't even get a vote on Medicare for all. It's incredible in the middle of a pandemic that it's asking too much to threaten Nancy Pelosi's speakership if she doesn't even vote on Medicare. What good are you as a speaker or a human being if you can't even get a vote on Medicare for all in the middle of a pandemic 
that's already killed 300,000 Americans. Well, I want to thank all our guests tonight for showing up. I want to thank Jim Earl, John Ross. Let me see if I can remember the show, Dan. Let me see. We started with Jim Earl. Don't tell me. Then we went to Aaron Berg. Then we went to John Ross. Then we went to Mark Breslin. Then we went to Howie Klein. Then we went back to Jim Earl. Then we went to Dr. Harriet Fraud. Then we went to Professor Adnan Hussein, to Harvey J., Professor Harvey J.K., Professor Marianne Cummings, immunobiologist Henry Huckamaki, and then we did Community Billboard with Dan Frankenberger. Did I get that right? You got it absolutely right. I got that it was right. not from memory. I swear to you, that was from memory. Oh, shit. Yeah. No, I'm not. But I, but I kid you, Ellen. <laughs> well, not Ellen. What, what is your name again? Dan. All right. I'll t- uh, I need to talk to you tomorrow. And uh, thank you all for showing up in the Zoom room. I'm going to say goodbye to everybody who's watching us on YouTube and the podcast. If you would like to attend a live taping of this show, go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the attend a live taping button or menu. If you would like to come to office hours on Friday nights at nine o'clock, hit the office hours button, sign up for my newsletter. Anybody who comes to the show or is a guest on the show gets a newsletter the next day. That's a reading list. It's required reading. And, uh, and well, this, this Saturday, Saturday night. Yeah, we're doing a fundraiser for the production team for the fundraisers. Right. We're kind We've, of still planning it, but... This man, Dan Frankenberger, has orchestrated all these fantastic pay-per-view events. All the money goes to the people who we say it's going to. We just sent some money over to the Center for Great Apes. And we've. I'm surprised by how well we've done raising money. We're going to... I guess we're going to announce on Friday, how much we've raised this year. And we only started doing this in September. Every Saturday night, we try to do a fundraiser, but we're going to do a fundraiser for all the people who work behind the scenes. Putting on these fundraisers. All all the events and add up the totals and we're going to raise how much money we collectively raised for. Yeah, uh, Yeah. so we're going to do a fundraiser for the production crew. I will not be getting a penny, I promise you. Uh... And uh, thank you for that. And we're going to do more transparency with the Eventbrite money so people can, I want people to see that the money's going where it's supposed to. David wants a thermometer visual. Yeah, but for another reason. (laughs) Not not one in my mouth. Yeah. All right. Let me see if I can finish this show. Thank you all. Uh, Any questions? No. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to say goodbye to the podcast listeners, and I'm going to say goodbye to uh, YouTube. Remember to stay strong and protect the weak. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy, too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty. From way back He's a union man With an Emmy for writing Someday he's mad and he feels Like fighting (laughs) 
It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Your way. 